Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Of course, tis the season. It's actually it's just the season of summer, but everyone's crying about it in Europe, aren't they? Doing that thing <laughs> where this just short. It's not like esports in a nutshell. You know when people are like, but it's so hot. It's like it's not really like it's it's a very hot summer. Okay, it's not like it's a different time. You're not on Mars, are you? Like it's just obviously just a slightly hotter summer. Okay, chill out, <laughs> forget about it. But the the better season than summer. Is the world's prediction series two, season two, <laughs> season two? Could you call it as well? Which is nice the transition. competition that they're running, the ten million USDT, <laughs> and obviously there are degrees of success you can have in this competition too. Because obviously, even though we always say the first place is like eight hundred thousand USDT, I hope it goes without saying there isn't. It's not like a winner takes all because there's a ten million USDT prize pool. So think about the disparity between it. There are loads of actual prizes. Like one thing I'll do on another one to give people the info. I'll find out what actually the breakdown is because I'm interested myself. But obviously, it's a free to enter competition on esports bet. You go there, you just sign up. They give you some tokens to play with, as we'll talk about elsewhere. And we always do on our other promos. There are other promos that can increase the amount of tokens you have, etc., to play on this. But essentially, you can just enter now for free, and then you'll see as we bet on the site, etc. You can place all. All the same bets in this competition like if you don't want to bet with currency just use the free tokens and bet in the competition and make that how you do your predictions you can do that as well if you just want to make it for fun and join in yeah and it's actually and real as we say you win money it's not like we're we're not handing you like the non-plugged in controller and say your your tails uh yeah anyway level three starting so get ready like we're not doing that like you're actually playing you get to play as well it's a good and, analogy. And also, everyone, everyone feels that pain. <laughs> and also, you guys should uh, tune into Competitive Edge uh, because we are now, Esports Bet has given us $100,000 in USDT. And what we're doing is for summer playoffs, we're going to try and win as much money as we can, which is going to go back into prizes and cool shit for you guys. So you really want to follow along with that. It will be a lot of fun. You will be getting the opportunity to win a bunch of stuff. You will be, We will be giving you the opportunity to kind of participate in stuff and see some really cool stuff um that'll be announced probably in the next few day guys days so you know keep on track with that and uh, we'll have more information let me push back on that though i want to spin that an alternate way monty right you gave okay. what would be the normal way of doing that commercial i'll do my own version right <laughs> right now what we're doing is losing loads of actual <laughs> currency, real usdt <laughs> using this service and on that show it's all about the gory details and what we're betting on why what we think so here's the good news if you're actually low-key either someone who a finds mirth in us getting wrecked so there's got to be some fans in the venn diagram overlap <laughs> or something inside or b you're one of those hate watchers who hello you'd be watching since 2014 you're a tsm fan you've been waiting for the world to where finally tsm you know everything comes good we're all egg on our face that's happened yeah but you know what this vehicle is almost tailor-made for you because every time we say like oh i'm certainly excel and easy win that match they don't even know the odds monty and then you just get to see me and monty <laughs> put the actual money on there knowing that we need it for these competitions and then if we lose it you just get to laugh at our faces and then we've got a record for all of history of how <laughs> not only that we're wrong but how wrong we are we're actually putting money behind how wrong we are <laughs> and, and also if we lose money we will be punished to do things that yes we, we'll do some we do not want yes. to do so yes. it will be fun it will be fun you can follow through yes. the summer playoffs We'll be doing some uh, cool stuff for Worlds as well. Uh, so that's been good. Also, by the way, everybody in Twitch chat right now, everybody watching on YouTube or Spotify or your other podcast platform of choice, why have you not clicked the follow slash subscribe button? You dumb animal. Do it right now. It really helps us. Thank you very much. 
All right, let's talk about some League of Legends. Where do it you actually does though? Because here's the problem. I know in the short term, if you're on like YouTube, for example, you think, but I don't need it. It's always on my front page. The algorithm gives me. Yeah, it does now. That's as long as the algorithm likes us and we're not like in any way like manipulated. So if you just want it guaranteed, just click the subscribe button in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It does help us. All right, so. Let's go talk about regions. Uh, we are going to have Amazing on later to talk about LEC. Uh, but we have, what, four LCK games happening this week. We have the start of the LCS playoffs happening this week as well. Uh, LEC will be taking that week-long break. So where do you, you want to start? I was, I was doing a watch party on our Twitch channel with Crumbs yesterday and on the Esports Bet Discord, and I was very seriously mauling about NA. Uh, it was bad. What what what, what storylines hit any of the worst? What, is it just generally bad? Is there specific teams let you down? Uh, I mean, the Cloud Nine game made they me were pretty very sure. yeah. very angry. Sure. Um, I don't understand the obsession with LeBlanc, which is just uh, in this meta, just a completely useless champion most of the time, and especially with the way that Cloud Nine were playing and the way that they structured the rest of their composition. Because you have to remember that LeBlanc is really just an absolutely garbage champion for Yumi to go on. She's already a high-mobility champion. You're not really going to get a lot of extra damage there. And obviously, when we look at the world meta, and you see the Ari come up, many players will think to themselves, well, what about Silas? Silas is a clear option that you always have is a great target for a Yumi within this composition can do things like steal Orn ult or Vi ult or Ari ults. These are all great things has more agency within the game and cloud nine just couldn't like, I think berserker actually played very well in this game. Like you may look at his scoreline and think, Oh, well that wasn't too great, but he did have an Ari, an Ord and a Vi all over him all the time. And because there was never any secondary damage threat, it was just free. It was absolutely free. And then on top of that, Cloud9 had multiple opportunities to win this game. They threw the game once by just chasing into an Orn and all inning on an Orn in the jungle who just turned around at a choke point with his ult and killed them all. And then they had another opportunity to win. They could have, they won a fight at their own middle inhibitor. And then they decided that it was going to be really fun to chase a very fun uh, Fed Inspired who is playing Vi, who has an or an upgraded Divine Sunderer, a Black Cleaver, a Death Stance, and a GA. So this outplay and, like, is 1v3. It's fucking is, hilarious, wasn't it? Yeah. She is. Well, I don't know if I would call it an outplay, Thorn, because it's like you're chasing somebody who is absolutely 100% built for 1v1 combat. That's and what sustained. I love, dude, because here's what I love. I come from the game where this is the number one complaint, Counter-Strike. In Counter-Strike, if three people all fight one person at once, it's essentially impossible for the one right. to win because he would right. have to shoot three different... But, but the joke is, how many times in a 1v3 does the 1v1... Does the does the one manage to create three 1v1s and at the end you go because here's how it goes right I'll tell you how they were even thinking guys that's why I'm going to bring this topic up here's how they were thinking when there was three of them well there's three of us we're inevitably going to catch him and kill him lol I'm on him first fuck I can't quite get there in time to make it a 1v2 oh he's dead sorry it's still two of us like we'll definitely get him now and then the last guy's just thinking well fuck <laughs> and, I know that, and that one, he's not even making sure. He's just trapped at that point. Because as you saw, the joke was one. This is what I also loved about that player. Is initially they're chasing him. 
Then there's only two of them, and he's just killing yep. another one. But for the yep. last one, it's like the last one even tries to like turn around, like shit, I'm getting off it. It's like <laughs> you're versus a vibe, bro. Like, like it's over already. Just get wrong. Because that was hilarious. That like I said, like, you are right. It's not an outplay because technically Inspire should have had no say in it whatsoever. But it was essentially just like a cavalcade of errors, wasn't it? It was funny as fuck, bit. I laughed so Dude. much when I watched that. Because I was watching it thinking the whole thing at the same time, Monty, like, this is a single target <laughs> champion. How are you letting him get like because the nightmare is to be the vibe enough three people come after you and it's over isn't it <laughs> i i can't handle this like it's i amazing. literally couldn't handle what i was watching because here's the thing it was just the vi and the i believe the orn who were up and all cloud nine had to do was not walk into the one guy who is yeah. built who is fed as fuck and built specifically to 1v1 you and instead they could have just walked to the mountain drake that was spawning gotten mountain soul walked to Baron that was spawning, gotten Baron, and won the game. The probably my thing. number one pet peeve in League of Legends is when people don't need to fight and can take an objective for free and they fight instead. It's like, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'd love to be the opponent there. Like, well, thanks for the chance. We'll take a free shot. And if we can come back in the game, like, it's mad, isn't it? Because it's like the one thing you would tell them not to do, but they always do it, mate. They always do it. Yeah. Else, yes. and, and, and literally, you know, I understand they might be thinking, well, we can kill this guy or maybe he'll he'll like steal it. But if you were all grouped at the dragon, he had no HP. So he either goes to the dragon with no HP. It's going to be hard to or, steal that on his or, own. Exactly. Or he has to recall and you'll get there faster and kill the Drake before he can get there. So there is literally no reason whatsoever to make this play and it is just baffling I, like people point to that play because it is so such a glaring mistake but also like what is going on with this leblanc priority in na like i just don't think that this is an effective champ in this meta i wonder what is happening in scrims where people are prioritizing this pick so highly and just leaving these insane power picks on the board? Like, for example, in this game, Cloud9 should have picked Silas, given the composition, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, could have picked Talia, which Jensen has been okay on so far this split. Could have picked Azir. There were so many better choices to provide protection and also serve as a secondary damage threat than this LeBlanc. So, you know, and it was an easy pickup for Inspired with Vi. I mean, shout out again to the Evil Geniuses coaching staff that realizes that Vi is actually pretty strong right now and was going to be especially strong once they saw this because there wasn't any other threat. And the thing about Viego right now is that because so many of the team fights are just front to back team fights with these hyperscaling AD carries, Viego doesn't really get resets anymore because he's a frontliner and he just dies before he can actually start snowballing fights most of the time. Like Viego is kind of shifting out of the meta because his usefulness, his usefulness in a pick comp is very high. His usefulness in a 5v5 front to back team fight is dodgy. At times with right this now. comp as well, Monty, like aside from the Twitch killing them, what are you thinking is going to get the Viego reset? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> What's, there's nothing going to do it, is it? And, look, and if Twitch is killing people, he's ulting over five people yeah, exactly. and they're going to lose the fight anyway. Like yeah. that is that is over. Um, you know, honestly, if you if you're cloud nine, I would have even rather have seen an Olaf jungle here because it's a blabber specialty. It's a oh. pocket pick that he's super good on. You have the Yumi anyway. So it also is immune 
to exactly. buy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so like, I would have even rather seen, now I don't want to see that, but I would have rather seen that with the LeBlanc than the Viego. I would really have just preferred they fucking pick Silas, uh, but that wasn't going to happen apparently. And in spite of this kind of woefully inadequate composition, uh, with one win condition that was quite easily shut down by evil geniuses, both their play in-game and their draft, uh, they still they still could have won this game and then made a couple really terrible misplays. So I, I'm I'm just bummed out by Cloud9. I'm disappointed. Like I don't understand what's going on with their mid lane champion pool right now. Doesn't seem like Jensen is fully back online, and it hasn't looked that way for a lot of this split. Even Jensen's big game. I mean, here's the had- obvious question, Monty. As you've said, one of the best champions is Silas. If you have the right guy. He's playing an Ivia and fucking Zillion, mate. Like, the joke is he'll play anything but Silas. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, what year is it, right? I like... know, exactly. Like, what the... An Ivia! Bro, the joke is, like, I won't say who, but, like, if I did an interview now and asked the middle, like, why don't you play an Ivia? They'd just be like, because it's 2022. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't even waste, waste my time humoring that question, Monty. Like... <laughs> I mean, I... I, it, it's also that I, I and by the way god, god bless lcs they're still playing mid zillion and i don't fucking just get out there get out my face already you idiots it's all, it's all whack at all so i mean i, I like I, i'm just i'm really just unconvinced a lot of the time by by cloud nine like yeah they're it's in- my biggest problem right when i watch them as a layman like individually a bunch of the players are good like i mean obviously berserker might even be the fucking best at his role but the problem is like fudge and jensen i know obviously historically they're not players that play together but they they seem to like almost be disconnected in the game mate like i don't get the vibe that they're really like solo is that are on the same page because i think fudge has had some dodgy games to split as well uh i mean for sure I mean, there there have been games that it, it, it's almost like Cloud9 can win in spite of Fudge randomly inting, in spite of some really terrible overcommitments and overchases, some very sketchy early games a lot of the time by Jensen. He does redeem himself sometimes in the mid yeah, and late some game. Bang against, yeah. Yeah, but it it's the lack of consistency across the board and the oscillation between some really good individual play with some really low floor uh like macro shot calling or even also individual play at times. Uh and they've they've won in spite of themselves on occasion. Like this is not a team that I feel incredibly confident in as we head oh, into no way. As we head into the playoffs, like, do I think that Cloud9 is capable of lifting this trophy? I, I think it would I mean, be a the miracle. Players alone if they, mean it's possible. I, I mean, yeah, the players alone could mean it's possible, but there are at least three better teams than them in playoffs Easily, right now. Yes. In EG, they're not a contender if we read real. They're the best of Dark Horse. They've got like the punches <laughs> chance at the moment. That's it. I mean, and, and they're against CLG in the first round. This is a team that could definitely lose to CLG. It's a team that can definitely lose to FlyQuest, right? Uh, CLG has a much more cohesive sense of teamwork and makes less boneheaded plays than Cloud9 does. So, I, you know, I know it's been a rough year for Cloud9. It's not the year that they start out started out thinking they were have. This was kind of an emergency roster. So I think, you know, making it into the playoffs it's in the good their news, fourth, fourth or fifth place position is not terrible. The good news is that if in the playoffs, 
you can potentially play like another half of a split. So this is actually the chance to level up and get your shit all fixed and have a chance to actually like adapt to people. So the good news about how long the NALCS playoffs is, especially if you're not just going to run through the upper bracket, you're going to get a lot of games in, dude. Like they could get in like 20 games in this fucking playoffs. So hopefully they level up, they get this shit together. And by the end of playoffs, they're either contender status or they can be a world's team. That's the hope with this squad. Because luckily there are enough there are enough good teams from any aside from them that it doesn't have to be the team that goes. But just because of the pieces, I hope it does go like like look, I might like CLG. I don't want them to go to worlds though. Like they're not gonna fucking do anything there. So like I'd rather Cloud9 gets their shit together Me over too. like three or four series <laughs> and just can can go like because the thing about this, right now, I agree. If you look at NA as a general region, it's like bro, if EG is really the best. Forget about it. And it's not going deep at Worlds. They could do something, but not going deep. Whereas here's the difference. You think of like how many times it's like playoff Jensen at Worlds like looked good. How many times have they fucking, uh, someone like Blabber's probably due even a good fucking international tournament. Like I feel like they're one of the teams I want to see there because of the roster strength. And obviously Berserker would be a player you want to send. Goes out I mean, yeah. I, and like Jensen always steps up at Worlds pretty much. So I, I think this is definitely probably the better team to send to the world championship if you had a choice. But at the same time, uh, NA doesn't have four seeds. So like, who would I, who would I rather see at worlds? I think the answer is I would rather still rather see EG hundred thieves and team liquid there rather than cloud nine. It's not a four seed region. We're not going to get another team into the play. And so as much as I might prefer them over a team like CLG or FlyQuest, that's not even really an option. Uh, <laughs> like, the, like they're gonna have to beat somebody at some point in time in order to make it to worlds, and it's very difficult to see how that is going to happen at the current time. Because even if they can take some of these best of ones, I don't think it's realistic that they have the consistency. Or, I mean, their drafting is just so strange. That's the thing uh, that I'm most worried meta, about. Frankly, by the way. that like I, I, it's like they're they're hurting themselves in these drafts. Like they are giving themselves only one win condition a lot of the time and if it goes wrong they're they're just screwed the problem they're gonna have is the top two teams eg and 100 thieves are also probably the two best draft teams so like in my opinion there's one of the main areas tl and c9 have to get their shit together all these players they've got to figure out what their fucking wheelhouse is and how to play into it because they it, my problem in this case monty it's not the wins and losses even it's like it's almost like a, a a fucking randomized draft or something i see a new five champions every time i open the fucking page to look at what they played like what it's a lot like Team Liquid earlier this split, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think I think that was one of Liquid's kind of like primary issues was that they were really all over the map when it came to how they wanted to play the game. And one thing that has been helping them out is, yeah, you still have kind of the the Whippo wild card picks up in the top lane, but for the most part at least in this past week, they've returned to playing some, uh, you know, they've, they're on board the Siver train now. Uh, the Draven's getting banned against Hansama. You would have thought that he would have been empowered on this pick consistently throughout this split as it has been quite strong overall. Um, hasn't, hasn't been there. Uh, I think the one thing that was disappointing was in their match against 100 Thieves, Team Liquid couldn't snowball an early game advantage. And in fact, you know, if you had taken nameplates off of this particular game, I would have thought the teams were reversed because to 100 Thieves credit, one thing that they have finally gotten together, it's taken them 
a year, basically, is that their mid and late game shot calling, which was always their biggest fault, if they didn't get these big early game leads, they had problems winning. Now they're able to fight back from behind. They look a lot cleaner in the late game. Meanwhile, Team Liquid gets an early game advantage, and then Bjergsen team fights terribly on Azir, and they lose any kind of advantage that they have. So... I don't think Team Liquid at this point is going to be headed for that championship because they have the same kind of inconsistency. And now that 100 Thieves have apparently snapped back into form and Abadage is looking like the Abadage that we expected when he came over here from Europe once again. Uh, all their lanes are doing very well. They have a depth to their champion pool that I think is quite interesting because they're willing to dig in and play the Santa Seraphine, which then obviously can prompt Senna bans, which you really don't want to have to do uh, within this meta. Uh, they can flex the Seraphine as well. So you know, they're they're annoying. They're, they're very annoying to play against, but they've got an idea of how to play. The Azir is a great win condition for them. When Abadage isn't on the Azir, he can move in and play more supportive mid laners, again, like the Seraphine, like the Talia. And you don't have to have a particularly deep champion pool in this meta because almost all the bands are junglers and 80 carries right now. So, you know, it's not it's not uh, mandatory to have a five, six deep pool. You can you can kind of get away with a lot less right now. The only problem I have is this, though, is this is why the landscape at the top of LCS is a bit dodgy for me, because like. As much as EG and 100 Thieves, clearly the eye test and the record tells you they're the best teams. They also look a bit plateaued as teams, though. Like, they look like they've sort of hit whatever ceiling they're going to hit. Like, they're about as good as I can see them getting both squads. So, like, here's my issue. They're not super dominant even now, mate. Like, these aren't the teams I look at and I go, fuck, imagine playing this against an LPR. That's not the, this is not the year for that. Like, that's when it was past Cloud9 and Team Liquid and TSM squads that were on top. Like, that's the problem I have with this team is like, these two teams look good enough to win LCS, but they don't, like, impress me that much. And the fact that it's even as close with what I think are very flawed, like, good roster teams, but, like, on paper only, that's the thing that I worry about in some ways. Well, I also think like if you if you look at EG, uh, I think 100 Thieves is probably the favorite for the LCS playoffs right now with EG's current form. Uh, they had multiple opportunities to lose to Cloud9. They did lose to 100 Thieves. They did lose to Team Liquid last time they played. Uh, EG has been has been a bit shaky, even though I think Inspired probably is the front runner for the MVP for. LCS, uh, Danny's had some pretty bad games recently where he hasn't been able to be dominant in the lane phase. He's gotten pushed out early on, uh, gotten bullied around. And uh, Jojo Pian, sure, he'll get some nice flanks for you on Ari, uh, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that he is going to be as consistent when it comes to the playoff performance compared to Abadage's current form. It feels like more things need to go right for EG at the current time. More players need to be on point, whereas uh, it seems like everybody on 100 Thieves is doing super well right now. They seem like they've, they're really in form, as it were. And EG, while they can be dangerous, especially in longer games where they have the opportunity to come back, 
it's difficult if you fall behind early because games are really snowbally right now. If the bot lane gets ahead with like a Zeri or a Sivir, it is really, really, really hard to come back um, because the damage output is just so insane. And if you're an item ahead, you have a tremendous advantage. So I don't know how, I don't know how uh, promising I think EG is when it comes to actually picking up a title here. There's there's certainly a world where they lose to Team Liquid, but 100 Thieves do seem like they are a step ahead of everyone else right now. I think the other factor that plays against EG for me is, if you notice, when they were at their best, one of the compliments I give them is that I actually think, like, essentially they designed a great team structure and sort of like a flow of the game, like which lane we play through, when, who is the carry, who has what pick where, how you balance that out. The problem is this. If in the playoffs it ends up just becoming almost like solo queue League of Legends, that like you're just playing and it's just like, you know, stars have to win the games. That's the problem. Is Giorgio Pion going to take over a best of five? I don't know, is he? He could win He could win a game or two. The difference is every other one of these teams they're against has the player who will do that. Like, as much like Abidagi hasn't been that great. He's been good in playoffs, though. Then you look, Bjergsen and Jensen, this is their, this is their fucking job, mate. Like, like, their office is going to the LCS playoffs and carry series. So that's the one issue I have is, like, if you're Giorgio Pion, like, there's a lot on your shoulders for this playoffs, actually. You actually have to step up and show us you actually are a, a top mid laner, not just a mid laner on the top team. There's a distinction there to be made, I think. I mean, it's his rookie year. I think that EG can cruise certainly to a a world slot, even if it's in third place, because I think that there's a pretty big cut between EG, 100 Thieves, and TL and the rest of the field right now. Unless Cloud I'd be surprised 9 if like a, C a C9 or CLG could actually beat him in a best yeah. of five. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, these are players. It's It's always difficult when you have a team that has significant amounts of best of five experience. And while, yeah, sure, Jojo Pion's a rookie, he's actually had significant best of five experience so far this year. A, a lot few more game fives. Than, yeah. yeah, a lot more than many of the CLG players for sure. So, and he's also now been to MSI, played there. So played on stage as well. His, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in spite of his short length of career, um, I would expect him to have fewer nerves than, say, a team like CLG or even potentially FlyQuest, especially with a new top laner in the mix, uh, than, than a team like even Cloud9 or Evil Geniuses, right? So it's it's tough. It's tough to see an up, many upset scenarios in these playoffs. And certainly I think EG can get it together. I think they have the, the capacity to do that. Inspired, as I said, should be the, I think, pretty easy front runner for an MVP because he has been consistent throughout the whole season and hundred thieves simply has not like there aren't players who have performed consistently well on this roster team liquid, you would say exactly the same thing. And then you're starting to get down to, okay, well what players on some of the lower playoff teams may have been Berserker, maybe contributors. Berserker, maybe. Yeah. But I, I think it's hard to argue that in the face of inspired's performance and if the rest also, of if you just look at the team, like inspired, it just looks like he just sets his whole fucking team. Oh, yeah. look at they, they just play around him entirely as style. Course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> just the eye test tells you he's influential. 
Right. And I think as, as much as I like to talk about EG's coaching staff and their draft strategies and everything like that, I think it's difficult to draft against 100 Thieves right now because of the versatility that we talked about earlier and because of the number of kind of interesting pocket picks that this team has. Uh, and also, against another team that can draft pretty well, the draft is only going to get you so far, right? Uh, you have to rely on your players eventually to pick it up in the server. And 100 Thieves is more experienced. And when they've been good, they've been good. They're a streaky team, that's for sure. But it they they do seem to be powering up at exactly the right time heading into these playoffs. Let me think. What was, what was I going to say there, though? There was another angle we had to take. Let me think. Oh, I forgot. Good news. If you're a fan of the show and you've been watching all these years, you know what? Something's been missing. The last sort of, you know, think it through, guys, sort of the last two or three splits. Something hasn't quite been there, has it? You know, every time you watch playoffs and you think, ah, it sucks. Well, you know how many times I've complained? We've both complained, Monty, many times about having eight out of ten teams make the playoffs. This is the one time I'm glad eight out of ten teams make the playoffs. TSM's back in the playoffs, boys. (laughs) So all you need to know is this. You know, before we were sort of like, because it was just shit, we barely talked about them. Well, now we get to actually enjoy them lose. Like, it's going to be funny if TSM comes last in the playoffs. Of course it is. There's no way to get around that. Like, you can make all the excuses you want. It'll happen. So I want to see them play. Because here's the funny thing. If I actually look in the playoffs, there's not a single team they should beat in the best of five. Like, you tell me which team they're supposed to beat, Monty. Because I even think Golden Guardians should beat them, you know? I, well, yeah, but they, they'll never get the chance probably to play Golden yeah, Guardians unless they both sure. win, right? Which is kind of I don't of think they can beat anyone. So to me, they're just going to get dumpstered. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, we were doing the watch party yesterday and I was watching them play against FlyQuest. The fact that they are going in there with this Rek'Sai. Now, look, I'm not going to read too much into that because I'm pretty sure they had that slot locked up no matter what. No, I think they would have actually had to, if Dignitas had beaten Golden Guardians, they would have had to play a tiebreaker for 7th, 8th with Golden Guardians. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. So they didn't have a lot to play for. But the thing about Rek'Sai is that Rek'Sai is just fucking terrible in professional play. It's so fundamentally bad because you have to build basically lethality. And even if you're doing super well as the Rek'Sai, even if you get a massive early game lead, there's not really any point in time in the late game where you're going to be able to get more than one rotation of cooldowns off. And maybe you kill one person with that, but then you're just usually in the middle of the team sitting there and are totally defenseless. And if they kill you, they shut you down and take all your gold, which they will kill you eventually. Uh, or what happens is you have all the gold funneled into you because you took all the kills because your R is an execute and you can one-shot people in the early game and you frequently do pick up those kills. And so the rest of your team doesn't have gold because you took it all. And you're just useless. You're just terrible. So I really dislike Rek'Sai in professional play for these reasons. I think there are maybe some fringe cases where you could make an argument that with specific pick compositions where you're never, ever, ever trying to play in a 5v5 that you may be able to do something with this champion. But against like Gwen, Sivir, Yumi, 
No, there's there's not really any opportunity to win team fights because it's effectively going to be a 4v5 when it comes to the late game, except it's a 4v5 where you are an actual dead weight. You are just a, a weight. Gold is very heavy, guys, very dense material. And you're just a sack of gold that is weighing down, is tied to the ankles of your teammates. And instead of just giving them the gold that they could spend on items. So it is a legit terrible pick. Now, did they pick this because the game was, it wasn't irrelevant, but it was almost irrelevant in the sense of what were the stakes going into playoffs? But it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence overall with this roster. The only thing that is unfortunate, because I've just double-checked this, and sadly, here's the bad news, boys, is that it turns out, because obviously TSM's waiting for the loser of one of the upper bracket matches, right? The problem is, it turns out when you drop on that first round, they alternate Mounty. So actually, they will play the loser of Team Liquid FlyQuest. Now, the dream would have been to play CLG, wouldn't it? Because, oh, Lord, Monty, can you even imagine? Wait a second. Could you imagine if... For, remember, this is world's contention in playoffs. If the way TSM's year ended was literally CLG eliminated them in the best of five, the one because all those tweets would then become triple goated, wouldn't they? The one about Reggie saying about if we have like CLG else on my house, not like mate, it's already that would already be good enough as it is. Like that would be fucking amazing. Because the problem is, like TSM just has no chance whatsoever. That's the thing. They shouldn't even be here. Spoiler: like if Dig and other teams didn't just start actively tanking their rosters. Like, I don't even know if they'd be in playoffs if they were touch and go. And then the problem they've had is this. They've gotten the wins. Like, you look how many wins they've got by the end of the split. It's all right. But the eye test doesn't check out at all. Like, the team's still just... It's just a fundamentally bad team, unfortunately. I mean, they keep changing the parts of the team. I do think Solo is an upgrade for this roster. That but was an old slam dunk. Yeah, exactly. It's obvious. It's it's too little too late, yeah. most likely. And it is shameful that we're getting teams within these playoffs who have 6-12 and 12 and 5-13 and 13 records. Like, who wants to see that? <laughs> Seriously. Who who is excited about watching these games? Oh, you mean you're not excited to watch Monty, a team which, due to the way seeding works, will be playing a much better team who, over an entire split, can win six games, but now they're supposed to win three in five. <laughs> no, that's not a very exciting prospect for obvious reasons. Think about it. Like that sounds terrible. What am I supposed to believe in? You know what I mean? And also then they've got that whole factor as well. Like, you know, we never talk about this because we never talk about TSM. But I tell you what, Monty, the whole like Choi coach thing. Look, I can't know. But like, it doesn't matter what players you've given. It hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. Whatever whatever they were going for there doesn't seem like it's worked out. Like, I don't know what vision he had. Obviously, I would assume he's had a, a tough certain circumstances with the rosters oh, yeah. he's been given. But even so, like... There's nothing about this team's good, I'm afraid. So, like, I, I feel like you, you almost have to just wipe the deck with it. I mean, look, uh, I, I'm just happy because now somebody at TSM finally has to do the job of GM instead of just it being on easy mode because you yep. have Bjergsen to attract all the talent. We've seen how skilled TSM is at being a GM when they don't have Bjergsen. Turns out Bjergsen was the most important aspect of TSM the entire time, which was obvious from the outside. But somebody has to get it together and convince people to join this org. And it is difficult to convince people to join losing orgs without a lot of talent. It's difficult to retain people. Like, Spika shouldn't want to be on this team anymore. Surely Spika has other options. He could go, he could easily replace Santorin on Team Liquid right now. Uh, I think he 
he's a superior player at the at the current circumstance. And guess whose contract is expiring in November? It's Pika's. So he should be able to play the field really quite easily, I would think. He would be an upgrade on many of the rosters throughout the LCS. All right, we done with LCS? Do I do you want to do some predictions? Yeah, cool then. So obviously the most interesting one is CLG C9. So yeah, what do you think for this Team Liquid one? over FlyQuest. I'm taking uh, Team Liquid, yeah, of course. But I, listen, I still think FlyQuest can like, win a game, make it, but they shouldn't win the series, obviously, yeah. Because the problem is, right now, I'd have to pick CLG, right? Here's the issue, though, Monty. This is where, though, I'm going to put my, like, CSGO on. And I'm going to imagine I'm on a desk. Because here's the difference, right? If I'm going purely off betting and just thinking of, like, maybe I would go CLG, right? But the problem is this. The analyst in me tells me you usually go with experience, basically, and star power yep. in the playoffs. So that's the problem. I also feel like there's a world where they turn up and CLG sort of like mildly, not doesn't choke, but just mildly underperforms. Then C9, Jensen has a cut, like a game on Talia where you carries. Bjorker has like two Zeri. You know what I mean? You can you can start to talk yourself into how they win like 3 1 or something, you know? I think if. Uh, fuck it. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to go with C9 then. There we go. I'm going to take C9. <laughs> okay. I've made my mind up. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, I think it's really just the veteran status yes. of many of the Cloud9 players that gives me pause. And the thing about C9 is they certainly have a higher ceiling. It's just that they're held back at times by their own draft and in-game decisions. And then uh, oftentimes it feels like one player, they just trade turns being who the dead weight on the roster is. And the rest of the team kind of has to just struggle to drag them over the finish line whether it's fudge or jensen or black like they all take turns so it is tough but at the same time clg is not the most meta team at the moment you know what they're going to do they love having this yone they love flexing it between mid and top lane they're not playing standard tank tops uh they're not like they 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 are to a certain degree reliant on those solo lanes. Dokla can have some very bad games at times. He he is his consistency isn't quite there. I Luger, as impressive as he has been in the past, you would think that this would be a big Luger carry meta, but we haven't necessarily seen the big Luger carry games. Like he is not really in the conversation when it comes to best 80s, top three ADCs within the LCS right now. Uh, so I think I probably also just lean to C9, but I think this is likely to be a close series overall. But I, I, I just can't, I can't get over the fact that CLG's players are just simply too inexperienced and will probably suffer some level of nerves within a playoff best of five. That's the problem. Basically, the issue is this. Like, people might think if they watched the Summoning Insight when we've touched on LCS or Competitive Edge, like, that's weird. Why have you just turned on CLG out of nowhere? Because actually, this is the logical moment, too. Basically, part yeah. of the reason I was giving them so many props in the regular season is because they were a consistent team with a clear identity. And they had this, what on paper, should be underpowered roster. But they were getting all these wins off all these teams that are messy rosters. The problem is, when it comes to the playoffs, like, that then becomes a factor. Like, as much as that seemed like an upside, like, there's no one player I could rely on here if the game collapses carries the game like Paulo Fox isn't that player yet I'm afraid like maybe he was supposed to be he hasn't been that player yet as you say even the Luka guy it's not like look it's not like Prince in fucking LCK he's not really gonna like 1v9 the whole game like yeah, exactly. it's just a good player like that's the problem they have on their team is they have to win as a team and the problem is I could see the experience part being what fractures the team 
They've certainly been well coached, though, and done a good job generally, I think. It's also that over the course of a BO5, if there is a weird pocket pick that they run, like the Yone, you can just, if you lose a game to it, you just start banning it, and you see how deep they go and how many ways they have to actually win games uh, with carries in different roles. And I think at least you can, you know, Berserker and Jensen are capable of carrying harder than their counterparts on the side of, uh, and, and Fudge as well. I mean, basically everyone is capable of carrying harder on the side of Cloud9. Now, CLG has had significantly more consistency when it comes to teamwork, but when the other problem, I think, for CLG is that in a best of one, when you have your own picks, it can be very difficult for teams to prep for you in the same week that they're prepping for other teams, right? Because you can't really focus in and spend an entire week preparing for that one matchup that you're facing. And if a team's doing has their own style and is playing kind of weird, they tend to overperform in best of ones. But when you're sitting there planning, mapping out an entire best of five, it becomes a lot easier to target their strengths and exploit their weaknesses. And CLG is kind of predictable. Absolutely. And also, like, let's be real as well on that one as well. They also, it's not even like their coaches experience. There's just experience throughout the team, unfortunately. So, like, this is an example of where it actually reminds me, funnily enough, of the CLG team that people actually look back on fondly with Power of Evil back in like season nine or whatever. Like, that was a team that got good. But again, it, some, a lot of the players were inexperienced, never made it in the playoffs in the same way. So, this is just unfortunately the nature of the league. Like, Essentially, on some level, CLG got boosted a little bit by the fact that some of the big name rosters didn't perform. Otherwise, they would be themselves in like the sixth spot, Monty, and it would be like they're not going to Worlds, but maybe there's an outside chance. Like, so I think there's some pressure on them. I also think, as well, by the way, when are you ever going to get a better shot at going to Worlds than what they have in this opening match? You have a Cloud9 that hasn't got it together yet, and if you win this, you what, guaranteed top four or something? Like, you're in pretty good fucking sort of maybe top six or something. Let me check. I think it would be right. Yeah, you guarantee top six if you get the next win. So you're not that far. You're only two wins from Worlds or something, right? Yep. Almost. Yeah. yeah something like that. Yeah. Um, basically, like, if you make the winner's bracket semifinals, you're, you're, pretty, much, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to be at Worlds because there's only going to be three teams remaining, right? So, yeah. Should be, I, I think it should be pretty easy to to guarantee those spots. Um, yeah, all you have to all you have to do is win one best of five if you're if you're in if you're EG or Hundred Thieves, and I think you automatically will qualify for Worlds. Certainly, a super comfortable position to be in. And by the uh, way, for the other one, Team Liquid, they haven't. They don't just have to win this match. They have to smash this fucking series. They have to make us believe that they look really good against FlyQuest. They have I to. Mean, what one would hope that they one would hope that they could. Uh, I, FlyQuest is, has been a team that, uh, ha, on their high highs, has been good. I mean, Takui seems like he's cut out for this meta. His champion pool is is very well suited to what's going on in terms of the control mages right now. But I just can't believe that this team is like the Whippo versus Philip matchup is just seems absolutely fucking doomed right now. Whippo's been in pretty good shape. In fact, he's probably been the best player on Team Liquid's roster over the past several weeks. Uh, and him playing against a rookie, I think he's just going to eat him alive. 
think he's just getting the joke it. is if they still had Niles, then you'd have to call Whipple Frazier because he's about a big brother, this motherfucker, isn't he? So it's not it's a bit of a crowbar that one, but whatever. It worked in the end. Worked in the end. By the way, that's how I know I'm a boomer. No, almost no one even made any Frazier jokes when that guy was in the LCS, like, mate. You just you have to call looking a gift horse in the mouth there, mate. If someone called Niles was there, you had to keep saying Niles, Niles. I'd have a million jokes. I mean, for start off, there's all like, like when they throw the game. Like, guess you could call that Monty tossed salads and scrambled eggs all over their faces. But you know, by the way, as a random aside, there actually was because someone did it as a meme on my Discord. This is hilarious. They did some sort of like you know, like a, I'm guessing it was like a trade fair where they had like an appearance of the people from the show Frasier Monty. Well, do you remember? You know, the tagline famously in the song was like, "And those to salad." and scrambled eggs so they'd gotten two logos Monty this is real of Frasier and under one it said tossed salads and under the other one it says scrambled eggs now what what do you think the set designer maybe didn't think through when designing that as a separate set of logos it's just a sign saying tossed salads like <laughs> not really what I'm thinking of when I think of Frasier, really. Yeah, it's probably probably intentional. Probably intentional. more like more like if I'm thinking of the short Oz, mainly in that one for prison <laughs> yeah, break or something. You know, more, more <laughs> along those lines. I feel like exactly. <laughs> All right, we should talk about LCK a, a yes, little bit. Uh, sure. Obviously, we talk about that a lot on the Monty and Wolf Show, also on this channel. Another reason for you to subscribe. So if you want more in depth commentary on LCK, that is where you go. Uh, but touching on LCK, Genji. Looks like they are by far and away the favorites to go ahead and win this split, especially because T1 is coming off of getting absolutely hammered by Live Sandbox in a game that did not matter. It has to be said. At the end of this split, there were a bunch of games that just didn't really matter overall for the standings. Um, T1 now bounced back and did pick up another meaningless win <laughs> uh later on in the week um and uh, against Don Juan. Uh so that was I, I guess a positive uh for them. Uh but you know Don Juan looks it's kind actually Don Juan that I'm really worried about me. <laughs> Yeah, like you can see what you like about T1. T1's problem is Gen G exists. Dan one's problems are just Dan one, mate. They got their own fucking issues. I mean, it's crazy to me that after Dan one came back, put Bible in, and looked competitive with Gen G, in fact, nearly beat Gen G, then apparently the reason why. Uh, anyway, shout out Door, because if, if there was ever a Korean ridiculous name invented for you, my brother, when your work. <laughs> You just missed the era because Bible, you would have done so much with that. I already know, mate. I already know you would. So shout out to He would have loved I mean, that. Absolutely. The, you know, the thing about Damon Kia was that it was their mid and late game shot calling, which you saw glaringly flawed against T1. They couldn't actually convert a lead and were fighting meaningless dragons and kind of inting into T1 and causing T1 to win games. But Damon, they. They looked like they did have better shot calling with Bible in this roster, and apparently Kellen had COVID, and maybe that was the reason why he wasn't playing. Now that's not confirmed, but that's the suspicion: uh, is that he was he may have been you know feeling too badly in order to play these games, so they bring Bible in to play instead. Whereas most people thought at the time that this was because of their shot calling issues that they were going to at least try Bible out, and this was going to be something that they were potentially going to take into playoffs and to. Even if they didn't do well in playoffs into the world's regional qualifier and a bid to get to worlds, I do think Don Juan looked better against Gen G than they did uh, 
this week as a whole, like beating Guangdong Freaks is not inspiring in any way, shape, or form. That's an expected result. But their performance was pretty miserable uh, against Team At least in fucking player from Canyon was fucking god tier, though. It's <laughs> so was, bizarre, because if people was. don't know, he's actually had, like, again, like a fairly fucking underwhelming year, but that was a fucking unbelievable player, though. Uh, yeah, that, that play was absolutely like i had to watch that like five times to even figure out what he was doing mate. it was mental, I, but, but thor and that's how you get baited by damwon it because is for yes. every because you see that clip and you're like oh shit these guys are really good or you see oh man they like they like beat gen g with jungle karthus and you're like wow cool what like depth of champion pool or you you look at some of their drafts and you're like wow this talia flex into Callista is super interesting who's playing it is it is it canyon is it showmaker but the reality is that you're seeing some very cherry picked highs and you're you're probably if you're not really watching LCK you're not seeing the insane lows that this team has canyon absolutely getting you know blasted in the jungle by Pioshik on DRX uh him playing what 13 14 different champions so far this split some of them were good ideas some of them were very bad ideas off meta and so in a way, like Dom Juan is spoiled for a a wealth of depth in terms of their champion pools, and they have, I would say, one of the, if not the, like most flexibility in terms of champion pools of honestly any team in the world. Like th these guys play a lot of fucking champs, um, but they haven't settled on a way that they can be consistent. And as as Good as some of these comps are in theory, the actual execution of them in practice often leaves a lot to be desired as they ignore their own relatively simple win conditions a lot of the time. It's like against T1, you get a huge advantage. You get donated this massive advantage in the early game by T1. They they play a little bit too aggressively. Dom one gets a bunch of kills. They even get the first Drake. T1's playing an early game composition. Just let them have the fucking second Drake. You don't need it. You're not trying to snowball drinks. You already slowed down the game. You already have the advantage. Don't fight a Samira in a choke point. And then they just go in all in and you just wonder what the hell they're thinking. Um, and also, you contrast that with the fact that Liv Sandbox and KT have gotten better as the split has gone on. It seems like every week these teams are performing just a little bit better than they did the week before. KT played an incredibly competitive game against Genji that was again meaningless for Genji it was meaningless <laughs> Genji could lose this game and it wouldn't have done anything except Genji by winning did actually set the record for largest map differential within the LCK in history so even though they lost a match to T1 they actually had a bigger I mean, difference between impressive itself, maps win and lost yeah. than T1 did last split think about this I mean, T1 has won LCK a billion times. Like any time you can set a record and your name isn't T1, you've done something fucking amazing in LCK. Yeah. Yeah. Dom1 also had a plus 29, and then Genji just hit the plus 30. And remember, Genji has only lost five like games and one match. So five games. Two of those were to T1 the first time they played. They lost zero to T1 the second time they played. In both of their best of both of their best of threes with Dom One, they lost one game. So Dom One is actually a, it, it can be a problematic matchup, I think, for for Gen G, but they're not likely to actually face it within these playoffs. Um, the last was this KT one that didn't matter. The last was the KT one, which was a, a, a series that didn't matter. And KT is legitimately a pretty good team right now. Like 
Rascal has successfully he he's a he has been in the past an extremely skilled laner who gets a lot of solo kills, but his macro play and like teamwork was lacking. He often seemed like he was selfish, playing for KDA, uh, making bad macro calls, which to be fair, was also the reason they lost to Live Sandbox last the week before, right? Was that he made a really bad macro call when they had total vision control over a dragon and allowed his team to be wiped in a 5v4. Um, it was really dumb. Uh, but that has happened a lot less than it has in the past. And now, more often than not, Ra Rascal is providing the pressure while he's not dying and is playing well around his team. Vikla's a rookie who looks great on control mages, looks great on Ari, looks great on Silas. And again, mid laners don't have to have the deepest champion pool right now to be effective. And in the meantime, Cuz has been quietly solid and aiming has been a fucking monster. So you, you got to believe that this is heading in KT and Live Sandbox's direction. Live Sandbox also, Closer has stepped up. The problem with Live Sandbox is Dove in the top lane is... A, like the lowest economy mid laner in the LCK. And so they have less versatility. So as impressive as especially Prince has been and Kyle have been, like their bot lane's very good right now, KT just seems to have a pretty significant edge in the top side because they can just play more styles. When you have this Renekton coming back up and you see what Rascal can do with it, uh, you're just not going to expect that same level of play out of Dove. So they, I think they match up pretty evenly in most other spots on the map. Um, maybe Croco has higher highs than Cuz, but certainly has lower lows than Cuz. Um, but Rascal is, I think, the reason why I would say at this point in time, KT probably has that advantage in these playoffs. And KT realistically could be the best team in these quarterfinals. And if you look at the way the LCK playoffs play out, um, you know, Gen G is going to pick their opponent. And if I'm Gen G, I, 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 if Dom1 beats KT and they suddenly click into form, because again, it is hard to bet against veterans or to predict against veterans of this caliber, like on Dom1 within playoffs, especially because KT has like a rookie mid laner versus Showmaker. Um, but I don't think Gen G is going to pick Dom One or KT because if Dom One wins, Dom One's probably in some has snapped into form, and like that matchup's bad for Gen G. So they pick Live Sandbox. Live Sandbox is a very known quantity. Like they're good at what they do, but they, you know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, DRX is hopeless. They are trash right now, so they should easily be handled by Live Sandbox. If, there is, if that's anything but a three zero, it will be surprising. Um, One thing so I think is quite cool, though, is like the amount of the smaller teams in the playoffs, Monty, where their strength is fucking ADC. Like, dude, against yep. T1, that will be very interesting when some of these teams play because that spot, Yumiushi's spot, is still the fucking leak on that team, mate. It's still very. I mean, Yumiushi is not a top three ADC this split. Not at all. Not not even close, guys. Like, Ruler is probably the MVP of this entire split, number one. Um, and then number two, uh, there are just, I mean, look the at the Prince other guy. AD if you go on recency bias, would have it immediately, Prince, wouldn't he? Yeah. Prince aiming. Uh, these guys are definitely better. And then Gumiyushi could certainly be in the conversation for, is he better than Doktan? Like that's actually that's actually a conversation you could have. I would say he probably is. Um, 
but there have been significant. So, like, listen, there's been a few Doctor Dan Carry games though. It's like people like oh, under yeah. it, like I a tiny bit. I think you know because they still I mean, act like everyone. Everyone and Dan majority a top side team. It isn't actually sometimes they do, they do win games off ADC sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, they they definitely have. Um, I would say he's more limited, but the problem with Gumiyushi is that when Gumiyushi has looked his best recently, it's been on like Draven and Samira. And that's why you see so many Draven bands coming out against T1. And if he has to play the scaling game and play the Sivir or play the Zeri, he hasn't looked as good as many of the other. It's like, my number one pet peeve of Gumiyushi. It's the same reason I fucking hate watching Kazi play in Europe. How many times do these guys go melee range and just get killed in fights? Like, you're the fucking ADC, mate. The amount of times these guys could kite and they just go in and just get, like, blown up. It's it's outrageous. Like, Loco said it years ago on this show. It was something like fucking six years ago now. If you're an ADC, one of your number one responsibilities is be responsible for the gold and don't die. These guys don't get it. Gumiushi doesn't get it at all. He really just thinks, like, go next. Like, it's not a scrim, bro. Like, this is a fucking game and you're the ADC. You can't die if I invest gold in you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm I'm concerned about T1 overall because when the only good news for them is it, this Monty, there's four world spots. That's <laughs> that's fucking great news because as I'm saying, look, yeah. uh, look on paper, yes, they should of course get a top. They should probably be in the final, but it, they're way shakier than people realize, I feel like Monty. Like there's a world where they could fuck up this semi even. I, I mean, the thing is is that even if they fuck up the semi, as long as Genji wins, they should automatically get a world spot because they have so many points yes. on the yes. circuit, right? Because they're they're guaranteed top four. They were first place in spring. And so what happens in LCK is the winner of summer goes as first seed and the second seed is whoever has the most championship points. So uh, it may it may be very difficult if, and Genji is almost certainly going to win these playoffs, that if if anybody but Genji wins, then Genji will probably go. But if Genji wins, then T1 will probably go. Um, that's just that's just how it's going to work in terms of these points. Um, yeah, I, I I'm concerned about T1. I think that there is a world if KT if either Dom Juan comes into form or KT beats Dom Juan that T1 could lose in these in these semifinals. KT versus T1 has been a very close match all year. Even when KT was much worse in the spring, uh, T1 has matched up kind of badly uh, against KT. And yes, T1 did beat KT both of the times they faced them this split. But if you watch those games, you know that how really on a knife's edge they were and they could have really gone either way. So KT is there... Uh, they're they're really like ramping up at exactly the right time coming into these playoffs, and I think that they are fundamentally more dangerous than Live Sandbox at the present time simply because of that top lane. And if you look at T1, Zayas is arguably their best player this split. He was probably in the MVP conversation. I think the MVP conversation boils down to five players. It's Ruler. Chovy. Gen G player spoiler. Let's be really it's just going to be, but okay. Which right. of them is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you value. Like yes. Trovi has been as dominant as usual in lane, but his macro play has gotten a lot better and he's carried a lot of these games. Ruler has been the star player in an ADC meta. He actually gets surprisingly few resources. Like his efficiency, when you compare his gold that he gets after 15 minutes to his damage he gets after 15 minutes he's second lowest in the league in terms of cs after 15 that's given to him but he's second highest damage by percentage of any adc so his efficiency is just nuts now part of this is because genji as a team 
just gets all of the CS on the map. I talk about this at length on the Monty and Wolf show, and I might do, actually do a video on this to show you guys how they do lane assignments and how this happens. If you are interested, uh, leave a comment, tweet at me, whatever. I'll, I'll think about doing it. Um, but basically, Gen G gets 51.6% of the minions in the game in terms of lane minions, and they get fifty nine over 59% of the jungle minions. So they just get way more gold than other teams. And to put this in perspective, they were, as of last week, I haven't checked this week, about a full percentage point higher in terms of lane CS than any other team in the world. And they were about five percentage points higher in jungle CS. And they're doing these things at the same time, right? They take all the minions. They are so methodical in how they assign people to lane so they just don't miss CS, they don't miss waves, and they just have a fuck ton more gold than you as a result. And they're really good at funneling it into Ruler and, and especially Chovy, but Chovy gets the most of it, right? Um, but even Doran is not poor in these games. Like, So even though we would look at Ruler and say, okay, by percentage, he's getting the second lowest among 80 carries. By absolute value, is actually third or fourth, I think, in CS per minute because Genji just gets more CS than you. They take your jungle, they just choke you out, and they come into these games with massive gold leads by the end. So that is the strength of Genji right now is that their efficiency in sucking gold out of the map is just so, so high. They are on another plane compared to every other team in every other region in the world statistically when it comes to doing this. Um, and it's For hard me, to, it's if hard. I'm picking the MVP, though, here's the thing. I personally think there's no wrong answer out of Ruler and Chovy. They've both been so exceptional, and the team is just, as we say, they've just dominated everyone else. Like It's fine for either to win. Here's the thing, though. I suspect it will actually be Ruler, because here's the reason why. Because when you're the, t the ADC and you carry a team fight like Ruler does, it's just <laughs> obvious, like, you were the guy. Where's the problem you're with Chovy is, no yeah. one wants to, it's not sexy to go be with up to any CS. Like, no one cares about that, sadly, unfortunately. So <laughs> even though, actually, I think if you're Chovy, it's like you haven't done anything wrong whatsoever. You've had one of the best splits probably a Midland has ever had in the history of League of Legends. The problem is, I just think, like, if you look at the way it plays out, people will remember right. Ruler more. And, and like the thing about Peanut too is that Peanut is the primary voice in terms of shot calling on this team. They have had incredible macro. Peanut has basically created the poppy priority meta around the world. His jungle pathing has been wildly creative. Uh, he's the, he's responsible for a lot of the early game leads. So if you want to credit him as being the brains behind the team, he could be MVP. Prince, obviously, Closer has stepped up recently, but Prince has been a huge factor in Live Sandbox taking third place. You it would be the one way, you know, the traditional, it's actually how sports tend to do it, if you notice. Most sports do the MVP by wins over replacement logic. Yeah. Obviously, Prince would win instantly off that, yes. because if any other ADC, <laughs> like, especially at the level they could get, would be in there, they wouldn't have any of these. They'd have half the wins at most. Probably yeah. even less. I, like, like, would they be in play? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a exactly. real conversation to be had. Like, would they be in playoffs without Prince? Uh, would they you know, uh, or would they just be like sixth place or, or something of the sort? Because remember, we know, we know what they look like without Prince. It was spring split where they were ninth place. <laughs> and not to say that that was entirely Prince's doing, but him coming into this roster was extremely important for Live Sandbox and him walking in, in the meta that has currently developed where he can just, absolutely smash people um 
is is great for him. So, yeah, I mean, he looks he looks super good. Um, and then finally, you would you would ask yourself, okay, does Zayas deserve it? Zayas had a very strong start to the split, but the problem right now is that with T one is not prioritizing their pressure around Zayas in top lane, which means he's playing weak side, which means he's playing a bunch of tanks, basically, in the current meta. And it's confusing, but at the same time, I have to assume that the reasoning behind this is that in scrims, when they don't do this, the bot lane does very badly. Like, I can only assume that bot lane is just completely throwing these games uh, in scrims, and so they kind of have to have Zayas, who's their best performing player, maybe on champions that don't have the biggest impact in order to win. So. That's that's a bummer because you don't want to see that if you're a T1 fan. Like you want to see them trying to carry, but apparently Gumiyushi is incapable of Gumiyushi and Carry are incapable of playing conservatively on the bot side with some of these hyperscaling AD carries in a way where they can kind of shift focus to Zayas in the top lane. By the way, as a general rule, if you play a weak side slash tank, you shouldn't be allowed to win MVP, in my opinion, because spoiler. You and your own team are signaling that you aren't the most important player in your team. Now, well, I know people or... will use this logic, Monty, that I hate, which goes like this. But if he didn't do that, then how could... Because it's basically what they're doing with, like, Niski in Europe now. Like, but El Yoyan, that could have played that without him. It's like, but they did once he was there. But they did, though. But you, had, you do acknowledge that they did, though, once he did it. Because here's the problem. This is the analogy, Monty. It goes like this, right? Imagine that there was a, a, a fence, right? And that we can't see over the fence, but we need to shoot a target that's on the other side of the fence with a bone arrow right you can't shoot the target because you're not tall enough now imagine i let you stand on my shoulders and then you shot the target you it was impossible for you to do it without me but you still shot the target all i did is say you stand on my shoulders so i'm sorry i don't care how amazing your fucking season five maokai player was or your fuck that's why i always said fucking about Ma marion wasn't the mvp he was playing fucking maokai for fuck's sake <laughs> how dare you tell me about kai man is the best he player in the like world he was like 23 and one on maokai though <laughs> i don't care i hate i hate anyone who says that's the carry it isn't it isn't even no, his I, own I team wasn't carrying Aussie logically. Come on. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I agree though, on the I, point, though. The problem with the peanut one is almost certainly he won't put peanut almost certainly won't win MVP, but it's because unfortunately it's only people who are like coaches breaking on the VOD are gonna see what he did basically. It's not it's not gonna be as obvious in the on the to the fan in the replay, is it? That's the problem. So I don't think Peanut can win. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think Ruler is probably deserving. Yeah, I, I, I think, think so. Especially yeah, when you think, think here's, the, here's the other angle that people forget is, remember Ruler and fucking Trophy need that L LCK title? Like, they, this guy has been waiting a long time for this sort of scenario. So I, I also think it would just narratively be a cool angle because he also deserves it from his player. I mean, Ruler and Jovi deserve a title this this Absolutely. Play. It's, it's going to be really... I think it's going to be very difficult to stop them because they do seem that they are a cut of above. Um, but yeah, uh, I, it'll be, it'll be tough unless T1 can actually figure their shit out very quickly, which really hasn't happened this whole split. Like T1, this is why P it's not that T1 is bad idiot T1 fans who are going to accuse me as usual of being a hater, but it's that when you live and die by insane playmaking from owners lease in or like these incredibly clutch moments, the problem is, is that analysts, if expect you to regress to the mean at some point in time like you're you're not playing optimally right you're not you're like you shouldn't be in these situations whether it's because of your champion pools or because of the way you play the game where the clutch play should be necessary and 
it feels like a lot of these were 50-50s, except T1 was winning them 75% of the time, and that's what was causing them. To, it, 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 it appeared to be an overperformance. So it's frustrating because at the same time, if they are just this clutch, you just kind of have to sit back and say, well, fuck, I guess they're just going to make an amazing Lee Sin play and they're going to win the game off of this. And what do you say to that? Like, shouldn't happen, but it does happen. And that's then something you have to factor into your analysis. But over a long enough timeline, you just don't want to be in that position over and over and over and over and over again while you don't fix the flaws that are causing you to need to make the clutch plays. Meanwhile, Gen G is just absolutely smashing people. They can play from behind now. They played from behind against T1 and did very well. They played from behind against uh, Damwon Kia and did very well. And we know they're good when they get leads in the early game. So basically, all my questions have been answered. Gen G, I have a lot more faith at Gen G of Worlds than I do about than I did about T1 at MSI, where T1 was winning basically using one style that was taught to them by KT. They didn't even invent it. They almost lost to KT, and then they they just caught they be, they just mimicked KT style and then applied it to some new compositions and rolled into MSI. Here's my biggest concern for T1. The biggest concern actually isn't Gumayusi. Here's the biggest concern. If you were to open a transcript of this episode, no one's even said the name Faker yet. We had a whole discussion about T1, LCK, LCK good. playoffs. Are you ready? MVP candidate. He was an MVP candidate, Monty. His team's second place. He's not even MVP candidate. Because, spoiler, he is nowhere near the best mid laner. Not only that, he's not even... I don't think people get this. People hated on me last year at Worlds when I said this. People hated on me in the spring when they're undefeated. If T1 wins, they win as a team. And if it's a player, it ain't Faker. Faker is a complementary player within his team. The funny thing is, in, in many ways, like, he's still a good player, but he isn't the guy who's going to like 1v9 the series. He's not the guy who's going to give me everything. And t- that's not who Faker is anymore, guys. He's just a good player now. I think that at the current... If we take this point in time... Faker is probably the fourth best mid laner in LCK. That's fair. Be- behind Vikla, Closer, and of course, Chovy. Showmaker? Right? What about uh, Showmaker? Showmaker has been bad. There's <laughs> the difference. I guess, I guess I'll say this. Showmaker has more pop-offs. I guess it's maybe 50 picks. He, he has some bad games too. Uh, but but Vikla and Closer have powered up towards the end of the split. If I'm taking the entire split into consideration, I probably say Faker's number two because he started like he was eclipsed by this point in time by some of these other players, but he started as being better than them. Um, so I think if we include the earlier parts, I would say number two. If we're talking literally right now, this point in time, I would say he's he's probably third or fourth. And then here's another issue, though. When you say he's number two, the gap between him and Chauvy's enormous. Yes. Now, now, (laughs) this is where, if you're a Faker fan, actually sit the fuck down. Because when Faker was on top and Faker was way ahead of all the other guys in second and third, like Nagni and those guys, you wanted us to wax the recorder. You wanted us to point out, like, ah, he humiliates them how much better he is. That's how much better Chauvy is now. So just sit down. Faker's had his time. It was years and years ago. Now it's Chauvy's time to shine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, reality. Yeah. I'll tell you the one that I find depressing just because it was a mixture of roster moves and then the fact that like his team actually sucks now it's like mate it's actually just depressing watching BDD in the fucking basement bin like can this guy have a good team again can he, can he can he please come back to play again can BDD come out to play like what's going on this guy was like a guy, he's won a million MVPs in this league like how have they done him so dirty with this dog shit team he's on the fuck <laughs> even had a good world if people don't remember I mean 
he stepped up big at Worlds, right? The, yeah, the meta was there, like yeah. Zoe was insane. I, it's obvious Nongshim Red Force like really underperformed. It, they had they had much like there's one of those teams where they were much less than the sum of their parts. Like Kana, Dread, BDD, and Ghost are all not bad players. Paper, now, like they're all players who used to be in top teams, but they're all right. rejects now. Yeah. Now Effort is a terrible player. He fucking sucked this split. He was god-awful losing them games. But they had no synergy. They didn't look like they wanted to play together. Uh, they were terrible as a unit. But, that said, they did actually end the split kind of strong. Uh, they took games off of T D T1 and DRX. They won their last two matches. Uh, that would be much more of the form that we would have expected from a roster with these names on it. Uh, I, there was obviously something that went very internally wrong at Nongshim. Uh, that caused this to occur because it it is abnormal that this group of players would be this bad. By the way, one thing I'll never, ever, ever let people do as well is when they do, because they're going to do it ready, Monty, they're going to pull the Bjergsen on Fake Canal and they're going to go, but why would he play a carry champion when he could just support Zeus and Orna carrying the map? Because he plays mid lane, you fucking moron. Is this day one of League of Legends for you? The joke is nobody out of choice plays supportive mid lane. It doesn't exist. It's like support orpers, Monty. You only do it if the guy can't be a real orper. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you pick that first, wouldn't you? Like, you would never choose to have the middle of the map collapsing on itself. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever in League of Legends, does it? I mean, Especially I think, not in the I mean, modern day with fucking priorities so important as well. Come on, guys. Come on. Faker, Faker is definitely not a liability on this no, team. No, of course like, not. He's had a good, he's had a good season. His consistency level is very good. Yeah. Like, what uh, he actually knows, by the way, which I respect, he knows how to let himself be carried some games. A lot of stars can't do that if they're like, they were the god player like him, you know, like an Uzi Eye type guy. Yeah, and by the way, if anyone's never seen when Uzi Eye comes out, he tries to do it again. He comes back in years later and is like, give me the whole team, like it's season five. Like, Faker at least actually understands the way his bread's buttered, mate. He knows that, like, this is uh, this is Zeus's team. And by the way, top and fucking jungle are the best players right now. So let them carry, of course. I mean, listen, support's amazing, but he just can't connect with the fucking, he's got an idiot in his lane, in, in, so I have to take him out of the equation for a sec i mean figure also bodied showmaker on on ari this last week like he he certainly can have well, it's his, definitely his one of his pop. picks for sure he's yeah, still yeah. he that. definitely yeah. has the, the, the pop-off games i think the issue is really just that t1 for whatever reason cannot play with the versatility of picks in their side lanes so they've been consistently kind of playing on the fringes of the meta and that's an issue. Like they, they really haven't been able to master the poppy at any point in time for owner. They were defaulting to Lee Sin, which is a, a just straight up a less powerful pick right now. They can't seem to get carries into the top lane, whether that's because it requires too much focus from Zayas or Zayas is individually underperforming on them, or Gumiyushi can't survive if if he's not getting the focus in the bot lane, and so they just lose the game. Like we don't know the answer to why they're doing what they're doing, but their wins I also are think as well. By the way. That's another problem I have with Team One. Like, as you said, that they essentially the style that people think they invented, that they mastered, that they came to MSI with, was just a copy and paste of what KT did to them with the worst yeah. team. It's worse than that, dude, because I actually get the vibe, no joke. When I watch T1 draft, I think T1 is the ultimate fucking pea brain global meta drafting team. Like, I like the joke is, like you're saying, mate, I would be so cynical right now with how I see Gumi's play. I would just be like, look, Zeus, welcome to the fucking, you are the god of top lane meta. We're going to give you every pick, every resource. Set you up. They don't do that like they, they just play comps where it's like it's you wouldn't even know this was the star player game. yeah you wouldn't even know this was the star player because i don't get it myself but i would play through that lane like a motherfucker think about who their rivals are most of their rivals have a weak top lane it's mental yeah i don't get it 
Because yep. think about this. If if you knew T1 was going to play through the top lane, now suddenly half the fucking teams in playoffs have no chance against T1. They would just lose lane outright. Yes. Uh, I think, it, I think, it, I also think that that's the problem that they're going to face in the semifinal because I would be shocked if Genji didn't pick Liv Sandbox out of the available teams because Liv Sandbox is going to beat DRX. That should be incredibly one sided. The question is whether it's Dom One or KT on the bot side. And either way, uh, if, if Dom One wins, I bet you Nuggery's doing pretty well. And Rascal is very good right now. Rascal in this moment, is performing better than Zayas. In the last two weeks, Rascal has been a better player than Zayas has. Um, and they're willing to put the resources into Rascal to carry. So it becomes really scary. Like, the possibility of T1 legit straight-up losing a telecom war if KT beats Damankia is, is not zero. And again, we go back to the fact that do we think that we really want to put our eggs if in the You're those K- T1 fans. Here's the thing. Don't even let the truck go home. <laughs> Don't even let the truck go home. Just tell it to pull back up in two weeks. Like, just come <laughs> back. Like, how much longer have you got? No, that's the problem, by the way, in general in these playoffs is there's a lot of rookies. Like, that's the problem with the live sandbox angle. Though. But how would you believe in them? Come on, man. The entire team's just rookies and nobody's like, if they can really hold it together with the pressure of LCK playoffs, I don't think so. It seems <laughs> no. implausible, doesn't it? Come on. I, and so I don't know if I would, if I would realistically pick KT versus T1 simply because of the veterancy angle. Uh, only Vickler's going to shit his pants when he sees he's on stage in the front Vickler of a class, and then he sees you know what I mean like, that's, like as you know from CSGO mates in CSGO yeah, it's, it's probably the most extreme one but we just see people just disappear in those games yeah exactly like, that's, that's yeah. why that's why I, I like and you know it's going to be hard I think for KT even against even though I think they will beat Dom One Kia the fact that they have to go through like Vickler's as a rookie is going to have to go through Showmaker and then probably Faker or Chovy. I mean, like, pick. It's just a murderer's row, right? Even though Showmaker hasn't been great, even though Faker has uh, arguably been worse than Vikla in the last couple of weeks, on this patch, at least. Let's put it that way. Um, You know, I I don't think that Vikla is going to be able to dig deep enough to overcome two best of fives like that, right? And then even if he does, it would probably be a slaughter in the finals. So, yep, that's 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 my take on the LCK playoffs. Anything less than a Gen G victory would be utterly and completely shocking. Also, um, here's another angle as well. The other thing that I also love, if if they can win Gen G, is all those fucking times I've seen my boy Peanut just fucking chug like bro again. This is set up for you, mate. Come on, look <laughs> at the way this. Like, what team can stand against you? You got a better team, better teammates. You are better. You're you are an MVP. Like, this is the time to win LCK again, mate. This is it. Like, I know it's he years, also, years back now. It's time to win it again now, mate. He also lives in the jungler's paradise of his mid laner winning mid lane every single exactly. game. Exactly. Yes, that's insane. Like the amount of that is such a freeing feeling as a jungler when you're mid, you just know your mid laner has priority. You know, he's crushing. You don't necessarily even have to help him. He's just dominating so hard. And now not only that, but he's willing to come and do what you want him to do. It's perfect. It is, it is mid, it is jungle Nirvana for peanut right now. It opens up all these invades. He can do it opens up all these crazy tower dives. He can do it opens up all these deep wards. So he has more information. It is it must be absolutely sublime to be Peanut and have a brain right now. So there are no more excuses, right? He has successfully, whether it was him 
whether it was score and the rest of the the Gen G co- coaching staff or so, some combination thereof, whether it was Chovy reflecting on his own life and asking himself, why haven't I won a championship yet? Maybe, is it me who is wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know which of these factors it was. Maybe it was all of them, but something appears to have shifted within Chovy. And this means that the world is truly Peanuts Oyster right now. And there is no excuse for him as a jungler because he has the biggest advantage you could possibly ask for. I mean, I guess if Peanut is in Jungle Nevada, then Canyon is in like, what, Nevada from April 5th, 1994, because sometimes you want to just blow your own head off. Jesus, I, I actually looked up that specific date. It's a bit on. I know it's, it's a bit on the nose, but listen. To be fair, I feel like the statute of limitations has passed. That was in nineteen ninety four. Like, spoiler. I hope you all know he's dead and killed himself with a shotgun. Well, or did he though? But anyway, whatever. There's YouTube videos for that. We don't need to get into that. It's all good. Bringing uh, the, the who 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 is the Courtney love in this? Well, situation? to be fair, one thing I don't love about that situation is the hole that's in the mid lane sometimes for Dan One. That's also a problem for. Cam- and tie it back in again. Right, well, time for the, and this, and we're going to take there a break, guys. Okay. And, uh, get amazing on to talk LAC. Right. We're back with our guest on the non-sponsored segment. And that is, of course, amazing. Although technically, doesn't even matter for this one. Maybe he can be on it. Who knows? So, okay. Yes. Here's the thing, amazing. Obviously, we're talking about LEC. It was the super week. It definitely delivered in terms of drama. And also, I'll even just mention again, even though on the graphic, it does actually technically say on that graphic that shows the percentages, in big text along the left, that these are percentages of scenarios. So what they mean is, like, for example, if you were one of the teams that was like, you know, 94%. What that means is in all the situations that can happen, the majority of them, you get out, you get to playoffs. But I do know that even though they stress that and they say that, fans do still go, oh my God, they had a 94% chance. No, no, that's not how it works at all. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> Riot and the model aren't able to gauge the future and predict. Like, they're not a betting they're company. Like, that's the part <laughs> I find really weird because essentially that's the weird part. Like, you just found one of the ones that wasn't the scenario. Yeah, but that wasn't a chance. But anyway, the point was, obviously, going into this weekend if people remember the actual discussion was this the discussion was does Fnatic or XL get through because if you looked it was most likely you know the chances one thing nobody actually even brought up as a topic was does Vitality just lose all three and then somehow lose a tiebreaker and then not even make it? That wasn't even anywhere. Everyone actually thought Vitality was made it basically. So it was one of, the, it was one of yeah, those scenarios. It was one of those scenarios where it was like the reverse Doctor Strange, where it's like, yes. how many scenarios does Vitality make playoffs? <laughs> it's like, I can only find one where they don't, right? It's yes. absolutely insane that this team couldn't actually scrape together yeah. a win. Uh, Except for BDS in the last couple of weeks. So they end the season with a four, five game losing streak, technically, because they lost the tiebreaker as yep. well. And what's crazy is that they all they had to do was win one of these. Oh, they, uh, yeah, one of these just last five games. Yeah. Any of them, just any of them. They could have beaten Astralis, SK, Fnatic, or Rogue, or Excel. And on top of that, if Fnatic beats Misfits, or if Misfits beats Fnatic, they're already in, right? So they had f- one of five games to win, and also they had to hope Fnatic doesn't win. And in all of those scenarios, they couldn't pull one game win. And of course, Fnatic takes the win against Misfits at the same time. Absolutely insane that this could happen. And then they even get gifted 
this match versus Excel, a team that has underperformed quite significantly over the loads last few weeks. Of games compared to themselves like yeah, exactly. the season. And what are the worst records in the second half of the split? That hurdle either. Just insanely disappointing from this roster. But aren't we happy that it happened? Like, <laughs> I will say this. Like, I will say it. Two weeks ago, I obviously had I all my shorts. I had a lot of money on Vitality. Okay. Oh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> the problem is this like even though people were talking up when vitality was good because obviously they're like perks and harry were looking good things were coming online to be fair or if you take the split as a whole it hasn't been a good split so like actually the way it ends the real problem is this amazing it's like it's not like xl was much better so i don't think we really gained anything from that that's the only downside but <laughs> yeah, i will say like it could have obviously been worse for even for vitality in playoffs like they might just completely shut the bed who knows i mean i mean but but okay so how much? How much do you actually think that Vitaly would have brought in playoffs? You know, as you said, like probably, probably would have shit the bed, could have shit the bed, but like to my estimation, this is like the perfect storyline in terms of like how this roster could have ended, at least in my estimation, because you have like the most cocky players in the world, in my opinion, with Alfari. Per- I mean, Perks Perks has a right to be cocky, right? He's he's like European gold potentially, like him or Cabs, but they have Alfari who is cocky every single year, and then he blames every single one of his teammates, every single one of his coaches after the year, and then he moves on to the next roster, has another roster change in his jungle, goes from self-made to Haru, which was actually an upgrade to my estimation, and then he shits the bed again. What, what can he even say at that point, right? What can he even say at that point? Like, this is just... You know, at least to my, to, for, my, for my personal vindication, I feel vindicated, because I've been saying this about Afari all these years, you know, that I don't think he's that good. And then he misses playoffs again, and it just doesn't look good, you know? It doesn't look good anymore. I, I mean, what was outrageous to me about Vitality is that they did get themselves together, where it finally looked like their early game was starting to click, like they had some semblance of teamwork. Um, and I guess credit to Excel, because they they kind of big-dicked Vitality in, that, in the draft, like... I was watching that game uh, in the watch party yesterday and Crumbs and I were talking about it. And it, it to me, it is crazy that Excel would pick Draven, Thresh, and Twisted Fate and like all in on that early game. And you know what? They fucking did it. Like they just absolutely dismantled Vitality in the early game. You see Markoon and Mickey X just pincering perks in the mid lane and killing him immediately, putting him in really yeah. uncomfortable situations. Uh, they're winning the side lanes. They get the Draven super fed with this gold, and it's a complete disaster. Like they said, okay, we can, we are, we are confident in dismantling Vitality in this early game. We can snowball this before it gets late, and they did it. I think it was. It was a crazy gamble in this meta to do that in such a consequential game, but they apparently had a very good read on Vitality and thought they were still weak at that point in the game, and indeed they were. I mean, it was really, really confusing to me how Perks even go cleanse the mid lane when he sees TF, Poppy on the enemy team, and Thresh. So he went with TP to kind of match the roams. Yep. He gets gank level 2, even though Thresh was missing for, if I remember correctly, he was missing for a minute. He did not show for a minute. Yeah, and they could have anticipated it to any estimation, but no one was mid lane with him. He was alone in mid lane, gets ganked, flashed upon, dies, lose the early game, and they still make a lot of good plays in the early game where they actually come back, haven't even standing, and then they drop the ball again where they suddenly overestimate their comp, uh, don't really play together. Like they have the Renata, they played literally more of a split kind of decision making. They skirmished. Of, yeah, they skirmished continuously instead of just team fighting. Front yep. to back with a flank coming in, like from Ken or Wukong, someone like 
you can't actually like you cannot lose the team fights if you just play it for the back the, and they still the, the, the point where they the point where they truly lost was when they were skirmishing in the bot lane where they yep. allowed the fight to turn into like two or three separate like 2v2s and 1v1s and you just can't do that versus Draven and TF. Like yep. you have to fight with the AOE that you have from your composition because you will just lose all of those 1v1s. They were also fighting when uh Karzy I think had purple and green guns in that skirmish too so it was like even worse because patrick was just one v wanting him and just completely destroying him with those guns so no it's like purple and blue guns i think it was purple and blue guns yeah it was bad it was bad the whole thing was terrible it was like vitality i expect you to understand if you pick this wombo combo aoe ult comp not to allow the fight to be breaking into all these skirmishes and i i'm not I understand what you're saying about the cleanse. Like I had this conversation with crumbs about that. The problem is I think that if he had cleanse in that early situation, yeah, he lives, but he lives with like one third HP and then he doesn't have TP to get back yeah. into lane. So you have to question like how much does him dying actually matter in that circumstance? Can he later, is it, is the TP going to be more valuable later on? If you're confident you're going to outscale anyway, does it matter that TF gets a kill? Not really, I would I would say. The real issue was that they they just played very badly around the TF ults later on. Like it was like they forgot TF was in the game half the time and they were just a lot like they were pushing forward when TF had ult and Perks was like walking back from base. It's like, don't fucking do that. Or Perks was in the side lane and he was dying in these skirmishes. Uh, and so the TB never had any value because yep. he would walk into the side lane. Then they just attack Perks in the side lane. Doesn't matter if you have TP in that situation. So it was a really disappointing way for Vitality to lose, but also this is the Excel that I wanted to see. Excel had very clear win conditions. They had a very strong game plan heading into this. Nobody fucking plays Thresh right now. And for them to have the confidence in Mickey X to play that pick when, frankly, he's had... He's had a really bad, bad few weeks, man. Few weeks. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that, that's a bold yeah. call. That is a bold call to be like, hey, Mickey, I know you've kind of sucked for the last few weeks and are probably one of the biggest reasons we're losing. But what if we played an off meta pick and then forced you to make plays on the map? You in on this? Like, it was risky, but I, I, I respect Excel for doing it. Oh, they, um, I mean, over the, all the weeks, especially in the first couple of weeks when they were actually winning, they had these clear cut wins, right? We saw this. With a volleybear, especially like they kept playing volleybear, uh, whereas other people are already moving away from him uh, because they thought like, well, the gang setups is the only thing he brings. And they still managed to execute, and as they evolved over the split, it felt like Excel lost their identity to be like themselves. They didn't really feel like that they could force plays onto enemies. They tried to kind of like um, play more gen general comps. I would say similar to what Vitality ended up playing with the with the uh, Ken and Noriana. So basically, just general teamfight comps. But that's not how, how the players, to my estimation, think, and that's not how Youngbuck thinks either. Like, when I see Youngbuck's teams over the years, and when I see Nukedark's teams over the years too, is when they have clear-cut, like, win conditions at every single moment in the game that they can basically keep track of, like, basically, uh, just, like, check mark. Okay, we got this, we got this, we got that. And then they end up winning because they feel like that they always have agency over the game. Uh, whereas if they play more generalistic, which they did over the course of the split, they suddenly lose out on that. And I'm I'm glad that they actually get to show uh, their proficiency in, in the playoffs because in the best of five, I'm very excited to watch Young Bucks coaching and Nuke Ducks play on us uh, because these are the two people that I think are the most important to that team to my estimation at this point. Uh, Patrick, I know what uh, you mean. Patrick's been the only, pretty good too. 
He, he just means in terms of like the influence on the style. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. why he's interested. The problem is, though, that also explains the one downside, I think, to this team, Amazing, which is that I agree with you, by the way, when they have like floor chart style League of Legends where they know what to do, like now we do this, then we do this, and then this is the protocol you follow up on that. That's all great, but that's why, in my opinion, they're actually not a very good team from playing from behind. Like if they if start the game behind, they don't have the best draft. Like they're not the team I'd like to see, like seem as dangerous to me out the other big teams, you know, like I feel like things have to go right for Excel and then they can win the game and look good. No, I can, I can, I can see that. And I, I think they're also bad when the enemy team does not play in a way that is um, either replicable nor traceable. Like there, there are some teams in the LC right now that I think can almost like randomize the style to, to, uh, to no ends. And I think Matt Lines is one of them team, one of those teams where if they were, for example, facing Matt Lines, if they don't keep track of like what Elioia is doing in the early game, how Niski maybe even drops away from mid lane to roam, they suddenly are are in trouble because they cannot keep track of like their own internal timers in a way, right? Like the the circular logic, like or like the logic that they have, like basically make this play, make that play, and then they win win the game. If another team breaks those those habits, they suddenly play a lot worse. And I think that's also one of Young Bucks, maybe and, and New Jacks, honestly, because they're really similar as as people to my estimation. Uh, uh, their weaknesses and excellent weaknesses overall, where they still have a lot of work to do in order to manage people who are randomizing uh, on the opposite end. Oh no, the joke is basically if anyone's an old school fan, they have the problem that famously the StarCraft player Idra had, which is because he's so high level big brain, you have to also play a high level big brain correctly and then let him beat you. But if you actually just cheese him and play a low level game that's very with a lot of variance, then you're an idiot. You're actually an idiot for beating him. And the fact that you beat him proves that you're worse than him. <laughs> because the reason why I bring that up as uh, jokes aside is because I, I'm essentially that all ties into the entire narrative of XL, which by the way, now amazing looks pretty legit, which guess what? That boot camp, it does look like it gave them a lot, but it just couldn't last the entire split. It looks like it got them in a really good form coming into the split. They came in with the correct read on the meta. They looked like they had the best understanding of how to play out the mid game. It lasted a few weeks. They looked awesome. And yeah. then sadly they start to fall off a bit. Finn had bad games. Mickey X had bad games and other teams rose up and, and suddenly that, that whatever advantage that that was just got neutralized like like by the end of the split like i was saying but it's weird if they hadn't have made playoffs no one would really be crying you wouldn't you, i mean there's lost so many games you'd be like well, sort of you deserve it right so it yep. wouldn't, wouldn't be it wouldn't be horrible if they hadn't so it's touch and go they even made it quite frankly no i'm, I'm it's obviously like after after these couple of weeks especially what you guys said right like about mickey x speed running it almost like where every single game he seemed to be caught out um Makun didn't really find any place either anymore. It seemed like that he fell behind every single game uh, in farm, especially because he's, he's one of those junglers that actually tries to make plays in the early game, similar to, I guess, Marang and Meharu. Like, they all have like kind of similar styles, but like he fell behind a lot because they didn't, they didn't really find skirmishes to begin with. So, um, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm happy they made it, but yeah, like, it, it would have been no surprise at all. It is very concerning, though, that, like, I mean, just as like as a macro thing, to my estimation, it's like you can have a boot camp. It can last your like it lasts within your brains for like four to five weeks, and suddenly it's like it's just well, the gone. patch changes, right? And then it, it, like it, it's also that I think Excel. Who knows what their internal practice structure, like how much these players are playing solo queue. Like obviously you're you're really tryharding in boot camps. You're grinding like a motherfucker, which can increase your consistency, but. I also think that they it was kind of unfortunate for XL because it felt like the first half of the split, Finn was 
doing very well and having these pop-off games and Mickey X was doing great and Marcoon was doing great. And it felt like all three of them just slumped at exactly the same time. And so Nuke Duck and Patrick were more or less the consistent members of this roster throughout the entire split. And if it had been one of these guys slumping, I think maybe they get over it. But if you suddenly like lose that carry threat that you used to have in the top lane, part of that was a shift in the meta towards more tanky top laners from the start of summer towards the, the end of summer. Uh, and then also Mickey X just, I, I mean, it, he's just absolutely running it at times. Like, I, I don't know what the fuck was going on there. That was very weird. And then Marcoon, I don't know what happened between him and Nuke Duck because it felt like all the synergy that they had established, just the, the bottom fell out from under that too. So it was, it's weird that all three of those things were happening concurrently to them. I've got a couple of angles on this. One is this. Even when XL was on top of the league and was one of the best teams in the whole league, if you ever watch, it's on the same channel, the best damn league show that I do with Dom, we actually would always say, even though they were like uh, on record one of the best teams, we always would say the problem they have as a team though is they don't have the highest ceiling. Like they had a lower floor, they had a higher yeah. floor than a lot of teams. They had a very good like, consistent level. But the problem they've always had in this team, in my opinion, is this. Nuke Doc, just where he is in his career right now, is not a hard carry mid. He can carry. He can be a good mid laner, but he isn't like caps. Like he's not just going to take some champion yes. and one v down the game. And here's yep. the problem: Patrick's good, but here's the difference. Here's my contrast. I'll give you as food for thought. Contrast XL when they were having issues with Misfits when they're their best. Yes, Misfits is just the mid and the ADC carry the fuck out of and these you games. <laughs> like they just do though. The difference is if I have to have Nuke Duck and Patrick carry all these games, they're not going to in the same way Vethio and Neon do. Mate, those guys carry like they're fucking like they're like they're like a fucking prison and they have to fight their way out mate. it's mental like those guys have their backs against the wall nuke the fact that the team has to do well as well so that's the all worker out for that one in my opinion i mean it, it is oh sorry no oh, I, one I, last I, thing to say was this i forgot the other point the other point was this everyone forgets when it goes great for mickey x Everyone was saying, obviously, he was like an MVP candidate at one point in this split, right? Here's what they forget. There's a reason why we always used to put Mickey X and Hillisang in the same box. Because they both have insane playmaking. But you know what? And think of the last few weeks, guys. They will also both do those plays where they go so far forwards to, like, hook someone or something. And you're like, bro, your team couldn't even conceive that play was coming. Never mind, follow it up. Like, dude, like, how are they supposed to know you're going to do that? So they'll do those moves where they're so far far. It's like the guy can't even follow you. You just dead immediately. And when they do those, unfortunately, when those land, you look like a genius. When they look, when they die like that, it's the worst feeling ever. Like, if you're the guy's teammate, even it's like, ah. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we'll just start you know, 4v5, you live, come on, you, you know. You live and die by their engages, right? You do. I mean, that's why I say it, though, because to be fair, the same people who go, he's just sprinting it. Yeah, he was also going to win the MVP when it's in the middle of the split. Like, he would have been the main candidate for it. So you have to take the rough with the smooth on that, I'm afraid. That's just the, that's the play you've signed up for. And I'll yeah. even say within his team, this is also why in XL, I think it's different from Hillisang. Hillisang also does it in a team full of players that, are, that could follow up on all that shit. XL, like, not only do they not have players that are like that, they have a lot more sort of like more passive set in their stone type players, but also they needed that as the X factor from Mickey X in the first place. So you can't look past that. Like, it's definitely not the reason they were like shit. Like, there's plenty of other problems this team. Plenty of other problems. I mean, I, th I think they, they might over rationalize a lot of things. Like, I mean, the Hydra example is like pretty good actually. That they uh, they have to conceptualize everything before they do it, so they are rarely on an instinct level. And there's like, I mean, there there's like this this what is it like the four stages of learning? It's like you don't know that you suck, you know that you suck, and then you know that you're good, and now and then you're just good at some point. I think they never get to that stage where they're 
completely comfortable just playing. And it seems to be showing in that play. And the only one that seems to be somewhat away from it is like Mickey X can actually conceptualize, uh, without even thinking about it, just make the right plays and right moves. Whereas the rest of the team always has this like two to three seconds thinking period where they have to think about what they're doing, then they do it, and then it's good. And that that really requires you to be far, far ahead of the meta and far, far ahead of other teams. And that is not a guarantee when you have like an ever-evolving meta and you have like other teams who are also like not stupid and haven't fallen to fallen onto the heads either, right? So um, I, I think that's that's probably the, what Excel is like lacking that they they that they cannot turn off that thinking and they cannot turn on the instinct. To... Here's the problem I have: is this? There's two angles on this. One, I know this is going to sound like such pure hatrism but I'm the best at it. So one, <laughs> I just don't want to see Finn play at Worlds. I'm sorry. I, I've seen it what in the, the past and I do not want to. <laughs> I don't get Because I know what people, what do you think Zeus and people like that are going to do to this motherfucker? What do you think the shy, if he gets there, is going to do to this guy? They're going to fucking brutalize this guy. It's going to be a fucking joke. So there's already one last I don't want. Like that's just going to go terribly right. Like all I can imagine is this guy. I can just imagine him like locking in gangplank and I'm just going to be like, well, close down the browser. Well, oh, it's a nice sunny day. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be out in the field. Like a fucking lamb or something, frolicking. So I won't be able to do this. I can't do it anymore. It's going to destroy my mental. Just like it's going to destroy XL's mental when he locks it in. And then the other angle is this. This is also the other problem I have. As much as it's fucked up, the other reason I hope they fail. Are you ready? This is a mad angle. It's because actually, if you look at how they've built this team, general manager style, amazing. They've managed to go some of the best single trade like in a row that I've seen in years, mate. Because there's the difference. The other teams like get lucky with an entire squad. Or this, they've just gone piece by piece, split by split. But here's the thing: they're so close to actually being really good, mate. If they actually brought in like a really good top player for next year, fucking hell, this team would be cooking with gas, mate. This would be a really interesting team. No, don't say Afari. <laughs> he deserves oh to be on a British roster. He'll, he'll oh return my home. Uh, uh, angle. Okay. <laughs> my God. He'll be reunited with, with Cadrill, except Cadrill's, you know, a content creator for Excel. It'll be great. It'll be great. I, I, don't, I don't know if Finn is that bad. I think he's fine. Like, he no, serves he, No, no, he's fine. The problem is, again, like, you, they need to upgrade at some position, right? Like they they have capped out with this iteration of the roster. So you pick how they upgrade. Fine isn't good enough. We need to win. Are amazing. You fix XL. You do it. You Go tell on, me okay. who you replace. All right. Uh, I mean Nelson for sure because <laughs> no, no, whatever. Like, uh, no, I, 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 think, I think I think the I think Nelson's a lot of the reason they were good this season, but yeah. yeah. No, I think I think, the, I think the coaching staff maybe has to get slightly off their own high horse. And I won't say like that's something that, but that's something I've been seeing with 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 Youngback over the years that I, I do believe that he has like somewhat of a like I really like him because obviously I played with him, you know, like we're fine with one another. But the he has one issue is that like this role player syndrome. And I think overvalues how important it is to have like good overall team play in comparison to good individual output, right? So sometimes the all value is like one thing and that it, it destroys the other, right? Because you have like the concept of communication patterns, you have the concept of like uh, like macro, whatever it is, like po- uh, pinpointed rotations that you do at a certain point. Like these are for the very top teams, right? For something like Gen G or uh, maybe even like T1, depending on, on, on their form. Like these are givens already, right? They have this as their basis. That's already there. But in, in Europe, and it seems to be like, especially Youngback, uh, young teams, especially over the last three years with Excel, 
since you have these teams, like really have to hammer it down, figure out every single week, every single week, and some of that individuality of the players gets lost. So I think that would be good if they kind of backtrace a bit and allow more individuals to flourish. And then I would say the second part would probably be, I mean, I don't know if Finn is necessarily uh, the issue, but obviously the combination of the players, it has to be like more firepower come from somewhere, more randomness come from somewhere. Like I think TL is like kind of like a good good comparison to where I see where I see Excel where Excel is is that you, you sometimes wonder where the firepower is, who makes the random plays, who makes the, the engage happen. And Mickey X over the last couple of weeks has always been kind of trash. So they don't have it there. They didn't have it there, but they have it in the opposite direction where they literally shot, shot in their own faces. Um, but you can have it on the on, on, on another end, and it has to be Marcoon or Nuke or Finn, like just making something, like changing up the playstyle a bit or just hiring someone within that position that has a different different playstyle, right? Like you have a lot of Chinese junglers who are very, very aggressive, randomly aggressive even. They could be that. And you have Chinese top laners like, that are kind of like filling, filling the similar void like I guess like LPA top laners or Chinese top laners, where they make random things happen, but that also brings like volatility into the game and then suddenly it becomes unpredictable. And that's where Excel has to do something to bring that unpredictability in. Because if you look at their scrims, uh, not in the scrims, but I get their official games, you will at some point be able to trace every single movement they have on the map at any single point. And you will know exactly what the macro is. And you'll probably be able to look at old young bug teams and make the same conclusions. So at some point you have to do something that is like very very different, and that has to come from somewhere. So I, I think that's how I'd approach it, at least in my opinion. You want someone? I mean, the problem with this, obviously, this guy can't be it. But based on, like the joke is based on what you're saying, the actual dream would be to just fucking put Whipple onto Excel. Unironically, yep. well, <laughs> that would be it, right? There's the I mean, firepower, yeah. randomness, yeah. variance, picks, yeah, everything, aggressive moves. Yeah, I mean, he has it all. Yeah, that would be perfect. I mean, th- I think Whipple would be a great fit. I think. I mean, that's why I wouldn't favor Alfari because Alfari is like the similar mode to Finn, but he's like lane centric. I think that that's where the difference is. But there's very high calculation uh, in in terms of how they play. But then there's also like a ceiling that you can very much like honestly calculate honestly before you even approach them. So Bripo would be great. Uh, I think in you there's no other top laners random anyway. Like maybe no, maybe, we have a lot of fucking weak side top laners, don't we? I know. Maybe BB, BB, but BB yeah, is also G two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So these these two would would fit the mold. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's. I think like you could say, okay, what about VTO? His contract is up at the end of this season. He, he's not going to stick with this sick. org, especially as they make a transition over to new ownership. I, I'd be very surprised. But I think part of the problem is that Nuke Duck is very useful uh, if you're a team. Yeah. Like the problem. The problem is like, yeah, you could. You could technically upgrade in terms of absolute carry potential from Nuke Duck, but Nuke Duck is such a team player. He's so versatile, and he he serves a really good, solid foundation on any roster that it's hard to get rid of him because he reduces variance by so much, and he's willing to play almost anything and has a big champion, and he's willing to sacrifice for the team that it's hard to justify replacing him when you when you could get firepower out of other roles instead because adding VTO just I mean maybe it's too much variance right not to say that VTO has had a particularly low floor but he had you have to play around VTO like that's just how yeah. it looks like he's gonna have his own pocket picks he's gonna have the Akali right he wants to play some of these backline assassins and it's not that Nuke Duck 
can't play them, but it does box you into specific play styles with VTO that it may not like Whippo, I think is, it has insane versatility and brings the edge that you want into part of the map without sacrificing the consistency that you get out of nuke duck. Right. I think it's a good call. Yeah. So yeah, Still, it's I hard to win fucking league without your best player being a middle in though. <laughs> Cause that's the problem. That, Here's the problem. True. You've nailed it. Amazing. Let's just go through the team. Like Finn, he's all right, isn't he? Marcoon, yeah, he's pretty good. Nuke Dog, yeah, not bad. Like Patrick, yeah, he's a good player, but not the best. Mickey X, yeah, maybe he's comparable for the best, but even then, probably still really good. Well, some of that at the end, if you add it all together, is not going to be number one team, is it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's it, the problem. I, I mean, like, are, would you put any of XL's players in the top three of their roles at the end of this split? Makun could have an argument, maybe, maybe, but uh, it's it's. I mean, jungle would be what would it be? It would be jungle. The problem is, yeah, yeah. The, the, the problem, the problem, the problem with the jungle has been that Yankos was pretty bad at the start in of the this middle. Split. He had some, he had some bad games in the middle for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like in current form, but I think if we're taking the entire split into account. Who would you? Who would you have? Like Razor? That's another thing to throw in. By humanoid. That's another thing Another thing that actually ruins the fucking the way you think about the splits is that they start and end with a super week. Because in your brain, those are already two weeks. Well, no, those are like half the fucking games that were like a third yeah. of the games of the entire split. So the problem is in your brain, you go like, for example, it even happens to me, dude. I start thinking about last weekend, like Vitality is the best example and going, people are being too harsh. And then you go, wait a minute, but actually it was three games though. Like that's, that's not just like it's, you lost the one B or one, then you played BDS. Like, no, like it, unfortunately it counts for too much of the split. So to me, like those two weeks just skewed the split. It makes it really hard on these ones where you're picking like MVP and stuff, because especially this split, by the way, because one of the weirdest things about this split is some of the best teams just completely took turns nosediving, didn't they? Over and over again. G2 nosedived and then fucking like Rogue went down a tiny bit and then Vitality came right up and Misfits came right up and like and the league just turned upside down. So actually when you do those things like MVP and then the roles, it's really hard, dude. Like the recency bias is really hard to overcome because yeah. you forget the first half of the split was totally different. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm overvaluing Junkers, but it, it does feel to me that like the, the jungle role is maybe the one that Excel is like the most competitive in. I mean, ADK That's probably true. Probably, probably well, the, the thing is, like, I don't know. The the thing about the AD carry role is that, I mean, Unforgiven has had a very strong split, especially for a rookie. It does seem that that role is is relatively competitive. Like one of the best roles in Europe for sure. Come on, yeah. I mean, you have like, you have upset, That's... you have Unforgiven, you have Neon has been quite good, especially towards the end. Um. Like Flacked has again slumped with the rest of G two. I would. Did say, anyone see that tweet that I highlighted on Twitter? Because it was just the ultimate. Like it's how much hateism exists in the world for upset. Someone goes after that game. They go, "Ha! Upset so trash. It took him fifty minutes to carry the game." The joke is, if Upset won Worlds, they would just be like, "Yeah, but he still lost games in the series, and he also just picked fucking Sivir in one of the games." It'd be like he won Worlds. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't reckless. I mean, would have done I mean, it better. Like, I mean, you can't the win, can you? If you upset the man, the man earned it. You know, like within the first two years of his career, he made he did more damage to his to his overall reputation, like 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 likeableness than than I've seen a few like few people do. Like that was actually really like well done. You know, if 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 it was PR for PR reasons, then he really did it well. You know, but uh, yeah, the man the man has a 
Man has some anti fans, I would say. Some uh, some heaters. <laughs> way, he must have the most insane fucking mental this split as well. That he's held it together while humanoid just perma dies at level three over and over again to the enemy jungler, and his fucking it support just leaves Lane to die over and over again. Mate, if that was even a Soriku game, I would just go like, maybe enough League of Legends for today. Back to that field again that I'm going for for worlds. Like this guy has to keep playing, and I'll play the playoffs with these guys. Like, mate, he must just. I bet now. I'll give you a quick story. When I first started in esports all the way back in 2001, I went to an event and the guy I was going to an event was actually someone who at the time was a veteran in esports. He'd been around like three or four years and he'd done all these trips around the world that I hadn't done, right? And I went, and he once told me, because I said to him, this is back, remember, we're talking like 2001. So this wasn't when you got on a plane and it had like an entertainment system. This is when you get on the plane and they play the movie like three hours in and you have the shit headset and you're 15 rows back. And like, basically planes took, were like way worse experience, right? And so I said to him, because I'd never done it before like he'd done one of those trips where you do like multiple legs and you go like 20 plus hours to like asia at the time and i was like how do you even do that and he goes oh you have to understand i had like on my first year in esports i did like i think it was like the first world cyber games he was like i went to that first event and they paid for all my trip but the problem is because they paid for it when i was coming back i only noticed on the ticket i was like wait a minute what and on the ticket on way back to save money they'd done that thing where instead of just going like straight from korea to sweden or whatever he lived right they'd but done that thing where they just book you like the other way around the world like 10 different flights like oh, 10 one of these four hours six hour over here and he said right after he completed this one trip at the end like never again could a delay phase him could like sorry sir there's gonna be it's gonna take two hours more till we land or like oh the, he said literally he became just like zen like i will arrive when i arrive and not a moment before <laughs> and the joke is that's actually how i became from doing loads and loads of flights and so i had the same experience it took me like 10 years except took this guy like one trip the joke is that that must be what upset is like now. He must just come in the game like it is not for us to choose if we are ahead in the game. That is, we can only yeah, deal with the mean, hands we are. You know, like, he must be like Gandalf do, level at this point. Who do people actually think is carrying this roster if it's know. not if it's not upset? Because I watch this team and it's like they they failed at I, I I don't even understand how they're they're how they're in fucking playoffs, frankly. Like it is, yeah, it is completely mind-boggling that they are even here. Because and, and people like, oh yeah, you know, those Yamato drafts. Yamato has tried every fucking possible way to win this game. It's like play early game compositions, play late game compositions. They fail at executing every single composition that they have. And it's often their own fault. They will get a lead, not push it hard enough with an early game composition, or they will, you know, lose in the early game, play too aggressively with a late game composition. What do people want from this roster? Because it's not under Yamato's control that Razork and Humanoid seem... I'm not even convinced they speak the same language. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, do they both speak English? Because they don't play like they both speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're not talking to each other about what's going on. Because either Razork, you know, Humanoid's pushing too far forward and you know they're not talking about hey i need you to cover for me or razork's like walking into the enemy jungler and humanoid's like i don't have pressure dude like there's nothing that's happening like one of them's always dying one way or another it's it's bad and upset is the one that's absolutely bailing this team out right now like how do how do you possibly make playoffs with this kind of performance it the only two in that team that speak the same language is humanoid and hillisang and it's the language of int that's all they speak. That's all they speak. And tell you what, they don't even have to speak. They're just telepathically on the same page. I mean, I, I will throw some shade at at the draft because for me, what was really confusing about this last weekend, right, is that, okay, Fnatic pulls off the upset against Misfits. Now, remember that 
Misfits is playing yeah. blue side and Fnatic's playing red side in both the last game that Misfits or that Fnatic wins and then also the tiebreaker that they play in order to see what the playoff bracket is going to look like. And remember, guys, that that was really important because it means that Misfits now has a double limb bracket and Fnatic does not, right? So that, that game was incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. People so, don't realize. Yeah, so you're coming in to this and you ban on red side as Fnatic, Poppy, Akali, and Yumi. Thumbs up, man. Here's the thing. You cannot give Misfits Yumi. This is the pick that yeah. Misfits is never, ever, 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 ever allowed to have. Ever. So, un like, unless you are <laughs> yeah. Misfits... Like, I'm like, seeing it now, yeah, I'm seeing it now. <laughs> you don't let them have it, because every it's single the only way game, the super carries get super, exactly. Every <laughs> single game this year, even in yeah. spring when they were coming back, it was the Yumi that was powering up these comebacks. Um, now, they didn't... Spoiler, they get Yumi in the tiebreaker for some reason. Now, they didn't need the Yumi to come back in that game. It goes without saying, on the poppy, here's why you ban the poppy. Because then Zanzara starts to play League of Legends. And then, no, guess what? Spoiler, he's Zanzara, so he's going to have to actually play League of Legends. Now, <laughs> no, he's he's so that's here, what I want. Here, 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 this is Citing Zanzara was actually like the secret genius move of, of Misfits because they picked him in a poppy Skarner trundle meta. This is this is the best Good. possible meta for Senzar. Like it does not get better than this for Senzar. That pick that sighting was actually genius at this time. Uh shout out, shout out to Deficio for doing that. Because if you look at his like most played champs, it's just those champs, right? Like, <laughs> it's crazy how how easily he kind of slots in to this particular meta in the jungle. We also know he's a very vocal player. Okay, so back back on this draft. All right, so you first pick Gwen if you're mis if you're misfits like okay. Uh I I don't know if I would be oh, if I would be them? first picking for Irrelevant, who by the way nearly lost them the tiebreaker as well by completely just getting shit on in the top lane by by Razork and and Wonder, right? So they first pick that champion, and then for some reason, like when the Akali and when the Yumi and, and they ban Silas, right, in the second round of picks. So, like, great, no Silas, no Akali for VTO, no, no Yumi. Let's see what they can do. Turns out Misfits can't do a whole lot in this game. Like they default to Zoe, which is just I mean, an off-meta pick. They're prioritizing their Avai jungle and a Gwen in on blue side, like. Don't do that if you have a rookie top laner. Like, that's a very weird yeah. decision uh, for a game that deeply matters to you so you don't have to have a rematch and then maybe not even get into the double limb side of the bracket at all. Meanwhile, Fnatic picks relatively standard. They go for scaling. They end up winning this game. The Zoe is not particularly useful at any point in time. Go next. Okay, so you're be, be, in, be, in, the, be in the rematch now as Fnatic. You have, the you have the blueprint. The blueprint is there, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the blueprint's there. Okay, do you really have to ban the Akali? I'm not sure you do have to ban the Akali, right? I, I'm not sure that's particularly necessary. Signature champion, but the problem is it's not like it's the strongest champion in the match now, is it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't have the Yumi, do you care yeah, yeah, as exactly. much about the Akali? So what do you do? Oh, right. You change your entire red side bans. Remember, you prepared for this, for this game, and you ban Gwen, Jarvan, and Sivir. Okay, so you let them first pick Poppy. You then take Orn Trundle, mm. right? Because you 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 have to, if you're taking Orn in the first rotation, you also have to take Trundle because otherwise they they're 
like, you know, they might pick Trundle. Probably not if they pick Poppy, though. So, like, why pick Trundle in the first rotation? Like, pick Silas would be my, I would say pick, like, Orn Silas. They're probably not going to play, like, top lane Poppy or top lane Trundle. Um, and then they let Silas go over, and then they come in with a Talia. And then, interestingly, they pick Ezreal. Again, not a meta champion right now. And Pike. So they pick... They pick Ezreal because they know they want to pick Pike on R5 because they want to basically for him to play safe in the bot lane and avoid, you know, basically have open up Pike to roam on the map. So then Misfits gets Nar and a Yubi at blue five pick, which is yeah, also five, like insane. Yeah. Like if you're a fanatic, why the fuck are you picking Trundle instead of like Yumi? Like why don't you pick Orn Yumi or Orn Silas? Why are you picking Orn? Fast forward to the actual gameplay, and in spite of all of this, because Irrelevant <laughs> has just an atrocious laning phase, which was partially caused by Fnatic, like it was good repeat ganks in the top side by Razork, but then this game is entirely thrown by them skirmishing with a Yumi and this fucking Silas, the Silas with the Yumi on it, which flashback to our conversation, guys, about uh, CLG or C9's game earlier, rather, where I say, look what happens if you just pick Silas if you're C9 and you have a Twitch Yumi and Silas together. Well, they have an Aphelios Silas and Yumi together and you can see what happens. It doesn't matter if Aphelios dies because they use all their cooldowns and then the Yumi just goes on the Silas and then Silas kills fucking everybody. So I, I just don't understand why you give Misfits some of their very, very best picks on some of these players in what is such a consequential game. Yeah. And it just goes to show that even if you completely shut down Irrelevant in the top lane, so first off for Misfits, why are you prioritizing Irrelevant? This guy is probably the worst player on your team in this meta because it's Zanzara's meta, right? And he's a rookie. And then for Fnatic, for the love of God, if I see anybody give Misfits Yumi in playoffs, I'm going to be so fucking mad. This champion is good on any team, but it is especially good on Misfits. Like, this is how they win games. This is how they win games. Do not give them Silas. You can even give them the Akali because it's not as good as the Silas in this current meta. Do not give them Silas. Do not give them Yumi. Uh, take those away or ban them. I, I think no one's been doing that all split long though, so I don't think it's going to change now. It is, it, is very, it is just very irritating. Like, their ban order, like, even... It, their banner just doesn't track with what they picked, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> no, that, that's, that's most annoying. Well, I, have, I have been very complimentary of Fnatic's drafting, but this, this like, tiebreaker one was very confusing. <laughs> anyway, continue. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean you, okay, so the Gwen Ban makes sense if you want to pick Orn early. I mean, that, that kind of tracks. But then you ban Jarvan, even though you leave up. Why do you ban Jarvan if you end up <laughs> leaving a Poppy anyway? Right, like, what you said, are really gonna play Jarvan? Come on, like, <laughs> uh, and then, and then, like, well, okay, enemy Benzeri, so we're we're afraid that they would first pick Sivir, I guess. So we ban Sivir, and then we're like, man, oh, they have Poppy first pick. It's like, and then you pick good, two good ultimates in the first R R one and R two, and then you leave up Silas, and then you counter pick with Talia, and the Talia has no lane to play to because you're now moving. Fucking Ezreal Pike to 4-5, which is not a plane you play around anywhere because Ezreal Pike, it's literally designed to not play around the lane. Talia cannot play around top lane because it literally, it's literally worn into whatever. It doesn't even matter what is top lane at that point. So you have like no playable lanes. A Talia that is going to be probably dicked in the mid lane through ganks and whatever because he's playing against Silas and Poppy who have really good gang setup. 
So what exactly are you trying to accomplish? But uh, I, uh, <laughs> dude, dude, it fucking it fucking slays me. You pick Orn Trundle and you don't ban Silas. You're like, I wonder if they're gonna pick Silas. It's like, of course they're gonna fucking pick Silas. He's gonna steal Orn or Trundle ults. Like they're just sitting there being like, he's like, this is the freest fucking. Si- I don't care what they play in mid lane. I'm just better Orn. Like <laughs> my Ornold does a fucking shit ton of damage. Like, I, I, and it's like, it's obvious like BTO is going to play. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, what is, what is happening? Like, why, why are you doing this? Man. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like misfits is that hard to read as a team. They're really good at what they do, but if you just it, prevent it just, them from doing it and when it you did it, would you, when you prevented them from doing it literally the same day, what are you doing when you have the same side <laughs> in the draft? It's literally the same preparation you already won. What are you doing? <laughs> it's, like, it's like they read the wrong document afterwards. They're like, oh, wait. <laughs> oh, okay, this is what we do. <laughs> what I find so puzzling is this is actually the reason why when we do Best Damn League Show, we always say it doesn't matter how many BO1s Misfits win, like none of us are taking them with a chance to win LEC and they might not even go to Worlds no. because they're the most obvious team you can cynically draft against in a best of five. Like yeah. as you're saying, Monty, like first of all, you can take any of those angles and they'll all shut them down. And then secondly, haven't you noticed that like this has been happening the whole time since they signed Zanzara? People draft like they draft for everyone except Zanzara. Like, dude, in the first weeks, they would do stuff like ban Trundle so he couldn't play it, forcing him to pick Poppy. It's like, that's maybe even a yeah. better draft pick. Like, what? Yeah, anyway, what yeah, are we in, doing, in, you know? In Zanzara's career, he has a 73% win rate on Poppy and a 42% win rate on Jarvan. His yeah, most I mean, played champions are Sejuani, Skarner, and Trundle. Like, he's, he's fucking built for this meta. You know what I mean? Like, it was a great pickup. Uh, but... If you, if you, I don't even think it matters, honestly, if he gets these picks. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I just think it, it matters if they have Yumi. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, I, I do think that it matters whether or not he gets Poppy Trundle. Like, I think it actually does matter. But uh, uh, not, at the, it, not at the cost of Yumi Silas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, look, would I rather, would I rather Zanzara play Poppy or would I rather Misfits play Silas Yumi? Like, that. I mean, and give you know what? Puppy, amazing. Puppy, 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 you know puppy. what? You know what? Amazing. We don't even have to theorize because I guess they just get all of it. Like I guess it's just all they get everything. <laughs> I just get you know they get it all. <laughs> oh man, it is. It pissed me the fuck off. I lo- I lo- watched the LEC like over the last couple of weeks. Every single g- and as you said, Thorin, you're like with the fucking Trundle Poppy thing. It's like why the fuck are people banning Trundle against him? But then they leave out Poppy, but they don't counter pick it. Like they literally just pick Wukong into it. What the fuck is happening? It's like <laughs> is everyone fucking mind controlled? Like I, it's like I don't Monty, like- Monty, I have to break in here because here's the reason why I can't handle this situation. We're talking a fucking amazing who played for TSM against Cloud9. And he got there and he did an AMA and he said, here are my three best champions. So they banned all three out and then forced him to pick Volibear. Uh, no, 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 don't lie, don't lie. It's Zinzao. Oh, Zinzao, okay, fair enough. It was Zinzao. Yeah, sorry, you banned Volibear as well, that's right, yeah. No, they picked Volibear into you, didn't they? Was it they picked Volibear? I picked Volibear with the same set. I picked Volibear into Dignitas into a cult. Oh, I'm conflating the two, the same week, right? There we go. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is they essentially what they could have done against Zanzara, what they did against Too Amazing, a better player, by the way. But madly, they just won't do it. They won't do it. They're doing the opposite. The reason why it ended 
up being genius, you're right, Monty, but in a way they couldn't have anticipated. It's because you had a team where you had two amazing carries who already you want to spend all your bands on. Now you bring in a jungler who isn't a good jungler. He just is a pointless band draw. He just draws more of those bands away from the two good players. So <laughs> what's mad is he's just a decoy, basically. Basically, Zanzara is the cat in the horror movie who comes in first and you go, oh, it's just a cat, phew. And then the jump scare happens. Like, that's the point. He can't, he's, he can't kill you. He's just a cat. Well, he just it, jump it, scares it, It's also just like, you can't ban out Zanzara in this case without really fucking yourself over when it comes to when it comes to like neon and uh and vto so yeah. don't try don't yeah. like don't try I mean, like i'm not i'm not averse to letting them have the poppy and by the way the orn pick is perfectly acceptable into the poppy again you know what the jungler is going to be i guess unless you're astralis and you randomly play a top lane this last week but you're pretty sure you know that it's going to be jungler i don't see any team really flexing it into the top lane besides Visachachi, who's like a legendary top lane poppy player right um and the Orn is good. Like we've seen now, it does take a lot of skill as a team to do this, but Orn technically is a poppy counter. And the reason why is if you watch the Gen GT1 match, what happens is when you see the poppy charging up her ult, you stand in front as Orn and you use your bellows breath because you're immovable, and then you just you just body block the poppy ult, nobody moves. Now, is this hard to do? Yes, because oh, it not yeah. only requires the top laner to block it, but it requires everybody on the team to have the discipline to stay behind the Orn and wait for the Poppy ult to go off at an objective, right? So you do have to be very, very disciplined as a team to pull this off. And I haven't seen anybody but T1 do this successfully. And obviously, like, they're a lot better. Uh, but it is it is technically possible to do this. And it is really good when it works because you just entirely neutralize the poppy basically you just you you start walking into like a dragon pit right the orn is soaking up all of this damage and then the poppy starts to you use bellows breath to block the poppy ult, then you orn horn and then you just destroy them right you don't, you don't, by the way you don't have to, you don't have to wait that long like for for that for that to happen right like you have to trundle into poppy yeah. you actually have an early game counter right you can play against it like but no, it, it seems to me that when people play against Zanzara, I don't know what it is. Like, I like the guy. I, I think he's he's good 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 enough for LAC right now. I think he's he can be in this matter really like really good asset. But holy mackerel, like people play differently against him than against any other jungle. I don't know what is happening there. It's like he, they play Trunnel into Poppy, which is a hard counter. The only thing you have to do is get a prior mid lane and then you try to invade it or you try to fight it early game, right? You have PTA into into a face rush obvious damage advantage you don't even have to have trundle technically you just need to have like a damage advantage in the early game no one does this no one does this and then they even like go every single way to enable the poppy pick even more so that i don't fucking know what's happening like i i I can't even put it into us i can't even pinpoint to anything directly that it's like man this is what they do wrong it's like Everything, 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 everything they play against them. It's like, what the hell is happening, you know? By the way, Monty, is another thing as well, because you brought up the point about obviously they had that game where Irrelevant played Gwen. If you just go and look at his career history, you have to remember he hasn't played very much. Right before this split of LEC, he was playing the LFL, right? In the LFL, he doesn't even play Gwen. He plays against Gwen. In the They only brought it in a few times in the LC, LEC. Mate, I would just be fucking floating this ban against him. Why waste this ban? You, If anything, you want the guy to fucking waste his time picking Gwen. It's not good for him. It's going to be worse for his team. It's especially not a good first pick on blue side, right? Like, 
They got Silver anyway. One thing I think's mad underrated in League of Legends, especially, is people don't do this enough. Sometimes you intentionally want to bait that pick. Like yeah. you want to leave it up so they pick it, and you prep the comp that's going to destroy them when they have a week when play. You know what I mean? Like you can actually like you're, what you're doing there is either you just get a free ban or you just fucking bait them in a comp. Oh, you have to play what you want. There's also no top lane bans, and it's not like there aren't Gwen counters. Like you see the Jacks popping up. It, it popped up in the LEC this week, not successfully, but uh, it is common in the LPL to to take the Jacks into the Gwen. Um, so I don't think Gwen is first pick worthy. Like if I was doing Misfits draft, I probably they ended up with Siver, but I think you first pick Siver in this scenario, and then you on the second rotation on blue side you pick Silas. Like. Uh, don't give them a chance to ban Silas in the second rotation of the draft. Like, I would just have confidence in VTO being able to play that into any matchup. You already banned the Azir, right? And honestly, Azir is, or Silas is pretty good into Azir. You see that matchup quite a bit. Not necessarily in the laning phase, but Silas fucking with Azir ult is terrifying later. Yeah. 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 Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't that, know what's going on in these drafts. That, like that is, I, I, that is actually the answer to a lot of things, right? Just I don't know. Like I do not know. You know, that's actually the answer to a lot of things. Like, I don't know. <laughs> some of these, some of these Western, like these, these like Western region things. I'm, I'm curious what you. The trouble, though, amazing, is that that's also the answer that they give within the draft when misfits are saying, "What should we pick next?" <laughs> I don't know. There you so go. That's the problem. I, I have to. I have to ask what your what your take on this because we were talking about it earlier. Why is the LeBlanc such a high priority pick? Because I don't understand what this pick is supposed to do in this fucking meta that champions like Silas and Ari aren't better at doing. So, I mean, LeBlanc functions differently to, to most of the other midlanders. Like, it is... Um, like, there's no direct counter unless you play Lissan. Like, the Sun is kind of like a... Kind of the counter that most people play. Um, but it it doesn't really give you prior besides, like, wave stacking, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't like, insta-pop the wave. It literally has to yep. slow push and then uh, hit the enemy tower and whatever, and like try to get lane advantage through that. So I, I do think it, it threatens a lot of midlaners that are currently in the meta and like a lot of players that are maybe uncomfortable with the matchups because the the matchups you play, you know, the, the champions you play in midlane right now are Silas, Azir, Ari, Lissandra, and Lissandra's kind of falling out of favor in most cases. So it's like it's it's the main three and LeBlanc has oh, a good yeah. matchup. Yeah, and LeBlanc has a good matchup to all three. In my opinion, and even like into Oriana or whatever it is, or any kind of like scaling mid she still has a threatening potential. So it makes the game very, very mid lane centric and it forces teams to adapt to mid lane pressure in a different way than they would have through prior pressure, right? Because just pushing wave and roaming is a different pressure than having to babysit mid lane in case they make plays around it, you know? So it's like that, that's, that's how, how I see it. It does fuck a bit with the jungle pool too, because. Trundle is bad into LeBlanc. It has really bad 2v2s, 1v1s. Uh, Poppy is Poppy's decent to LeBlanc. It's it's actually yeah. like if you don't oh, if okay. you don't if you don't fuck up the W. But then there's like what else what else is even in the jungle right now? That's like maybe Jarvan cannot gank her, cannot attack with LeBlanc. Um Wukong is not good. Vuk, yeah, Wukong cannot like so most of these junglers cannot interact with LeBlanc at all. While they synergize very well with LeBlanc, right? Like if you have Poppy LeBlanc, you have a mid lane setup. If you have Wukong LeBlanc, you have a mid lane setup after level six. Like every single jungler interacts with her positively if he's on, on if she's on her team on, on the team, but very negatively when they're on the opposite end. So right. I, I think I, that's I what it is. I think you made a lot of good points. My problem my problem is this. What happens when you get that advantage with LeBlanc? 
you don't win the game most of the time. Like the, the issue is, is like, I yeah. see where you're coming from, but the, the amount of edge that you have to have to have an effect with this champion in this meta is crazy. Like she doesn't synergize well with most of the supports. Like she doesn't synergize with uni like at all. She's terrible. Um, you, who is she supposed to kill in these team fights? Because it's like going to be a spell shielded Sivir where you have to use your R to even get back to her, you know, use your movement to get back to her. Then she just spell shields you. And it's just like, okay, I didn't do anything. Uh, she's never going to probably hit a Zeri, right? The, the, these, there are these high mobility scaling AD carries. She can't find Twitch, right? So what is the purpose of getting a lead? Because, okay, I got a lead. Now I have Ludens but there's an enchanter support shielding the AD carry and I can't kill the front line. I mean, it's definitely, okay. I think it's it's fine if you don't play into you. I think most other enchanter supports are kind of, I, mean, I guess Lulu is not vulnerable to LeBlanc either. It is, I mean, I, it's really hard to say. I think maybe it is that people are too threatened by it in their heads, maybe by that, that they don't want to go through the hassle of trying to have to come back against LeBlanc because I do believe it functions Similar to Draven, right? It's like you have like lane advantages or Kalissa, I guess. Like Kalissa and LeBlanc are actually very similar champions in terms of what they do. Like that you will have 100% lane advantages, but you also have to like then come back against those champions at some point. I think people don't want to have that hassle, but I also don't think that she's bad at killing AD carries until like three items. I think three, four items is when it shifts a bit. Uh, mm. But if she has Ludens, M-Pen boots, uh, I mean, whatever she goes afterwards, right? Depending on the scenario. Uh, she has a lot of like kill potential still, and it can snowball the game out of control. Just, it, I, I know what you, I, I think. I think you're arguing maybe from a from an SK standpoint that you're like these teams will probably be really really good at like you know like hodling and whatever it's like making sure that that the law doesn't get out of control, right? Like that the advantage would maybe be 10 CS, 15 CS, 20 CS, and that's it. But it, it, I do believe that. Boom! <laughs> Bottlings in the EU probably lose their minds as soon as LeBlanc shown up with a kill or something like that. It's my I, theory. Here's why they play LeBlanc. I will say this. I will bet you in scrims, all the really fucking sick mid laners just play super abusive, 24-7 going for kills in lane. They get like two kills, they roam around the map and just dive like a solo queue game, and then at like 25 minutes, they're like, this is shit game, go next, and then they're like, yeah, LeBlanc's the shit. But then in the, the LEC game, you don't do any of that, do you? Because obviously the game doesn't play out like that. I, I guess, like, I'm with you on all the theory behind this, right? And I think you get that advantage on LeBlanc. You do have a lot of flanking pressure. You do have a lot of poking pressure, potentially, right? The problem that that I the, the problem that I struggle with is just that the conversion, of, yeah, no one mean, yeah, like converting it into a win. I think is if you can do it. Like I under, like I get that it can be very strong, right? If you're if you can achieve the snowball, it just feels like it's really challenging to get there, right? And across all major regions right now on this patch, I just look it up. Le LeBlanc has a 44% win rate. And you know, some teams are capable of doing it. I just wonder about the priority on this champion in many situations compared to what I would consider to be safer options, more versatile options, options that provide, I think, more value into the late game. No, I, it is I, a very I, limited, yeah. there's a very limited pool right now on this patch of mid laners. Like, you kind of are just seeing the same thing over and over. It's like Ari, Azir, Silas, Talia, LeBlanc, Lissandra, and then maybe a little bit of Akali and Rise like tossed in there. 
with some really fringe picks like Seraphine, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, I, or Swain, or I guess we've seen a little Vex too, but it's it's not a massive champion pool that we're dealing with in the mid lane right now. Nelson is commenting, it's a myth that LeBlanc is a bad late game. I mean... <laughs> yeah, look, Nelson, I, I think in, in theory, again, like in a, if we're theory crafting how LeBlanc could work, then I agree. Um, like, I think Amazing brought up some really good points. I just think that actually achieving that snowball is quite difficult. Yeah. No, I, no, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, it is a lot easier to just play with facilitating midlaners like the, the likes of Lissander, the likes of Ari, who you can play around, but you don't have to, that almost get auto priors in a lot of matchups, right? Especially when the, the way that they picked, same for Azir. And then you have like the the very defined scaling within within them, right? That you know exactly that at objectives we can play front to back or whatever, so we can pick uh, uh, play to pick uh, one target, and that's that. But it doesn't it doesn't strike me the same as like a hundred percent thing on LeBlanc. And I do believe that there is a lot of support kind of play too, as you put it. Like it's not even just the contenders. I do not like to play if whenever I thought about LeBlanc as a, as a, as a champion, then we played it even with Origin back in the days. Like I, when we played against it, I never wanted to pick it against melee supports because it felt like that we were not able to kill them ever in team, late game team fights, especially if LeBlanc was the only AP threat, right? It really reduces your damage output to basically nothing if that's the only threat you have on the on the on the roster and then you play against double tank setups, whatever it is. It it also is like I think that if you have a crazy good mid laner that is gonna solo carry the game, that it can be viable but the thing about what you were saying amazing about other champions that enable picks like enable other players on the team like ari just has better cc if you combine if with the charm if you combine it with the spirit rush right like you can get an angle on somebody and create a pick leblanc's delay on the route yeah, while yeah, you have yeah. to get the chain is is like a really big issue if you're trying to set up a play for somebody else right um, so it just seems to me that it lacks some of the, like, I think the hard carry potential is definitely bigger than Ari's, but with so many tanks in the meta and the AD carries having a lot of peel, having being Sivir with cell sh spell shield or having immortal shield bow or high mobility themselves, it's, I think it's tough. It's tough to have the judgment as a mid laner of knowing when you can actually make the play that will like win a team fight, right? Whereas like there's a lot more versatility on on the on the side of some of these other mid laners. Yeah, no, I mean I, I agree with that. Like I we like I mean our our, our Pamu T for example didn't want to play it either because we realized that like some point well you can you run out of the potential like even if you get advantages it's like it's you, you have to like kind of play like you have to play Lucian in a lot of ways, right? You have to play Callisto in a lot of ways. It's like the, the margin of error is too high. And the potential output or like the, the, the possibilities are too low for the champion to actually work consistently, even if you have like a pretty good mid laner, you know, like it, it's still very inconsistent. The enemies have to make misplays and they have to almost face you up in ways that they just shouldn't. They just shouldn't, right? On sidelines, for example, a blow getting picks. Well, if you play tank meta, then you probably have a 4 1 setup, which again means that you likely have mid prior against her. And they play to one side, and the only uh, the other side only catches, right? So where are you going to make the picks? So it seems to me that like 
some something must have scared a lot of teams maybe in scrims when they ran one through one setups maybe that made LeBlanc such a disgusting pick to play against that they realized or for themselves that we don't want to play against it or we think that it's really good for us. Yeah. I I, I mean there's clearly some scrim results here that are that are showing what you know because we see a lot of bands of LeBlanc too. Like there's 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 clearly a lot of priority based based on this pick. I just don't see it as consistent for many teams to win and I haven't seen a lot of or really any LeBlancs who have like blown my mind on the last patch or two, right? Like I haven't been I mean, like, you wow. can make a strong case that was even part of when Fnatic started to split shit. That was part of the problem. LeBlanc was because humanoids are LeBlanc play. He just kept picking it over and over again. It was doing nothing. He's still drawing bands. <laughs> He's still drawing those that, bands. that just shows you how fucking like a person's <laughs> reputation lags behind their actual like real actions now in many ways, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Indeed. I don't know. It, it, I, I think that was a, that's a good conversation to have. It's it's a very interesting one. So I was curious, considering you're in the you're in the thick of things there in the meta, like if you there were justifications for doing it, and you provided some good ones for sure. Um, I just want to see it really like knock my work. off. You know, like yeah. I want to I want to see somebody like completely shit yeah, on the LPL teams. They'll be coming at worlds. They'll be coming at worlds. Just a couple of months from now, set your arm. There you go. Exactly. I think people should split top. Why not? Why not just play LeBlanc top? I said matchup. Oh have a my lane. god! <laughs> <'Cause> no, <laughs> no, because nobody's practiced that. I think is the is the reason why. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what what other teams should we talk about? Well, there's one thing we haven't talked G2? about that is classic summoning insight fodder, and how have we not even brought this up? So I'll take it right back to the beginning of the segment. I'm scared. So obviously, <laughs> the beginning segment was about XL and vitality. How are we not going to mention the god tier fucking banger? Ten out of ten, hundred underscore. This this is it, chief. All the fucking W. Hold this W. Common W. Arsenal man going. This is a W man. Boss man. Whatever. All the fucking memes, right? Basically, the joke is like Excel's actually trying to hire me now, but the problem is they've heard my politics are actually too mild. <laughs> oh my god not bad that was a pretty good one so anyway here's the joke though Whoa. the joke is that after Whoa. the weekend because Vitality as I said seemed certain that they were going to be in the playoffs and meanwhile XL looked like the one that was going to maybe miss out with Fnatic and obviously like they were in a tough spot Young Buck did a tweet I'll read the tweet it's worth reading by the way it's so fucking good let me find exactly where it was. Let me just quickly search his name because I want to get this wording right. Because it was, it was even the way he constructed it. Like, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little breakdown afterwards. I'll just read the tweet initially. So the tweet went like this. It said earlier in the week, while clapping Vit in scrims and then wasting our time, one of their players bantered something along the lines that we should focus on making playoffs. We just did. GG, well played. Now, what's amazing <laughs> about this tweet? What makes it god tears? First of all, the sentiment's hilarious. Like, obviously, he just slammed the ex the um, Vitality team that hasn't made it through, which, obviously, spoiler, has, like, former player of his perks, etc. There's people, obviously, he would know as well, like South Maydrop's been around the scenes of Trash Talker from back in the day. Alfari's there, who I'm sure has his own opinions. Like Amazing said, a lot of people would say he's quite cocky or arrogant or aloof or whatever. But so here's the hilarious thing. What's, what makes this a masterpiece of bangerism is this. One, it's a straight fire bang. Like, it goes off something legit. Two, you only reveal the thing that they said in private because essentially you expose that they were full of shit in doing so. Three, there's no comeback. You have to wait till next year. You can't yep. even get any comeback till next year. Meanwhile, by the way, he might be at Worlds. He might win the LEC. Who knows? You can't. You're sat powerless. Like, 
I really wish I could do something, but you can't. Literally 2023. And then this is the best part of all. The way it's phrased, it's like it's like someone actually, it's like you had a ghostwriter, Monty. Like the way that it starts out, it goes earlier in the week. It's like a light hard willing. Earlier in the week, while clapping Vitality, he's just told you also that in scrims they're shooting on Vitality. So that already, the way he's put that as the throwaway detail. And then he goes, like he goes, the way he, the way he sets it up like a joke, like they told us we should focus on play, making playoffs. We just did. GG, well played. Like, that is the Yu-Gi-Oh! trap card at the end. This fucking, oh, the whole thing was just, well done, young boy. Because not only that, remember, that's only the second time he's made this playoffs with Excel, so I'm sure he also was just waiting. Because here's what people don't know. Years ago, I actually said, when you make playoffs, you're going to have some, like, banter line or something. And back then, he used to say yes, but obviously he never made it. So this whole thing's just a masterclass. Because as I say, what can you even say of your Vitality players? Like, it's not even a good angle, really, to have, like, a clap back. There's not really anything you can say. Well, there's so, nothing like, you can say. Yeah, it's perfect. It's actually a masterclass, guys. This is a fucking straight fire. <laughs> you learned. <laughs> you, you learned. <laughs> exactly. Oh boy. Well, I, right, we I don't know what... to, uh, who, who was it, right? That, that's the only question we have to answer. That's... Yeah, the other. There's the other thing. He also, by the way, that was also genius. Actually, here's what people don't get. It's actually better that he didn't say the name because even if the name was Alfario Perks, if it isn't, it still allows so much speculation. Like it makes it more mysterious. Like for example, maybe it was like Kazi. Kazi seems like a guy who banters. Then again, maybe Lavrov. No one knows about Lavrov. Maybe yeah, it's Rimsy tight. Maybe he does. Who knows, right? I'm assuming the one guy it wasn't is Haru. That's the one I feel like I can. Sp- I think I can cross him off the list, right? But everyone else, it could be, right? And that's why it's amazing. It's a straight fire, isn't it? It, it was Bo just observing the game, talking shit. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think it was not. I think it might have not been Lavrov either. I think it might have not been. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just imagine, like, it was, it was in his second year, first year, whatever it is, like, him just shit-talking, like, veteran players. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. And I think Kazi is too lighthearted. So I think I think it laces us with uh, two potential culprits. Culprits. <laughs> <laughs> Our, de- our deductive reasoning, second to none here on Sonic Insight. <laughs> I do appreciate as well, We're though. Zeroing like, in on the, on the culprit. Because <laughs> the reason why that's also glorious that people forgetting is this. Famously, XL were the previous victims of that graphic of how many percentages, if you remember a couple of years ago, they had it themselves where they were like, what, like 70 or 80% in that like summer split when the Schalke Miracle run happened. They had like an insane one that they've dropped out of. So the real reason this is hilarious is Vitality's done an actual dick dastardly out of fucking wacky race it's like mate you're almost over the finish line no no wait a second I've got shit talk you guys are all losers who've never win this race like I'm about oh broken all my legs oh what help help they're all passing by like that's the genius of it amazing it's like if they just waited till after the games they could talk all the shit they wanted but because yeah. they did it like right in the moment like it'd not be almost impossible for us to lose though right yeah yeah say it type it like that yeah yeah but then you just that's when like the universe conspires against you to make you lose that we all know that it's like in Counter-Strike right there's a famous principle which is if you ever sneak up behind a guy in the game so it's like a hundred percent free kill if you ever whiff the first bullet it's like the universe like then empowers him to like have instant reflexes like 180 and then he also flukily heads you in the head because like the universe like look you had you looked a gift horse in the mouth i have to punish you for that so like that's what i feel like happened here because man it would have been glorious if this story had gone the other way like put it if i tell you three zero of the week the joke is they'd probably be the one telling the story like yeah we told fucking xl we would clap him out and then she'd play on playoffs really like they'd probably come with the other side so i think it's like one of the best fucking lec Trash talks I've seen in ages, mate. Straight fire. It's a banger. Uh, it's in the Hall of Fame for sure. We should we should talk about uh, we should talk about G two obviously because like this is a team that you know came out you know looking pretty good after MSI. Obviously had a 
very bizarre MSI run of powering up, then completely getting shit on. And then they spend a lot of this split being kind of terrible. And then they end the, the split on a five game win streak, beating the team in first place to take first place, guarantee their qualification for worlds, returning to form at the exact right time. So what what are your impressions of G2 and how they got themselves back into shape? Amazing. I mean, it's actually hard to hard to pin like again like it's the same same thing as with most other teams like hard to pinpoint but it seems to be that they like in the earlier part of the split whenever they made a play it felt like that there was like the 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 potential for it to go very wrong and the game flow was really like relying on them like making more way more plays and really getting caps ahead especially but nowadays it feels like there's a, like a fluid motion in their play even with Flackett and 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 uh, uh, Flackett does yeah, Tagamas don't really form up to standards which you know, we, at this point, you don't really expect them to be like the best bot in any way. Uh, they still seem to be like well earned machine on the top side of the map. So, I don't know. I think it might have just been lagging behind from MSI, whatever it is, or them not not having adjusted to the meta yet. But now it's it's simply like well earned machine. I think there's nothing that I can say that I that I would be like, man, this is it. Junkos is probably like the biggest, I guess, difference to early in the switch where he actually seems to find more positive plays instead of just running it down. And he has like his niche champion pool that no other player shares either, where he's actually proficient on Jarvan, he's actually proficient on Pantheon, and no other player like in the league has that kind of weird champion pool to draw back from, at least from back in the days when he was on, G- on G2 in 2019, 2020, right? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how G2 actually ended up in first place. I'm looking at the rule book at the moment. I think what it is is that they had a Second better. Half. They had a better second half, yeah. Which yeah. I actually, as a tiebreaker, I actually like that because I think you should prefer to have the team that's had a better record in the second round robin if they are tied one and one in the head-to-head. I think, you know, it's difficult to have tiebreakers in League of Legends because you don't have things like round differential like you do in Counter-Strike in order to, um, you know, game yeah, time. That's shit in Counter-Strike, I will say. It's better than game time in League of Legends. Right. Mm, debatably. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, I think it's a pretty, I think this is a pretty good tiebreaker. So you don't actually have to play the tiebreaker match. Um, I'm the only one who has missed the obvious point here. Oh, what, what angle could we pick from the games they've already played that would decide which one of them wins? Well, it's a tie in it. So no, but then let's. Makes sense. Logically, the yeah. game rewards one thing. Did you win or lose the game? It doesn't say, <laughs> sorry, you won the game in twice as long. You're not as good. You're doing tiebreakers, though. That's why the, all the tiebreakers in the league fucking suck. The reason why this one's okay is this, Monty, because this was just a side in seeding. It was for the top spot of the league. If it's for a scenario, like, to make the playoffs, it has to be a real match you have to play. You can't then go, right, well, they won, like, a, off a different opponent that isn't you on, like, week seven, and you didn't, like... Yeah, medical. Who are you talking five? to? Wow, wow, well, that matter. What the fuck yeah. are you talking about? We're talking about these two teams. So I think you have to play the match personally. Like, I think that, like, I think this way it worked out perfectly because the G two one, like I say, it was just for first place, and then the other one, XL for that, was actually make the playoffs. Like that would make sense. I, I'm, I'm just trying, now trying to remember the games that G two played, especially like when they oh, started that win sorry. streak. Um, like, I, I just, I remember them coming, like, coming to their own again, like especially against Bad Lions, and I think it's Fnatic. Like it's more like that they were able to really utilize and understand like 
when enemies were misstepping. I think early in this bit, they never knew when enemies were actually making mistakes. So on the macro level, they were not really punishing it, and they kind of let a lot of teams get away with it. And then on the second half of the, of the split, as it became better and better, especially against mid lines, it showed they knew when enemy was overstepping. They knew when enemy did too much, and then they suddenly like were able to strike at the right times and utilize mid piles a lot more efficiently. I think Caps has been Caps and Jungles. I think the two ones that stepped up the most out of all because Broken Blade was kind of decent to begin with, like in the split, and Targamas and Placket were whatever anyway. Uh, but Caps and Jungles, like they suddenly identified how to play around mid pile and how to utilize Caps as like. Just like a map roamer again, right? Like, which is his playstyle. I think the meta, meta shift kind of suited them a lot, especially going back to Poppy, Jarvan, Pantheon, whatever it is, right? Like, these champions do suit junglers a lot more. Being creative, like, being able to make plays instead of having to be stuck in the jungle, farming and doing nothing, right? So I think that it's just a multitude of reasons. But uh, I think I think with jungle, yeah. I think with jungle and, and really having the jungle pool kind of cater to uh, junglers again. I mean, I like the fact that they've been able to take some more aggressive picks like the Draven in the early game and really successfully snowball off of it. It feels like G2 really wants to be aggro in the early game. And part of that's coming through, you know, Broken Blade playing lane bullies like Yone or like these aggressive like carry picks in the top side. And then also having auto priority on the bot side, because the thing about having the Draven or something like the Draven or the Callista is that it allows you to basically instantly have that priority against some of these scaling AD carries. And then you can choose to play around it or not. Or you can visit the top side, right? If your bot lane's being careful, if you're the jungler, try and get Broken Blade ahead. So they've been really good at snowballing some of these early game advantages that they had. And it's also now drawing bans against them. Like, some teams in this meta demand the Draven ban. Like T1 is one of those teams. Feels like G2 is one of those teams. But they're also pulling like Gwen bans and stuff. So it's hard because you feel like you're giving away a lot of priority picks over to G2. And you're not slowing them down because they have backup plans. Like, okay, we'll play the Yone or whatever, right? Uh, if that situation occurs. And giving Cap Silas is, is clearly quite dangerous, as it always has been. I mean, the real answer, like like Amazing just said, it's like on paper, you look at it and you see the answer immediately. They have the best historical mid-jungle, historically and right now, but when they're at their peak. And then yeah. the other thing about those guys is they can also go... The, the joke is, if you watch this split, like the first few, first week or so, first two weeks, actually, they were all smurfing. Then Jankos had some terrible games in the middle of the split. But as you can see, by the end of the split, he's right back to the top again. Like, it's looking awesome. And then if you're going into a playoff... And then you're, you know, not only are you the top seed, but you have the best jungle mid individually and together. Like, come on, man. Like, what do you want? Like, that's the formula to win the LEC. It's the formula to be a champion in this region. It'll always be, by the way, a spoiler. It just always will be. No, it, it is It is more surefire way, right? Like, you literally have every lane to play towards then too. Open up mid lane. And yeah. it's like, and people just have to accept Junko's inting. Like, this guy is a fucking, like, he started playing when I started playing, which was basically season two, and then he, we get, got into the league together in season four, right? The man is fucking old. Let him in a couple, <laughs> let him into a couple of games, man. It, it, like, he, does, he doesn't, like, when, he, when you see Junkers and Cavs play, do you really believe that they think about the regular season as something, like, very, very important? They think about it as, like, well, we do want to have a good enough seed, right? But it's more about getting into shape, because they already proved last, last split that they don't need to be first seed in order to win the split, right? They don't need to do that. It's all about getting to playoffs, making sure that you have like a decent standing, I guess. Like being being top four is probably like is the minimum. 
so they they kind of have like they they at least like one round they can choose in, and that's that. And then uh, you still have the salty run back of potentially just dropping to the losers bracket and then uh, going back up, right? So why why be so scared uh, about like their performance come mid split? They just judge them by the end of it, and it's fine. And it seems to be that at least now, especially with Dylan, which you know I think is an upgrade over grabs, like because I think Dylan is like really really smart when it comes to uh, not not just pick bands because I think the the way that the pick bands were structured on the grass was was also pretty good. But it's more about incentivizing the niche picks on certain players and maybe even uh, kind of bringing them towards that and in, in, in nudging them into those directions is what what makes Dylan great. Like, and I think he's a he's an he's an exceptional fit for that for that specific roster because every one of the players has a lot of versatility, even Flackett. And they all have champions that they can play in matchups. That they can play that they can think of, that they might not actively think about all the time, but he brings back into play. So um, I, I don't know. Like I, I think they, I think they will likely actually just win the split again, just because every other team looks so fucking bad by comparison. Besides Mad Lions, I guess. When Mad Lions is the only team where I'm like, man, you know, Mad Lions, if they play at their best, they could probably take two games off D2. But it's hard for me to see that third game coming in. Basically, you know the classic meme where it's a panel from like a Silver Age, so like 70s era Batman comic, and it's where Robin's coming over, and Robin is everyone else in the LEC, right? They're all going like, but the middle of the split was a bit dodgy, and the hangover after MSI, and the drafts got lost a little bit, and plus like Flackhead is still a rookie, and Broken Blade looked a little bit dodgy on the all time. Like they say all that stuff, right? And then the the Batman slapping the Robin in the face is just going, yeah, I've got some caps in playoffs. And that's basically that's. <laughs> This split, that's that's how it's going to go. That's how it was last split, and that's how it's going to go this split. There you go. Oh, it's but it's it's so interesting to see Caps like in a different surrounding, right? When he when he was on G two last year uh, and the year prior, right? Like they, especially like when when Wonder and and Mickey kind of like lost. Honestly, Wonder and Mickey especially lost their their edge, right? And they didn't become they weren't as random anymore, and they weren't as plane making anymore, and they were more marker focused. Caps looked really bad at times like he looked he looked like he didn't want to play or he didn't want to watch him play it wasn't like caps caps it was just a player like kind of like fake on i'd say similar to fake out on this on this est1 roster where he was more of a macro piece than he was like an individual player right could sometimes win laning phase but it wasn't like it wasn't like an active choice to do so it was more like randomly happening and now it seems to be that he's actually making the active choice well i am the i'm the guy and i'm gonna make make things happen and Every single player around him kind of does the same thing to them for themselves too, right? Broken player is not egoistic, but he plays to win the game, right? For himself, Junkos does this at all at all times too, right? Now where he's looking for the enemy channel, he's looking for plays all over the map, and he's trying to win the game on his own. And I think it's they this this G two right now is like in terms of like their individual player is more like the twenty nineteen G two than they're more like than they're like the twenty twenty one like or twenty twenty almost like dying G two, and I'm actually pretty happy to say that. Well, I think what what I think about was fun about this meta too is that it feels like people might complain like, oh, there are these scaling compositions, but there are. It's not that early game styles or these really aggressive teams can't actually perform at a high level. Like you, you see teams that have fallen into this niche of just playing ultra aggro 
do very well. Like look at Live Sandbox. It's basically powered them to a top three finish within LCK. Like Gen G is is similar, although I, I would yeah. say Gen G kind of plays both ways. Live Sandbox is very much just like pedal to the metal. We're picking by, you know, and G2 has now, I think, fallen into playing more of that style. And T1 has also fallen into playing more of that style right now. And Excel, like I said, I, I was shocked that Excel was was able to pull it off in the game in which they played against Vitality, but it is very, very viable for you just to completely dominate a game and snowball it out. It's riskier yeah. because you can make fewer mistakes, but it's also obviously a lot easier to play the early game. So the the power is balanced in that way. Uh, and I think G2 has realized that they can do this now, and that is something that has served them quite well, and it served many teams quite well. So... I don't actually see this meta as particularly boring. I think there's quite a bit of versatility. I don't think that it's reflected necessarily in the mid lane champion pools, but I think there is a pretty good amount of diversity if you're willing to take it in top and bot lane right now. Like it's not really in jungle either, but in top and bot lane, like there's a lot of different shit you can play. Yeah, we saw Yasuo, for example, SK playing Yasuo is, uh, I mean, Insane to me, but you can, you can actually play these champions, right? You can, yeah. like, I mean, Renata is like one of the few deniers, I would say, that's like almost like a neutralizer to a lot of potential like online interactions. But other than that, once Renata's out, like, Brahma's played, Leona's played, Nautilus is played, Yumi is played, Nami is played, uh, and then you have like Lulu is being played. Like, they're the supports alone, like, already, already are a lot bigger sample size than you have, for example, had, for example, in the Spring Split, where it was basically just melee, melee supports and Yumi. That was it. Right, yeah. there's not much else going on. So uh, the sample size is, is like, or the, the amount of champions that you can play is is, is very high, and it is is also that the game is not stale based upon like what junglers have to do. And I think it's usually a good indicator of how the meta is going to shift and how it's going to be is like how much junglers are tied to farming. Right, junglers right now they're, I mean, you know, you can you can make the argument that some junglers have to farm, but. Poppy, Eternal can Pop just run at you at level two, so yeah. Pop Poppy can do the same. Poppy flashing over over the wall, like stealing your cams. You yeah, have yeah. to be on time, right? Like every jungler has a lot of like tempo in the game. They are they're quick to make plays, and once they make plays, these are impactful. So you have to be on point with the execution. So like even yeah. even when you like, I would say even when you see junglers that are not like Skarner, right? That's not going to be doing a lot of ganking early. It's still interesting because usually those happen because there have been a, like five or six jungle bans within the game and like some games the pool just gets super pinched, right? But in those cases, a lot of other power picks are left up, which kind of makes the game interesting in and of itself. And Skarner is actually a fun champion to watch in the mid and late game once he hits six. And also, it opens up a lot of other weird picks because if you, if you know that a lot of the early game power has gone out, that's when you see you know, Dom Juan pulling out Karthus, right? Like, th th then weird shit starts to happen and yeah. it becomes entertaining in its own way. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it is, I mean, I usually complain about the meta because I'm, I'm a salty bastard anyway. And, <laughs> but this meta is one of the few where I'm, I feel like that the, that the game for a lot of players has opened up greatly. And I think it's, 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 it, it is reflected in G2 style. And I think G2, like to bring it back, is like, Whenever they had a meta where it was stay late game comps, right, where it was like jungler was tied to farming, you had to hit certain item spikes, certain certain level spikes at certain points. Otherwise, you're gonna lose the health fight, you're gonna lose the Drake fight, and lose this, uh, the the potential to actually like snowball at all. And uh, like, and then 
they were always on the back foot and they always seemed awkward at doing it. They were never the type of team that was like maybe reminiscent of like CLG EU or or whatever it is, right? They're they're always the team that was creative and try to make plays around their their innate strengths in every lane. And every single one of the players was able to shot call. And I think this this is this meta is like as well fitting for the roster as it can be. It should also be well fitting for Fnatic, but you know they can. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, look, we don't know what's going on. That, that's a synergy issue. Like they've got nobody who actually knows how to identify uh, a win condition of a composition or talk to each other within a game. So that they, yeah, no, I agree with that. They don't know how to play the game. They don't fucking know how to play the game. Like it's as essential as it is. Like Fnatic does not know <laughs> how to play the game. They made playoffs. <laughs> like you. <laughs> Amazing. There's why people wanted vitality in playoffs. Because the vitality of two weeks ago looked way more cohesive than Fnatic is. You know what I mean? Like, I I get the point. Fnatic, look, the reason why everyone still towards the end of the split was like, look, they could trip over and win some games is because of what happened on that last week. Like, yeah, they have the players. But the problem is, like, I've just seen too much of that team. Like, we've got a big sample size on Fnatic over this year. Mate, that team has never come together, ever. Like, dude, even when they won series, they didn't look that great. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, in retrospect, I'm really surprised by them having picked up both Wonder and Resorg. I think that may actually be something. I don't. I mean, Human obviously this bit has looked pretty fucking shit, but in Spring Spring, it was serviceable. He was one of the top men in this, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it was, it was pretty good. And yeah. at times, he still has the ability to do so. But it's like, so yeah, you have like a very non-variance bot lane because you know what you're going to get with upset Hillisang, even if Hillisang sometimes like right clicks the enemy nexus. Um, he still does 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 a lot in laning phase, and you know what you're going to get. However, like with Resort and and Wonder, like especially with Wonder always deteriorating form, you kind of had doubts as to what he could do and what he could not not bring, right? Or not bring. And with Zork, it's like he came off of one good split with Misfits on like on. A, to be fair, he was an MVP candidate. But you had to understand the, the, the very surrounding of Misfits compared to your team, right? To, to the Fnatic team that is there. Like, Misfits was extremely well coached, and they still are. And they're able to make people very, very comfortable in their own skin. Like, even Resort, who I coach personally too, and I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to interact with this guy because he was crazy. I, I, I wasn't necessarily the type of person that could interact with him personally because I'm not, I'm more controlled in my personality when it comes to the game itself, right? So I want to have those iron spikes and whatever's being hit. But this guy, he thinks differently. And Mrs. was able to, to kind of like implement that into their playstyle when they when they had the 2021 run. However, then you bring into a Fnatic lineup, but you have no way of... There's no one that brings the overall structure into the game, right? There's no one that, that I can pinpoint on that roster too that I'm like, man, this guy is really smart about the game in terms of like structuring. Is someone like Nukeduck, for example, like Nukeduck on a, in, as like an archetype. There's no one like that on that roster. So I wonder how much scouting you should actually do, how much knowledge you actually acquire over the years about the, the signings that you did, because no one on that roster and no one on the coaching staff seems to be able to give that structure to the players. So I think that is a very, very... That's the problem, though, dude. I actually think they thought it just automatically came as part of the fucking... It's like the fucking... It comes with the free seat covers and the humanoid deal. They thought that was a fucking perk of buying humanoid. Because the premise on humanoid was this. Look, we just seen him with the shadow guy, then El Yoya, and they're all looking great when they have him. So, like, he just... The people really... This is why it's hilarious now. Everyone's like, wow, do you ever trade Nisky for humanoid? Because humanoid was supposed to be Nisky 2.0 with every single metric yeah. through the fucking roof. 
The yeah. joke is he was supposed to be Caps with Nisky's fucking personality. Like, it sounded like the most dream middling of all time. So I guess the premise was they were thinking, obviously, amazing. Like, well, if Razork was good with fucking Vethio as a rookie, imagine him with Humanoid. They're going to be like the duel of the century, whereas obviously that's aged incredibly poorly and they have, like, anti-synergy or something. Yeah. And I do the, wonder if, to your your point, amazing, and I hadn't considered this angle before, if the switch from, you know, it, it was really like full clear jungle meta for quite a long time. Um, if the switch from that meta really like threw off Humanoid because he's dying a lot more, he, maybe he's just not very good at tracking early game jungle movements and maybe Razork isn't very creative when he comes when it comes to his pathing within the early game or, or understanding the options that they have on the map. Or maybe they just, as it appears, don't communicate a lot of this very well together. Um, but I do wonder if that's like a factor here is that the switch to the jungle meta where a lot, I mean, the, the pathing options right now are pretty insane, especially with like the number of hex flash junglers and the, the very different ways a lot of the junglers that are meta right now play. There's a lot more information that you have to track as a team in order to understand what the jungler can do, where they can be, yeah. uh, which lanes they're going to try and power up in the early game. Cause you know, Trundle and Wukong are very different junglers, right? They, they do very different things. And both of them are very different from Skarner, right? Like, it's yeah. it's tough. I'm just yeah. going to say it now, though. I've watched all the games of Fnatic this split, every single fucking last one, and it was torture. I'm not even in Fnatic. <laughs> so all I'm going to say is, because I do a show on the other one called Best of League Show, it's like a weekly update, so I, have, I can't go. I only watched one of the Fnatic games. I had to watch them both, obviously, right? So I watched them all, and I'm going to say this right now. Bearing in mind, the whole team, as far as I can tell, was built so that Humanoid could be the best player in the LEC, so that Fnatic could win, so they could go to Worlds and go deep and do all these things. And this was supposed to be, and quite frankly on paper, it looked like it, how Fnatic suddenly reclaim all that lost momentum of the last years where all those players were going to G2 and going else. And this is supposed to be the team that puts them back on the top. But I tell you what, after watching this year, I would, if, if Humanoid doesn't carry these fucking playoffs, I tell you what, I'm drafting him corky all the time because I'll be arranging a fucking package where he can use an aeroplane to get the fuck out of my team after this. Mate, this is disgrace. He actually, for real, he has to be a fucking monster in these playoffs. So if I'm Fnatic, I would go a different direction. I know that sounds wild because you think, like you say in the spring, he was good until the playoffs. Like, he has been a great player. But, Mike, I thought this split was so egregious. Like, I can't do that thing, dude, that everyone's doing of, like, but he was good with the other junglers, so, like, maybe it's their fault. Like, what he is doing in mid lane cannot be any other player's fault. I'm sorry. Like, you don't just at level three as a mid laner like what does the what is the jungle possibly saying to make that happen it can't be anyone's fault so like that that starts every game on a bad note you just start behind in the game your jungler starts with the other enemy jungler having a kill the bottling starts knowing the rest of the map's fucked like that mental boom just begins at like fucking four minutes into a game like as, as i say he has to do a crazy turnaround in playoffs for me otherwise i wouldn't stick with the project I mean, I thought he was very, very different this isn't caps. with the package and Corky. I was like, okay. I was anticipating something very differently. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> all good. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, no, obviously, I mean, it'd get really dangerous if I was like, and then I'd send him to NA. It's like, well, wait a minute, aeroplanes go. Yeah, okay. Oh my yeah. God. No, no, just... right. no, 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 listen, I don't work in social media. I am social media. Keep going. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, I can't. So, to kind of give you a journalist perspective, I guess it's like, you can have a lot of impact on mid lane. I mean, um, there is a lot of synergy issues that, that you may have created, that you can create. Like, if I, for example, reflect on, on my time, like it was for me a lot easier to play with Pekka, for example, than with Wolf, even that showed in our play, right? 
like to kind of give you re- reference, like Paul Fever's communication patterns was like basically just centered around his item specs and whatever's in the th- around his resets. Whereas like Pekka was more interactive in terms of like we can oh, I can set up this wave, we can freeze it, whatever's make a play around it. And the same is pop- like on the opposite end for junglers, right? Some junglers when they play, they play on instinct. They play without communication patterns in place, so they are really good in like AFK jungle matters, for example. Like Berserk was really good in where because the only thing you had to literally say is like, "Well, I'm gonna reset now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or oh, I, I can make a play now." You know, that's the only thing. But when it comes to like these high interaction jungle matters, which we have right now, the jungler has to both account. He has to both be a good jungler and a good counter jungler. So he has to know what the enemy jungle is doing. And has to communicate it. So if you tell the mid lane to hug the right, like uh, 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 let's say the right side or what it is. And the jungler ganks from there, well, then it's, it's blackly on you because you gave the wrong information. I think that may actually be holding them back. And I think that's what Monte also references, like the communication that between mid and jungle is there is just not on a, on a good quality. It cannot be. It's impossible for them to have any kind of good quality information because every single game, as you said, like he's making the wrong decision. And that only happens if you're being intention- either intentionally fed the wrong information every single time or you're literally muting your teammates. It's so weird. It's so weird. Those are two. Those are two things. So it has to be like, or they're both just fucking dumb, you know? Like I don't know. <laughs> like, I, 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 what you get into though brings up another point that I think people I, always miss on that whole shot caller debate. It's not that there's one shot caller and he always says the right shot call. Part. It's like any co- on conversation. What's the other person brings to the conversation? Like the best shot call ever to someone who doesn't understand. It's a terrible shot call. Meanwhile, an average shot call to someone who knows exactly what I mean is a great shot call. Do you know the difference? Like, you can see the it, distinction. It, it, if I didn't know better, I would almost say that Humanoid and and Razork are playing pranks on each other right now. It feels like they're constantly trying to prank the other one, where it's like, one of them's like, ah, I'm yeah, going to invade the jungle right now. And Humanoid's like sitting there, he's like, yeah, I'll be right there, bro. Jackass, <laughs> basically. <laughs> LEC jackass. There you go. That's what it feels like when I watch these games. <laughs> or, or, or it's like, it's like I, I'm going to push up and recall. And, uh, and Razork's sitting there. He's like, yep, I'm, I'm covered. For, I'm right there. I'm, I'm going to come to the bush. And then all of a sudden, the other jungler and like support appear and just like kill you. <laughs> I mean, it's so strange. It is so strange that they can't talk to each other whatsoever. I mean, yeah, the, the, I think they just have very opposite sides. I think, I think that's probably what, what, what may actually make this entire thing happen. Is like that they don't, they, I, you don't want to combine humanoid with a jungler that is like kind of playing for himself. You want to combine humanoid with someone that is like basically like a jungler's type player, right? Like someone that, that, that knows the game inside and out and is able to communicate that properly. I think that would have been a way better fit in terms of like the sides. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess they got. You know, they're just debated by both Chang and Minh, you know. Just, <laughs> <for this. laughs> Sometimes you do. <laughs> I yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh are there any I guess we should talk about Rogue a little bit as well. Um it, it, maybe we should talk about some of these matchups that are gonna be occurring, like G two versus Misfits. I take G two all day here. All day versus Misfits. Does anybody think that Misfits is actually going to upset them in a best of five? As long as G2 bans Yumi or takes it, you can first pick it too. That's acceptable. No way. No, it's, 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 I, I, give, like, him, I give him two games. The, I give him two games, actually. The, the irrelevant Broken Blade matchup really makes me nervous. <laughs> I 
my bigger concern is fucking Zanzare against Jankos, the greatest Western jungler in the history of the game. Like, I think that might be the mismatch, but you know, I guess you are right. The meta will sort of cover Zanzare a little bit, but even so, mate, come on. Listen, Jankos, you can't lose this fucking series, mate. Come on, homie. There's, there's no universe this is acceptable to lose this one. Come on. And it's the other bracket as well. You should just go fucking crazy on this guy. Yeah. All right. And so remember, because G2 has already made worlds, they can do whatever they want in these drafts. Yeah, let's let's talk let's talk about the the Rogue Mad Lions one then because that that one for me brings up more questions. Like Mad Lions didn't finish the split as strong as they started it. They they seem to falter down the line. Armit, who actually was quite good for most of the split, I still have st- he, he, yeah, he ended he ended it a lot worse than he began, uh, and that's concerning. Like I I feel like. The, there is a lot of potential. He is the ver- player, you know, Monty, that has that joke around him where it's like, what you're on about is Chubby Bull's huge. He has the oh, yeah. palatial <laughs> nod. He has the fucking... The, the, <laughs> the anytime that meme exists, it ain't a good sign. It ain't a good sign, is it? I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> no, I, I think I think he's he's been pretty good uh, over the course of this split. But I think the as top lane, as we see more players willing to play aggressive top laners again uh, on 1214, yeah. um, I do... It's not that Odo Omne is going to be the worst matchup. Like obviously, like Broken Blade is is probably a worse matchup in this meta for a player like Armit. But Odo Omne does have the versatility, and Rogue is coming off of you know a variety of of relatively strong wins. So I don't know. I think this one is is somewhat difficult to call. Like yeah, they lost to BDS this last week, but that was a trap game more or less. I mean, they had to play Excel and Vitality. That's a pretty hard schedule. Um, and they did pick things up towards the end in the last couple of weeks, they did pick things up, but they, you know, they beat mad lions. They beat them twice, although they shouldn't have won the first time during the first super week. Um, but they did take out a variety of, of playoff teams. Um, this is definitely not the strongest instance of rogue that we've seen. But maybe they're just re- maybe they're reversing things. They're just kind of yeah. But here's the difference in, in the regular season, and now we're going to be good in playoffs. Here's what I would say is a massive feather in Rogue's cap. Right, you can't talk in isolation about Rogue and then pretend the other teams get a different set of circumstances. We've just discussed essentially how the entire LEC split was like. Now this team is seventh. Now they are second. Now this team is second. They are seventh. You know the only one that doesn't have any that story, Rogue. Rogue just stays the top team the whole time. Now, true, they never hit the top peak and were an amazing Rogue, and they never ever went back down to a fucking ceiling and had been terrible either. Go look where they are the whole split. This team just consistently wins games. Like, they lose the odd one, and the problem they have, Monty, is this. They lose the odd one in the same way as classically... like the Gen G's of the world in the past would lose to a T1. They always lose the big game against the team that you think they have to beat mentally to win in the playoffs. That's the problem with Rogue. They still have that same issue now. Like the floor of this team is mega. Like they can probably play, they're probably one of the few teams that can match up with every team in the playoffs and probably take every team to four or five games. But the problem with this team is what, what like peak level are they going to hit to win playoffs? That's my issue. They haven't really shown me ever like a dominant Rogue this split. You know, they've just been good. The counterpoint is like Mad Lions has tapered off as the split has gone on. And over the last two weeks, they have they've lost to every single other playoff team in the last two weeks that they've played. They they lost to Rogue. They lost to G2. They lost to Misfit. 
they they only beat Astralis and BDS. Like that's that doesn't inspire you with a large amount of, of confidence, even though I, I think probably Niski is still the front runner for MVP because there have been so many upsets this season and so many ups and downs across the league that it's hard. Like who else is really the the best candidate for MVP within this league. I think you can also put El Yoya. I think he's another player yeah. from the same team could be the MVP. I think it just depends on who, who you think does what. Uh, but like, there have been some pretty low lows for all of the other teams in playoffs at certain points in time. Well, put it this way. In the past, I always used to fucking make room for perks as MVP, but like that last week, I can't be saying anything now, can I? Give me a break. Give me a break. Come on. Unfortunately, he probably had his worst week this last week. Exactly. He made some... He looked like a desperate man. Let's put it that way. He was trying to make the hero play and not succeeding, unfortunately. Yes. No, I mean, when it comes to the matchup, honestly, I think that Rogue has the upper hand over Mad Lions at this point in time. Like it's, But I also think that just... This this version of of Mad functions very differently to I would say even the humanoid version, right? Because humanoid was lane centric; he was not necessarily facilitated to the point that Niski is, right? So uh, you kind of like the matchup of Rogue and, and Mad Lions always came down to, well, Mad, Mad just literally just lost uh, six, like just they gave away a lot of early games, and they were okay with scaling, and then they at some point out team fought them, and especially like when it came to the finals where they were. Rogue was up to zero and then lost three two, got reverse swept. But I think this this iteration, like if they the game slows down, which it will in playoffs, because usually that's how it goes. It's like, well, people know what to expect, so they can kind of kind of counter the champion pools a lot more, and they can kind of slow the game down because of it. I do believe that Rogue at this point in time has a better shot against mid lines than they have ever had, um, based upon like especially the mid lane matchup. I'm not saying that Niski's bad or like by any means, but in in terms of lane phase. He does. He he is weaker than the older, I guess, like the version of of humor that Matt Lyons had on the roster. And I do believe that Larson, at this point in time, is is still a very very good laner. So if, and this is my my big if, I guess, if Matt Lyons is unable to create the place that they that they have created throughout the regular season, you know, to win the the games, especially against like uh, the top tier opponents, they will lose to Rogue. And so in any even game, basically, they will lose to Rogue right now. That's how I'd say it. Yeah. I also think that it it helps a lot for Rogue that some of these junglers, especially Jarvan, coming back into the meta, because Malrong likes to play early game junglers. And you can do weird shit with Trundle at level two. You can be very aggressive with Jarvan on the map. And so it seems to me as though Malrong should be more comfortable within this meta that's developing and some of the options that are on the table. Like he probably would like Pantheon as well, right? Like these are, these are all picks that you might associate with Malrong. Vi is another one, right? seems like there are a lot of good picks for Malrong's play style and an ability to get his lanes ahead. Uh, Larson's looks good on the Talia. Uh, Odo Amne has been one of the first players in Europe to pick up the Renekton. And I think the the combo of having like strong early game ganking from a jungler and Renekton has always been powerful. And Rogue has shown that they can snowball those advantages right now. I think Renekton is super interesting at the moment, um, just as a pick, because a lot of people will fall back on kind of the old Renekton memes, which is like, okay, he's useless in a lot of these late game scenarios. Sure, he gets advantages. But the thing is, he sk- he he snowballs really hard right now where he can just take a bazillion plates and the jungler can just sit topside, kill you 1,000 times. He'll start proxying waves. But the other thing is like Renekton has 
so many different viable builds right now. Like he can kind of adapt his build to whatever situation you want. Like you can go Gore Drinker Sterix. You could go Randuin's Omen, like Iceborne Gauntlet. Like you can build in a lot of different ways that allow you to have effectiveness. And he's also good at peeling, um, which if you're trying to protect hyper carries can be useful. And he can stop the front line pretty effectively as well. So I actually think he's way more useful in team fights in this meta than he used to be. What are your thoughts on, on Renekton right now? No, I think that's what it is. I mean, when I see it in solo queue, it's a very different beast to how some people play it competitively. But uh, when it when it does get an advantage, like and he builds something like Blade in some matchups, for example, yep. like I think it goes Gwen, uh, or he builds Paulos Claw into some range matchups like Ken, for example. Like yep. this is a it's a one tap machine. It's it literally one taps you because that W got buffed some time ago. People keep forgetting about it that it like now applies like every single stack and it's like I think it's is it three or four stacks now on the on the empowered W. But anyway, like a blade proc that means it's completely like it's a three proc, and that's twenty four percent of your HP, right? That is a whole lot of damage, and I think right now Renekton is is also something that like both Oda Amna and Amun will like to share. Same for the NAR. I think NAR and, and Renekton are going to be contested picks. And again, if I think about it, I think Odo Amnish is better at both these, these champions. And he's better And he plays Gwen, Gwen too. Yeah, <laughs> and he can play Gangplank if necessary. Oh, but fucking can't, man. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, so I, I don't know. Like, all points points in the same direction as, like, I guess even it did in the in the old rope matchups, Westman Lions. It's like, if the players play to their normal potential, Rogue should win. And if every, like you have you have the vast champion pool advantages and you have the vast laning phase advantages because even unforgiven like I would I, like I do think that is really good but whenever he was stuck in laning phase ex- for an extended amount of time unless the enemy made like heavy mistakes he didn't seem like that superior he didn't seem like someone like upset who would be able to ship away ship away ship away like in in the laning phase right get ten twenty cs up after some time uh, it's more about he would either one to zero someone and then get like a one to kill lead or nothing right or go behind so uh i don't know like playoffs should be slower i f- i just favor rook in every single honestly in every single lane if i think about it yeah i think the thing that makes me have some confidence as mad lions is that their team fighting remains quite good um I think they lack versatility, but they have a really strong understanding of the team comps that work for them and how to play them out. Uh, and they're smart. I mean, I think they have pretty strong shot calling. It, it's a hard matchup to predict. I do think Mad Lions probably overperformed relative to the strength of their roster and the fact that they yeah. have a, a, you know, a pretty new player like Unforgiven. I mean, I think Unforgiven has had an outstanding split i think he he's exactly what you want he can play these hyper carries he can play the draven like he he's been well-rounded he's he seems to know his job but rogue has such an advantage when it comes into experience and it just feels like the meta is sliding back in their direction in many ways the problem is the main strength mad lions had in this split doesn't really work that well for playoffs with inexperienced players they were just ahead every single fucking early game it felt like yeah. every game they would just be up in gold up in lanes like in that scenario like it's not the same as easy mode you have to get to that point you were doing something but you're not going to do that in every single game in bo 5 in the playoffs and you're playing against by the way in rogue one of the other good teams that was good early game too so like i even think that's somewhat neutralized so yeah the problem is that mad lions just like if this was three 
three weeks ago, they'd be the favourite for the whole playoffs. Like, they've just been so bad the last few weeks, though. So yeah. bad. I mean, someone just has to teach Malrang how to build uh, items, and then I think... Uh... <laughs> Look, he's going to do what he does. Like, I, he does have the most fucked up builds of any jungler you've seen. He likes, he likes to just maximise his power at the at a very specific point in time he will just yeah. buy the individual components he doesn't want to waste gold on the recipes to complete them right like he's like i'm going for this weird it's not even a big power spike this small power spike but i want it right fucking now right um it's strange but i, right, I can't I tell you another angle this is actually something dom pointed out to me because him and someone else on the stream like actually counted all this if you go and look the thing that tilts dom off the face of the earth about maran because obviously maran's <laughs> supposed to be like a gang like psycho right dude he buys loads of pink wards like he'll buy two pink wards in games where he hasn't got items by the way <laughs> He has two big bro. This isn't like season four. What are you talking about? Like he have the support. Like uh, that's it. wild to me. Th think about how powerful he's going to be when he doesn't buy pink wards anymore. He's, there you he's go, gonna exactly. Have, he's going to have like an item more, you know. Like. Well, the joke is the for him the pink wards are obviously like Rock Lee dropping off the weights, aren't they? He's like right now I'm actually unleashed. You know, you, you all thought you were playing against me before, but I was intentionally setting myself behind on the economy. Wait, I can wait for my support to get warts and then I can predict when the inventory is going to be? Oh my god. Like, put it this way, there was one game where I think Dom said something like he'd bought like 27 wards or something. It's like, are you having problems at home or something? Why? Why? I don't, you're Malran! Like, you're not even that sort of jungler, for fuck's sake. Why are you buying 20 pink wards? Like, what? <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, but I think that, I think it's one bit that I really like, and I actually copied that too. Is when he goes Barmy Center into Giants, but I think people didn't understand that build at all. That actually irked me when they didn't understand it. It's like, so the components for Chem Tank, for example, is basically Barmy Cinder. You have the, uh, was a no, no magic mantle, and you have yep. the, the cloth armor. That's seven, 750 gold. However, until completion, that's another like 1.1k, 1, 1 right? So it takes a whole lot of time to actually finish that item, right? And in that 1.1k, the only thing you get on top of it is basically like, was like 150, 150 HP, I think. Yeah, you get, but you get 350 HP from the from the Giants belt. Exactly. So it actually, mathematically speaking, it's more efficient for tankiness reasons to build the Giants belt early, uh, because early early HP is more effective than early early resistances because simply your HP pool is not going to be high enough yet to make use okay. of the resistances. So the Giants belt actually made them a lot more tanky and actually made them more tanky. Than the finishing of the ver like the very chem tank would have done, so that pe people didn't understand they were flaming him for it, but it's actually mathematically the right thing. Uh, the, the threshold is around two, I think two point five k HP around when you're sunny like when when resistance become more important again, and you should probably hit like one hundred like two point five k HP hundred resistances each, and to be like mathematically effective. But uh, that was that was pretty good of him. Like, however, I think the pink boards, yep, and. I think the pink words he can he can leave behind, you know. But I bet it's 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 it is it is it is very interesting that people do not try to understand certain things. Like I think Marang, despite him being crazy as hell, like there is some thought process that his analysts and whatever have obviously put into his builds. And it's also also the aftershock vibe that was talked about uh, when he was the only one face checking. That actually made a lot of sense. If you have no one to face check, well, then you want to have someone that can take up the the aggro and tank it up for a couple of couple of seconds, right? And if you don't have that, then suddenly you have no one to fish, you have no ward coverage. So uh, there's there's some method to the madness. Um, <laughs> I would say, and I actually like that he's he's crazy enough to do it, 
and not afraid of like i mean i think i think he actually doesn't use social media anyway it's not like ball of evil that goes on the social media outwards it's like man people play my bits why would they do that <laughs> it's like uh, he, he he probably just doesn't read it it's like ah, i'm just gonna play my games you know so i like that uh, it's a good attitude it's a good attitude it's it's also true that at least chem tank at early levels like yeah you get the active but if you have a champion that's good at engaging anyway you don't necessarily need it and also the damage is i i haven't run the numbers on this but it's probably not that much actually higher over the course of a team fight than bomby cinder like the value and you're not there to do damage anyway a lot of the time like you're there to live and provide crowd control and absorb damage yeah Frost, Frostfire may have a higher value base to come, because the slow is like something you cannot measure, right? You cannot really measure sure, yeah, yeah. how much it does. So, but yeah, over the course of team fight, Bami's and and Chem Tank didn't really do that much of a difference. And I don't know, I just yeah, I I, I like I like the guy. I I don't know, I favor him over over Elioia. If they're both crazy, I think someone is better versed, more well versed in the craziness than than uh, than the other one. And I think that's where a lot of the advantages are going to come from. Does it seem like Rogue has a chance to win, or are we predicting that G2 just kind of rolls their way through this playoff bracket? Because that's how that's how it feels right now. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that Rogue has a chance against current G2, but um, over the course of playoffs, like, there might be an evolution, right? Like, you Remember, just like, they might be playing in like three weeks or something, or five weeks or something. Yeah, there's, it could be a while before they play, obviously. Well, five yeah. weeks is too much, but you know what I mean, yeah. Because remember, we have a week off now. We have then the yep. upper bracket. Then they play like, like so. In theory, there's plenty of time and plenty of things can happen in the patch. The problem I think is this: the narrative for G2 is too strong. Not only are they the reigning champions, but Yankos and Caps are the players you just expect to be good in the playoffs. They're in the right roles. Meanwhile, you look elsewhere. This is actually the reason why I thought when G2 wasn't number one, Europe actually conversely looked weak. I know everyone was going, "This is brilliant because it's so competitive." It is, but no one team looked super strong. There was no team that you'd go, hey, I'd like to see them against the LPL teams. When you saw Mad Lions, like, as I said, they were heading every early game, but you were like, but they probably wouldn't be against the LPL team. Then you saw, like, you know, XL, but you were like, but the LCK teams would destroy them individually. So the difference is G2 is the only one where, like, I feel like all the sort of easy check marks are there for them. So yeah. even if they're not the best in a few months, the difference is they have the sort of the insurance policy of the two perfect players at the positions you want to carry from. I mean, which, which team other than G2 would be? A potential title to contender is a question. I mean, it would have been Mad Lions, but they just had this terrible run of form, didn't they? Yeah. That was the problem. I mean, yeah. the, the problem... Here's the real issue is this. If you think of the teams that are at the, at the latter part of the split were looking good, right? Vitality didn't make it. Unfortunately, Misfits just seems like the most obvious to draft against. It's so yeah. limited how they can win. Mad Lions <laughs> fell apart. Rogue's just rogue, so everyone's scared to pick him, and then just that just leaves G two. And by the way, I just I imagine we're just going to ignore Fnatic for now because we just spent like half an hour, but we don't know knows what they're even doing. So at the end, the joke is it's G two, but sort if, of by default. Okay, what if Fnatic's going to win? What if Fnatic wins the split? What do you, what, well, what's, what's great is this: if Fnatic does win the split, essentially it might actually send every other general manager mentally ill. Like they might just actually collapse in themselves, <laughs> and they'll just be like in the off season, it'll be like fucking Kurtz and like Apocalypse now, like. 
70, <laughs> 70 kill scrims with Hillisong. Oh, how are we supposed to learn anything for Worlds? Oh, <laughs> no, right. You know what I mean? Like, what? Because what, at that point, if they do win, amazing. It's like, what are the rest of us even doing? What is the point of this shit? It's just yeah, rigged or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, why would you even but Like, if you're the XL guy who's done all those moves, like, it took you years to get to this point. If they can just trip over and win plots, like, this is just unfair. You know what? I'm going home. Fuck League of Legends. I'm off. <laughs> just going to an ERL or something. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the thing. What would happen is nine other teams would apply to leave the LEC and become ERL teams. Because <laughs> <laughs> why bother at this point? Why not just be the king of Spain or something, you know? Man. By the way, I saw this headline, Monty, and again, it's just pure summoning insight fodder. So I had to bring it up. There's a headline, and all I want you to do is imagine how I'm reading this headline. So the headline just goes... T1 Faker talks about meeting children with critical illnesses through Make-A-Wish Foundation. The joke there is, yeah, he's had all that practice playing fucking Westerners at Worlds all those years. I mean, yeah, he goes there knowing these kids probably aren't going to make it. Deathbed. In fact, yeah, they have no chance. They're very gonna. And basically all he can do is show some kindness, some godlike grace and compassion, and then be a role model for he, what they he, could have been. He, he shakes their hand and, and gives them a jersey. It's exactly. like, I'm, I'm sorry, you, you, are, you, you are terminal in this tournament. Uh, I apologize. Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, mm. here you go. Nice okay. to meet you. <laughs> Doctor, is he, he going to make it? Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's looking like that coup versus Fnatic. Whatever that one that was. <laughs> whatever that match was. Right. Three yeah, cool right, it's, got, it's looking like that. I'm not feeling like who I mean, this kid's going to make it. So. I know. I, I, I wish you treated me like a Make-A-Wish kid at that point. Like I would have at least gotten a jersey, man. <laughs> I, I didn't get anything. Just give me a jersey before I die. And then the joke is, when he gets there, though, the kid misunderstands and he goes, right, my wish, Faker, is for EG to win Worlds. And then Faker goes, look, kid, I'm a mid laner, not a miracle worker. And just walks out. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Jojo Pion is my hero. I know. Oh, oh God. How, how new are you to League of Legends? <laughs> what, Jojo? Oh, man. Like, oh, it's, actually, it's actually really fun to think about, like, how, you know, like, it's, okay, so so nowadays when you talk to a lot of, like, players and fans and whatever, it's like, you really realize, I really realize my age, right? And I, I talk to some some pros, whatever, they have never maybe even seen me play back in the days, you know, when I was actually, like, a decent player. But it's like, it's... It, that they that they they fanboying current LEC players the way that like you may fanboy Faker what is so to them someone like Jojo someone like Humanoid is actually like a god it's like it's like they're so impressed by it. oh I'm gonna watch Lavrov vods you know I'm gonna go home and watch Lavrov vods it's like what the fuck is going on it's like <laughs> <laughs> like my brain doesn't comprehend when I hear that it's like oh yeah this is a I watched a I watched a lot of Lavrov vods and I I think I I got it down now I I think I know what it's like what okay uh, what? yeah. Jo- Jojo Pien was eight when Faker debuted. <laughs> god. <laughs> oh my god. Which is fitting because if he plays Faker at this world, he'll get it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh my god. god. Not bad. Yep. Uh, I, I wonder. I, I mean, yeah, they I, are still living off that one fucking win over T one from MSI, aren't they? Like that one. It's like they must just fucking like. I bet they just like made like a VR experience to recreate that one game over and over again. Man, live NA was just on copium on that one when it was the most ridiculous <laughs> one. Ever. It's a big old one, one, one game. Oh, it's twelve or something. Fucking hell. Guys, remember, remember when we T1 channeled that energy, okay? Channel that energy. One, two, three, EG. That's how it works. <laughs> what you need to know is this, <laughs> right? 
and it wins one BO1 over T1. They're like, oh my God, blah, 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 sky right in, like parade, ticket tip parade, like the President, Medal, Congressional Medal of Honor to you, sir. Meanwhile, in Europe, like G2 had a year where they just beat T1 in two best of five. And then it's like, all right, stop, stop going on about it. All right, just, just be humble, you know. Whatever, bro. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, mate. <laughs> That's the fucking regions for you right there, mate. Viewer questions? Yeah, we'll do we'll do viewer questions. Uh yeah. thank you for joining us. Amazing. Appreciate your time. Very insightful okay. as usual. Uh and uh we'll see you maybe at some watch parties for LEC playoffs. We'll see. Sure thing. Sure thing. Great. Have a good one, guys. We'll we'll take a break and be back with viewer questions. Right, we're obviously gonna be doing the viewer questions now, but remember. Obviously, we have our deposit bonus for esports bet, which is the 50% bonus up to 200 US dollars. You just use the referral link below in whatever YouTube, if it's there in the description box. How do you bring it up if it's on Twitch? Is it actually in the description box for Twitch as well? It's also, it's also below on Twitch. Yeah, if you just oh, fair enough, okay. scroll down, there's a link for you guys, wherever you like it. There it is. Um, so let's talk about our viewer questions for this week from the Insight on Esports Discord, starting with teleportation is invented, is low cost and easily accessible. Where would you choose to live if distance to destination was not relevant? This would be a pretty cool world if we could live wherever we wanted. I would definitely live in the middle of fucking nowhere, is, uh, assuming that I also uh, have internet, like good internet there. Uh, because I could travel to cities whenever I would want to. Where would I live? Very interesting question. Uh, I'd probably still live in the United States. Maybe I'd live in like New Mexico or somewhere like that. That'd be that'd be pretty great. I enjoy Santa Fe. It's just that uh, it's not close to a major airport and so is very annoying to get to with my lifestyle. I mean, the main way I would obviously use this, because the problem with this is it, it doesn't say, like, are we allowed, like, infinite uses or whatever, right? Assuming I could go back and forth, the obvious yeah. premise should be just pick the place that has exactly the weather and setup you want, but then you can still, sure. like, go to the town anytime you want. Oh, what's funny is when he said it, I don't think he intended this, it's actually just making me think, that's also, people don't know, like, one of the interesting premises in the book Hyperion, there's a character where yes. he was so rich, he had a house where each, like, door Room. was a teleporter, <laughs> yeah. and the joke was you could just <laughs> sort of, like, walk planet. through to, like, yeah. <laughs> you could be like on a waterfall place here or then back like you know on like some yeah. fireplace and like so like it actually is a cool concept obviously because the idea is you wouldn't have to commit your whole life to that one place which is the problem most people have in the modern day you have to be near some dog shit city and it sort of invalidates that angle so the dream is i would like it it'd be cool yeah so i would yeah, also I mean, pick something similar i would pick like a beach or something or like nice quiet countryside area or something you know yeah yeah for sure for sure um Let's say you retire now and move on from esports. What is one piece of content slash reporting slash work that you would like your careers to be remembered for or encapsulated by? Hmm. I don't know if See, I care. The problem that. with that is, I think in both of our careers, the reason that doesn't really work is what's actually made us excellent in our careers is sort of, I would say, our everyday work. It's like the sm it's yeah. small units of like a match or a piece of like it's not like I've ever done a Thor and Thought that was like this is my magnum opus. I this was the video on it so the problem with that is i could pick like my best article but i don't know if it's really gonna live up to like, yeah, put it this way if i had to pick one thing i would like to be remembered by sadly this won't be the case but it would actually be something like 
despite the fact haters will always claim I am a net negative, I would challenge anyone to find anyone who was more of a net positive. Like, just look at the people who's, um, whose careers I influenced. I would say that could be my legacy alone. It doesn't have to be my own work. Just look how many people I brought into the sea. Spoiler, like, I don't go on about this because it's I, I don't do it as an obnoxious thing. Like, I made you. All I did is throw the ball to people who had to still make the shot. But all I'll say is this. If you ever go back, you could go track this stuff. People like, I think Froskorin had, I'm going to guess... 500 Twitter followers. Kelsey might have had 700 or something. That's where these people were when we first found them back in the eons of 2014 or 2015 or whatever. Like, like I, that's what I would say. If you don't know in CSGO, a guy called Maui Snake, I just found him as a, as a as research assistant and then I happened to be doing an event in Russia that didn't have a host. And I was like, right, well, if I host, you'll hire this guy that I know, right? Okay, then I got him onto the events. He now does all the big events. So I would say that yeah, angle. He did because, his first major recently. Yeah, because what's cool about that is essentially their careers help reflect hopefully some of what I was able to help yeah. out with at the beginning. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, we've, we've obviously used this shows, even this shows platform to help like a lot of people raise their, their profile uh, within the scene and articulate themselves and well, have how many people have gotten jobs off this show, mate. Lords, lords of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess for me, if I had to pick one point in time, it would probably be standing up to riot about the caster pay issues because that actually had a tangible effect across the entire, like every caster in every esports game. Because I effectively doubled the riot casters' rates, which then you know boosted a lot of other people up in the industry. If I hadn't been willing to go public and call them out with that information, they would still. I mean, they're still terrible to work with from a casting perspective and they run a monopoly and they are basically thugs and the mafia when it comes to that um they do that to this very day but it is it is better than if i had not done it let's put it that way and so that was a that was a tangible way that i like to think i helped other people um within this industry so it's not really about anything that i've done to make myself look good it's really for me about how I can use the power that I have to do the duty that I need to do to make this a better place because the devs fucking suck at making this a better place. They fucking suck. I do at love it. though that even in 2022, whenever you say that, there'll always be that guy like, can't we give Riot the benefit of the doubt? Say, like, oh, fuck no. you, mate. Like, come on, man. If anyone shouldn't evil. get the benefit of the doubt. See, I thought what's <laughs> weird is I thought you might have picked that legendary call you did. You know the one where you were like, faker, no, no, the moves. <laughs> That's just my sense of humor. Whatever. Good talk. Uh, the train whistle one. There you go. There you uh, go. Uh, here it, we we did say we'd answer this one. Since Thor and Crumbs and Company have already been cast as Smeagol, who would you choose to round out the casting? For did your anyone see that tweet? The by the way, because <laughs> what I love is I've done, I did a similar one today. I love the tweets where I don't even have to make the joke. Why would you be Smeagol? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> because here's the jo because this is the joke that I, you'd have to see the tweet, Monty. Basically, what happened was there was a tweet from a guy during that whole like hate mob at the end of last year, early this year, where all those women and people who their orbiters were attacking me over the women in esports tweets, and a guy came along and because he was trying to like agree with some girl like yes mistress like one of those types of guys he was like yeah well if we can agree because she made like some reference to, like lord of the rings probably because my name's thorin you know so then this guy goes well if we can agree that th that semler and thorin are smeagol and all i did right was take that image the tweet and then i took a smaller tweet of if thorin and thing are smeagol and then i just took his profile picture from twitter and that's just the third image and i don't say anything i don't even give a comment because spoiler he looks hella like smeagol in real life like these people are beyond 
gone. Things. He had no self awareness whatsoever. Like he looked a bit weird, and he had glasses. And it's like, I thought, why are you comparing people to Dennis Smeagol, you idiot? That's yeah. you're begging for that to be done to you. In fact, it's almost like karmic that you become the Smeagol when you say that to us. So, what was the premise? If we're Smeagol, then what? What was the rest of it? <laughs> Who would you round out the casting for your esports Lord of the Rings remake? Okay. Okay. <laughs> the problem is you're already the one who's trying to like retain the one ring like the the truth is the truth is is that the fellowship of the rig would definitely be the independent people who have the balls i wouldn't be speaking there's obviously no way i know yeah. exactly yeah uh, d- it, it, like if there's one group of people that have the balls to go against the fucking evil empire of mordor who has corrupted the land of esports and the people are trying to destroy the one ring by throwing it into the fucking volcano it would definitely be us because everybody else is like yeah, yeah you know these sauron's he's not so bad he's not so you know sauron's done some good things he brought order to mordor it's like fuck you guys like what kind go. of world do you want i think if i logically of all the characters i think i would actually be like legolas because here's why because one I'm sort of from a different game. I'm actually from CSGO, but I'm helping y'all plebs out with this shit all of League of Legends. Exactly. Like I'll come, I come from a different world, the world of the elves, but I'm like, I'm, I'm deigning to come down to your level to help you. And then secondly, I'm also sort of a Lord Wolf fan. I'm not really the sort of the team player. I like the guy who just does my own shit. So I'll be like a last... I'm probably, be- I'm probably Aragon in this analogy then, because I've been I'm the exile the king in exile from the kingdom. Right? There you go. <laughs> but you're still coming back trying to save the game. True. Yeah. I'm still I'm still trying right. to help people out. I had to I had to learn yeah. my own skills, how to survive on my own as a ranger in the wilds of esports. <laughs> Who would be the other characters, though? Oh, I'll give you one as an example. I think Loco would have to be Boromir, because obviously he betrayed us. By grasping for power, he thought he could use the power to help TSM and the West win worlds. And basically, but at the end, like Boromir, he got a hero's death, didn't he? And we all remember him fondly. It it was okay in the end. We forgive him. And he would indeed have followed us anywhere. So that also works. Even that line works. He would have followed you. You would have been his Captain Monty. There you go. It's all working so far. We nailed it. There you go. Who's who's Gimli in this analogy? Yeah, who would be that one? Let me think. Who would be Gimli? I'm going to say Gimli's like Nelson or something like that. Because, he's <laughs> again, he's from a different total That's tribe. Or somewhere. He's pretty, but he's sort of integrated a bit into ours. And it's sort of the comedy element. with the. I'm, I'm going to say Nelson could be Gimli. There you go. There you go. And by the way, it just because it looked... Other aspects don't fit, but it's the only role left. Richard Lewis can be Gandalf because he is just the guy like, look, a journalist arrives at exactly the time he thinks he will. <laughs> no, not exactly. And then he just, he always, sort of, he just enters the story, but he's so key. Like, you need him to come over the hill, like, as Gandalf the White. Like, that's when you turn to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's like good. That. I like there that. You go. There you go. There you go. There you go. I was doing something with it. There you go. Um, who would be Frodo? I think we have to, before we end, we do have oh, to yeah, like, true. ask. Cast of Frodo, like the the central person who is from, he, he's like the wholesome one who is who is tempted, right? I don't know if we have that person actually in this analogy in League of Legends. That's maybe like Cadrill or something. 
That's true. I think Cadrill would be. Because if you think about it, Cadrill could stand alone as like one of the great analysts, but he's being corrupted by Sauron's power, and the closer he gets to the heart of it, the worse it seems to affect him, you know, and become. And he so. is very wholesome. He is very wholesome. And obviously, so. he's got quick shot Samwise Gamgee to actually carry him to carry the cast. So it all works out. There you go. There you go. And then the joke, obviously, would be just because I'm a very mean person, you can cast Vedius and Medicus, whoever you want from Rings of Power. <laughs> I just don't give a fuck. You have to understand, fans. I don't give a fuck. So there you go. I actually like Vinny. It's like the hit on him. It's just, just funny. Uh, how do you steal Koreans away from Valorant and make them play CSGO? Well, you have to make CSGO popular in Korea yep. first. You know, the problem with CSGO is that Steam is not installed on PC Bung, the, the PC Cafe computers automatically. So if you want to play Steam games, you have to literally go in, download Steam onto the computer, and then download the game. So it's extremely fucking annoying. However, last year, they actually did put CS servers in Korea for the first time, which I predict is really just the first... It's the, it's the first sign of the onslaught that Valve is planning, because as we know, they are very likely going to release a new version of Counter-Strike on the Source 2 engine. Probably, <laughs> probably yeah. like, potentially within the next month. Like, that's not a joke. Like, they, yep. the original... If not that, probably August. after the major at worst, I'd imagine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sometime next month. In fact, they may, they may announce it at the major, but it's getting very close. Um, and when that happens, I imagine they have some sort of game plan to utilize these Korean servers. And certainly military style shooters like PUBG have been very popular in Korea in the past. It's just been a question of promotion and access. But it does seem like Valve is setting the stage quietly behind the scenes to make some kind of move onto the Korean market. And while Valorant Basically, if people don't know, the difference is Valorant has been present and is even more recently even spiking in those PC bangs, dude. Well, like when I saw it, two percent. You know, it's two percent is mate. What would the percent of Counter Strike be? Yeah, yeah. Infinitesimally I mean, small. Wouldn't even you wouldn't even give a number. Like be less than zero point one percent, probably right. I'm, I'm just yes. So I'm contrasted with that. that. No, but the original question was how do we get Koreans in Counter Strike, right? Because yeah. basically, this is the problem. It's why I've all along, I always say this in interviews, I want Koreans and Asians in CS because we don't yep. actually know who the best players are. Because what if you see in Valorant, by the way, like, dude, some of them are even people you know, like Sire player players in fucking NA, yeah. for example. Like, these guys are monster players. If you just look at their aim, like, it's clearly bonkers. Like, yeah, I want these guys in CS go. Imagine how much cool it would be if all these in, in mad Korean aimers come over. It would be the shit. Yeah. And, like, they would obviously be quite competitive if given the opportunity like Gosh, valorant is still a very mega. small game in korea and the the korean valorant teams are very good despite having like two percent pc bong share so um yeah i think i think given the opportunity that csgo could be a very big game in korea it just has to be distributed properly by valve but it does appear like there may be moves being made to cause that to happen it's the sad thing. One of the things that no fucking TO, uh, no, game dev generally wants to do is share power. But I'll tell you right now, Monty, the first thing I would do if I was like Valve Software is I would not only go to the chains of PC bangs and say, what can I do for you to make you want to have my game in your thing? Maybe I can do a a thing like they did in League of Legends where it unlocks a chat. Maybe there's something like that. Maybe there's a special skin that I make for your chain of things and you get it for free when you're playing your PC bang. That's a nice angle, right? A unique AK skin or something. Or the other angle is go to Kesper and say, right, when I, when I release CSGO 2 or whatever it might be, 
I want to make a deal where you will have a league running so there will be an aspirational element to want to be a pro. I would do both. I would attack it from both ends, grassroots end and the pro end because the big problem with how they've done it so far in career is they genuinely are so stupidly American. They go... Well, it's a good game, so you just release it on Steam, and if they like it, they'll play it. It's like, Monty just explained why that will never happen, and is it actually, yeah. you've just created insane barriers to entry, and so unfortunately, even though, yes, obviously, like having like 2% of people playing Valorant isn't that big, compared to CSGO, that is night and day, that is enormous compared to CSGO. So like, it's why when people, like MVP PK was the team from Korea in CSGO, people would be like, but they are all right. It's like, the joke is they're playing in an empty room against nobody, and then having to come and play Europeans. Like, that, that's no ecosystem. You can't build a, a championship squad from that you have to have a, a whole set of teams and you have to crucially let the korean esports industry get to work once there's enough people play the game the industry takes over the rest of it and they'll bring you they'll develop the teams and the players and bring them up plus i think that if a new version of cs released there would probably be a bunch of the there are probably be a bunch of korean orgs that would actually just as a as a flyer like try and sign teams for asia right like if you're gen g or t1 and you don't currently have CS rosters, maybe you think, okay, well, we're going to just see if it gets big or we're going to help it get big in Korea. And they have the infrastructure to do that. Like Dom Wan Kia might do it as well. I mean, there, there are some really good, um, there are some really good Korean teams in Valorant and Rainbow Six in some of these other kind of tactical style shooters, even though they don't have the biggest player base there. So uh, would... Uh, Bebe, the Taipei Assassins ADC, qualify for a LOL Hall of Fame? No. I mean, I think him and... Universe. I think, I, you know, even him and Toys, like, nah. There's one <laughs> tournament yeah, ever! One. <laughs> what do you want? And it was a fluke. Sorry, it just was. <laughs> and of all the players in that team, like, he actually was a good player, but, like, it wasn't, like, he wasn't even close to the best ADC at the time. Like, no, no definitely not. I mean, but I don't think... I don't think any player in that team qualifies. The only for one really would be toys, thing. and even then, the problem yeah. is mid lane. There's too many great mid laners since then, isn't it? so like it'd be a bit ridiculous if we did keep it. Based on the eye test, what player did you most overrate, and what player did you most underrate? Oh boy, I like this though. Yeah, let's think this through. So it's based on the eye test, crucially, nothing else. Let me think. Let me see. I've got a few I can go for here. Let's see. Uh, I'm just. I'm, I mean, I've got a little shortlist. I'm making here, mate. Go on. Honestly, underrate was probably Smeb because he was so fucking bad when he started. Like he was like the worst top laner in the entire league in Korea, and so I, I mean, clearly you can't account for a player's getting better. But going from literally the worst top laner in Korea to the best top laner in the world, obviously, I underrated him to a certain degree. <laughs> Like he was, he literally like won the Long Panda Memorial Trophy and then became a god. So I would have to say Smeb. That is, that's a pretty insane one. But also, he was bad at the time. So did I underrate him or did he just get better? That's always the question. Overrating is interesting. Here's the thing the overrated one's the easiest for me. Like I'll give you three off the top of my head now, just because I've seen enough now to know this. <laughs> These three are going to be obvious Leader, Dardock. Self-made. Now, the reason why is obvious, because we're talking about the eye test. The eye test for these guys, when they pop off, is fucking amazing. They look like, <laughs> like the best players ever. But the problem, as we all know, is where's the through line? What's the average game like? That's where the, Or what happens when the meta switches, for example. So I would say they, I'd probably slightly overrate these people because you're just riding the high of the epic pop-offs, you know? 
trying to think of overrating. It was probably somebody on like CJ or Jin Air, maybe like Coco. Because he did like he was okay, but he never really had he never like he peaked really high and then didn't have insane longevity. Perhaps him. Perhaps him. I mean the obvious one as well, because we did name the award of his dad here. Because again, I test looks amazing yeah. when he's on his game. Those that's spring true. splits he was got like he was fucking unreal, wasn't he? Like people think that's the he's one of those players that destroys the idea that anyone has a static career because he actually was really amazing. He was really shit. It was the same guy. Yeah, Dade <laughs> Pawn would be another one potentially. Yeah, yeah, like, Pawn's sure. health issues kind of got in the way of his career. But he only really lasted like a year and a half, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He kept playing for a like, He was on that KT super team. He was the shittest part of it, mate. Yeah. Like, yeah. What do you want on that? You know. Let me uh, think on under though. There's got to be some good underrated ones. Let me think who could be underrated. I mean, I'll, I'll, an obvious one for me is I would say reckless because like I couldn't, I could, how could I possibly know he would have that level of longevity? And I'd yeah. also even say, I always say this, my favorite reckless splits were when actually the Fnatic teams of like season six, season seven were collapsing and he had to hard carry. And by the way, he actually had some fucking good splits here. That's why he was winning the MVP. So I actually could never have known he'd also developed that other side to his game. I thought he'd always just be the Corbier style fucking ADC. So he did to some degree right. develop his game out a bit. I mean, the joke is you all overrated him in season four, but whatever. We'll take the rough with the smooth. We all that works. What about you? There must be someone else you underrated. Come on. I, I think Smeb is probably the most egregious underrating because, like, how do you go from that? Like, I, I clearly didn't pick up on something there if I was like, this guy is the worst top laner in the LCK and then he became maybe the best top laner of all time. Like, <laughs> you know, probably should have... Uh, Done a I mean, he was on a bad team, obviously, so maybe he should have done a little bit more on that one. Got one. I'll say I underrated impact. Because if if you yeah, told me fair. when he first went to LCS, I would never imagine he would be like relevant years later. That's I also really good. I also think the thing with him that's so crazy is because he's been so consistently amazing as like a weak side and tank player, you forget. And every year he'll just pull out a few carries every now and then. You'll be like, Fuck, he can actually do that still. Fucking hell. Think, that guy always has like a level of yep. depth to him. Because the other thing is, he's obviously got some. He's one of those guys who has cracked out a fucking peak, hasn't he? Like, he just knows what week he can sort of phone it in. It's mad. This guy's sick of it. I think we did a good list there. We did quite a few yep. names. Who would you rather spend 12 hours straight with? Most unreasonable TSM fan, an average T1 fan, but you have to tell them that Chovy is better than Faker or Slasher. <laughs> I mean, the, obviously the latter one's immediately taken out. I would, so I would actually the T1 Slasher. fan. <laughs> you would, but that's a different scenario there. No, so the, the thing about Slasher is like, Slasher is a very, first off, I have spent many hours talking to Slasher in person. Um, in the past. I do in the past. I, do I mean, think mate, he, after the shit he said about your family, I would just slap him in his face the first time I ever saw him again. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't stand for that. Look, I, Slasher is like a known quantity for me. And like, I know exactly what to expect from him. So it's not actually, I mean, I know how to talk to him and not give him anything that he's going to use. Um, so it wouldn't be that bad. That's the problem with this question, right? Is they've naively set it up, Monty, because they want me to pick the T1 fan or something, right? Here's the reason why I would pick the T1 fan. Technically, are you ready, TSM fans? You get your one W of all time. 
Compared to T1 fans, you're actually totally fine. You're just normal. You're just a bunch of idiots on the internet who have opinions about games. T1 fans will actually threaten to kill you and mean it and then credibly back it up with a real-life physical show of intimidation that they coordinate and is so fucked up that, that even the CEO bad. of the company will pretend that's okay because, God forbid, what would happen if you inc incited it further and then it went even... Like, that's how bad it is. That's the level of Stockholm Syndrome people are in in Korea. So here's the difference. You're going to think, then, why would I pick the T1 one? Because here's the difference. The TSM guys annoy you. The T1 fan is a little fucking stick-armed cunt, 16-year-old toxic Korean kid. Mate, he's not going to be saying shit to me. He'll just sit there. I'll tell him, do your fucking Sudoku, you cunt. And then he'll just sit there and I'll just fucking read a book or something. The TSM guy <laughs> might actually try to talk to me, mate. That would be really annoying. Even worse, he might, he might start trying to relate to me. Like, hey, you like Doublelift, right? Well, a few years ago, but maybe. Ah, oh, remember it was the best when he was on TSM. Well, I actually thought it was the worst part of his career. No, but remember that time, season six was. Yeah, I very much remember season six was. The T1 fan wouldn't say shit to your face. This guy That's might just true. be like barely speaking any English. Mm -hmm. As I say, I'll just come to it with, look, I hate you. I actually just. <laughs> Buys evil fans that you should not talk to me, mate. Give you coloring book of season five worlds or whatever they go, and then problem solved. Uh, do you have plan to branch out to other esports, i.e., a Dota show? I mean, I wouldn't do a Dota show. We might bring a Dota show over to like one of our associated channels with good Dota people, but I, I don't, I don't know anything about Dota. I also don't like the Dota fans, so I'm not too thrilled about that. Yeah, exactly. The problem is, like, in, you know, they're like, if you build it, they will come. I've seen what Dota fans are like. I don't want to build it. <laughs> problem solved you reverse feel the dreams yourself on that one you can't uh marry fuck kill in a video game owner beloved by every staff member when it asked in public edition reggie joe marsh or nikolai nile oh, come on man that's good though here's the thing what i like about that monty is what he's done correctly that they always get wrong you know normally when they say marry fuck kill they just pick ones that they would put in he's picked three that we want to just pick kill for all of them obviously that's why he's genius so let's do this let's let's take it seriously this is a real question right? all right i i would kill kill reggie uh i would that's just for all time six it's not even that he's necessarily the worst just for all time six we have to kill reggie that goes out to it's also summoning insight this short he blacklisted this short he must be killed in a video game reggie dies yep there we go so it's between fuck and marry now who are we who we're we gonna uh, marry i would i would fuck Nikolai Nihal, because, uh, you know, he's he's kind of, like, sneaky. He's probably, like... Well, the joke is, if you don't fuck him, he'll fuck you. So <laughs> you better fuck him, Monty. Oh, he's going to fuck you anyway. I, exactly. I, I, I would marry Joe yes. Marsh, because I do know... Here's here's one thing about I know Come about on. Joe Marsh. He's He loves to please people. So I think that he would actually, like, try and put a lot of effort to meeting my needs and demands in a marriage, because he just, you know, rolls over for everybody else. So I would, I would marry yeah, yeah. him. Well, and also, you know, that first of all, he's just going to basically provide the money in the relationship. And then secondly, <laughs> he's basically whatever you've done good. He's just going to go, yeah, it's brilliant. But I did. I secretly actually was involved in that somehow before my time. Like, so that's fine. Listen, everyone in eSports does that anyway. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do we stop leeches from bottom feeding in the LCS and LEC? He means like the teams who okay. like the BDSs of the world. He means. Everybody is blaming the teams, okay? But here's the problem. The financial model that was set up in these leagues does not incentivize the teams to spend money or have a profit. Like, oh, the awesome. problem is that LCS and LEC 
are shittily designed by the developers where they hide the marketing success of the leagues. They take all the money from the skins that are sold when Bjergsen uses a skin. They don't tell this to the owners. They're like, well, we got a sponsorship, guys. The commissioners are all assigned by the developers, right? So there's nobody acting in the best interest of the team. The, the teams have no say on who the leadership of the league is. And they just have to hope that like Riot sells some sponsorships. Meanwhile, all of the real money is just getting hidden. So it's not their fault. Like, I think that the teams who are the bottom feeders are acting rationally in their own best interest by not wasting a bunch of money to move from 10th place to 7th place where they get no additional sponsorships. The problem is the developer is hoarding all of the money from this and that the leadership is not fighting for the team's rights themselves. Like, in what universe should the owners be agreeing to give the power of the league leadership to be entirely selected by the developer. That's insane. Who is representing the owner's interests here? Nobody. Basically, so. I will. I, I would just explain it by giving a quick analogy because I see this question up all the time, Monty. Obviously, it happened with VDS. People were like, but if they're buying in for 30 million, they must be about to buy really good players. Spoiler, had a budget roster. Looks like one of the cheapest rosters in the league, if I had to guess. Now, obviously, Misfits is going to leave. Herex is going to come in. Same thing will happen. So the question is this, Monty. Why would someone join a league if they're not going to buy the top teams? Here's an analogy for you. In the NFL, there was a story I remember seeing a few years ago where it said that in the what would have been at the end of the 90s when he'd stopped being a player. When John Elway was going to retire, he was actually offered to buy an ownership stake in the Broncos. Yep. And at the time, his he would have had to raise something like 36 million because it was like a 180 million deal or whatever. And he didn't do it because, spoiler, like he didn't even make that in his career and he would have had to like lend it off everyone. And at the time, it would have like leveraged all of his money in the world, basically. But the problem is, the reason the story has been told, if you can't see where this is going, is... That 36 million that he spent now, his share would now be 900 million. That's how much it's gone up since yeah. the end of the 90s. It's gone insane, right? Obviously, yeah. the, the valuation has gone through the roof. Even the worst team would cost way more than the Broncos. Spoiler, a championship roster at that time. time. So what you need to realize is this. Everyone is operating on the greater full principle. The ones yeah. who aren't are the people like Carlos, because he's just so good at getting money. He may as well do that and fuck around and win the game on the side while he does it. And so did Steve, Dan, etc. But like for the rest of the teams, you're just essentially sitting on a spot and your aim is spend as little as possible while looking like I'm competitive. So that when I sell for the 100 million, I get loads of the 100 million. And, and it's not like I spent 40 and then I get 60. Well, I spent 10 and get 90. Here's you know? the difference. I think most NFL teams like try to win and, you know, they have salary caps and they spend up to their salary caps, but the league is profitable. Like LCS is not, LEC yes. and LCS are not profitable leagues. And whose fault is that? It's not the team's fault. Like, yeah, sure, the teams could be doing more to market the league, but the decline in viewership and the crappy business model has to be pinned solely on Riot. Riot is incapable of selling media rights. Part of that is because of a Twitch monopoly, but there's a fundamental conflict of interest where Riot doesn't want to sell exclusive media rights because that would cut off some of their viewership who may prefer to watch it on YouTube or people may prefer to watch it on Twitch. And it's a marketing exercise for them. The problem is financially, there is a fundamental conflict of interest between the goals of the teams and the goals of Riot because Riot wants to market the game to the widest audience possible uh, because it's a lost leader and they know they make money off of the marketing, whereas the teams actually just want to be profitable. So the best thing you can do is to take away the leagues from the devs. That is the best thing you can do.
The reason why this tilts me, by the way, is because you can't at the same time, Monty, tell me and Monty, oh, you know that Flashpoint project you had? What a stupid idea that was, and it wasn't even necessary, and no one was ever going to join it, you know, and then come back and blink, forget all the Flashpoint projects, and then go, hey, Thorin and Monty, why don't um, teams and franchise leagues make enough money to make... Fuck you. That's the answer. <laughs> Fuck you. We did it, and all industry told us we were wrong. And the joke was, you're all eventually one day going to have to do something like this, because the premise yep. of that was, it was in the game where the dev, dev doesn't in, interrupt, and there wasn't even a T occupying that spot. That was how everyone could have cut out the middleman. Well, spoiler, if the Cloud Nines of the world aren't going to do it in Flashpoint, they're not going to do it in another game, mate. So sadly, as far as I can tell in these franchise leagues, everyone's just being led around by the nose by whatever game dev it is. And it's at the moment, by the way, the entire principle for LEC and CDL seems to be, least it in Overwatch League. So like the whole thing's just Opium and bad money follow good money. Come on, man. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> All right, next. The Shy chose his name in honor of legendary CJ top laner Shy. Yeah. Why was the Shy a fan of Shy, the Shen player? Uh, a great question. The Shy was not a very exciting top laner, and he, the Shy has a very different style of play than Shy. Like, they're pretty much night and day polar opposites. It is a weird coincidence that the Shy took that name. I mean, I don't I mean, know I mean, why he asked the first part. Like, why is he a fan of it? Like, I, I can't read his mind and he is Korean. Like, I don't even know his language, man. I wouldn't, couldn't even consider. But if you mean, I, as Monty says, the reason it's weird is that he couldn't be different. I mean, the joke is the shy himself in his interviews portrays himself as a different player. But yeah, basically the, the shy, as in the space shy from CG Enters, was like one of the, probably one of the best weak side players ever. Amazing yep. tank that could always stay alive in a gank under the tower. Like, knows exactly when to split push and have come join the fight. Just essentially was like an overskilled weak side player, whereas the, the shy that we know is like, I mean, the joke is he doesn't even know if he's playing weak side. He just plays the shy's lane, doesn't he? Like, I don't know why he would. It's one of those weird ones. But I will say, I would guess if I had to, it's a bit like that principle that seems to be common in women, where the women with the straight hair obsess about curling their hair and making it frizzy, and the ones with the frizzy and the curly hair, twenty four seven straight line, going it must be straight, must be straight. I assume it's that way. What you do is the thing that you're good at seems obvious because you're good at it, but the thing you're not good at, you really like overvalue because I'm not as good at that. So it seems epic and mega. I would imagine someone like that if I did. Or he's just Korean. He was the best top laner at the time he started yeah. playing. Probably that. Uh, can we talk about how egregiously entitled LCK fans, especially T1 fans, and how much undue influence they have over the league and its orgs? Um, it's total bullshit. I one of the GOAT casters, Kim Dong-Joon, who, yeah, was a friend of mine, was booted from the league after spiteful fans targeted him in popular Korean forums over critical comments he made about T1 and supposed favoritism to showed towards Damwon last year. Um, by that, wait a minute, it it, that's just speculation, right? There's no... How does he know that, that... Wait a minute. So he thinks that cause fans got mad at that guy, he was fired because of that. That sounds like a reach. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what the cause of any of Wasn't that guy like a 20-year veteran or something? I, I doubt they would fire you because you just flamed no, Kim, Kim Dong-Joon like Dong was... I would imagine uh, he retired, right? Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know the, I don't know the, the reason. Seems very implausible he's fired because there was too many comments on DC inside forum or something, right? Like, that doesn't uh, seem right. like the reason. That's that, a Reddit that, narrative. That aside, that aside, <laughs> um, uh, I, I do think that I don't understand why everybody kowtows to these psycho Korean fans. And like, so the answer is basically 
Korean in Korean culture, they don't feel like they can confront them. And honestly, Koreans are very good at organizing. And if they are confronted, they will just like mass protest and just fucking leave. Like the fans won't just like threaten to leave and leave. They will actually just leave like and mass. So they feel like they encourage this entitlement. But what I would say is that the LCK League and its ghost commissioner have an obligation to protect the team and the player. Like, it's difficult for the teams to say something, but where the fuck has been the LCK leadership? We Again, the commissioner is just not there, not making any announcements. Like, the commissioner should be take, tanking the aggro here and saying, like, cut this shit out. Like, it shouldn't be T1's job to be like, please stop harassing our players on the street right? Which is something that they T1 has apparently had to say because it's been going on. Where is the league? Like, these people are absolute fucking cowards at the top of the LCK because they just want their cushy jobs. They don't want to get it. Like, do your job. Do your job. Represent the league. Represent the teams. It's more problems with these people being riot, rioters who are more concerned with moving up the corporate ladder at riot than they are about doing the job that they need to do and representing the teams properly. I would say the main problem, because I see this dynamic play out in the West with all the SJW retards, what they do is this. When someone is really unreasonable, they're not just like, I disagree with you. They come in like, you're a piece of shit and everyone's corrupt and I'm a victim and this is horrific. Because they're making they're making the fever pitch go so crazy. If you're a reasonable person, that's the key dynamic I'm setting up, you will try to relate to them and understand what point they're making. And in doing so, you will give some level of credence to what they're saying. So the more unreasonable it is, the more they pull you towards their side to meet them in the middle. And if you do that, by the way, you are forever at their whim. They will pull you further and further and further and they will just dominate you completely so the main issue is one most people are cowards and they'll think and they'll actually think for real because it's how the human brain works to keep you alive in a tribe if most of my tribe seem pissed at me i'm probably the one fucking up i should probably change or my tribe might exile or kill me now the problem is social media creates this fake version of a tribe in your brain with thousands of people that aren't your tribe but you're responding as though they were people in your everyday life so there's that and then the other factor is these teams, half of how they sell to them, and Koreans especially in this wheelhouse, is they sell it as like a lifestyle. It isn't just a team you like. It's the team you love. It's your team. We're a family. Yeah, we. and so the problem is when you do that, like the BTS and the K-pop type people did, you can't then turn around and go, it's weird that someone mentally ill interacting with that behavior would then think that we really are his family. We own everything. No, that's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> what are you that. talking about? You did that. Yeah. The joke is that's like that famous thing where, you know, where they have like a, a bear riding a little fucking tricycle, then it wigs out and kills everyone. They go, you went crazy. It did what a bear naturally does. It's the other one. Why was it riding the bike is the question, isn't it? So I got that's the premise of that story. It's going to happen. They think how bad even fans are in the West on Twitter. They do this in real life in Korea, though. So I have to agree, Monty. I would take a hard line against this, especially because I already look to the future. And I just see 10 years down the line when a player is going to get stabbed or someone's going to be poisoned or a rival fan's going to come and destroy the central heating system. In a, you know, these things are going to happen if you allow this shit to get out of control. And even worse, Joe Marsh, if you ever look like you co-sign it as passion. I can tell you with the Brazilians in Counter-Strike, the same thing's going to happen. Someone is going to die in Brazil one day at an event. Someone is going to be robbed one day. Someone is going to be stabbed. Someone is going to be raped. And when these things happen, all those comments for years of like laughing at the come to Brazil and like, oh, they're just passionate over there. It's going to age really badly, really, really badly. But until that moment comes and someone's in tears, as is, as is the way in esports, everyone will just put the blind 
blinders on. They'll look at the upside of like, wow, people really care about our game because that's the fucked up way you can spin it. It's like, wow, no one used to care about esports, but now they care so much they'll kill you. It's sort of that fucked up angle that someone with no self-respect has, Monty, of like, well, he does beat me, but he must care on some level. It's like, I mean, fucking hell. If we get into that diet gymnastics, I guess there's a logic to it, but I think the whole thing's terrible. I think it's a blight on esports, mate. I actually feel sad that when I tell people in esports who don't know about Korea, like how amazing the players are, this aspect has to be shaded in events if I talk too much about the culture. Like, oh, they're sort of a bit psycho. You know? it, wasn't, it wasn't like this when I was there either. No, no. It wasn't like this when I was there. Uh, this is new. Uh, and it is terrible. And also, Riot should be taking responsibility as the neutral body in this situation to set player, you know, fan expectations around behavior. It shouldn't be T1 and it shouldn't be any of the other teams. Are there any NFL storylines, players, teams that have piqued your interest with the season coming to a start soon? Yeah. Obviously, like I'm a Broncos fan. It's pretty cool to have Russell Wilson on the Broncos now. Like that's very interesting. Um, really. I'll tell you the narrative for that. Von Miller on the Bills. That's pretty the, na- the narrative. For- People have missed this dude. I'll tell you the narrative. If Russell Wilson has a really good season and they get in the playoffs, I bet he'll win the MVP this, this season. Because yeah, he actually was a real MVP kind of all those other seasons. The problem was the Seahawks half the time were like dodgy or like they always had a key force. But yeah, so so sadly the, the story's meant he was never going to get a winner, but he probably actually is on, on track to win it if he has a really good season, I think. Yeah, I really well. like the I, I really like the Bills right now. Um not because Von Miller is like my favorite player and he's on the Bills, even though he's in the, the kind of like twilight of his career, but um they're just a really fun team to watch right now. I mean, honestly, the Bills Chiefs playoffs game from last year was maybe the best football game I've ever seen. Like it was fucking insane. Um, always love to see Aaron Rodgers on the Packers. I mean, I watch a lot of football, so, and I'm pretty agnostic about teams. I just like watching good players, basically. Um, Want to see oh, if Der- Derek Henry can bounce back. He's really fun to watch. There's one thing to say. The division the Broncos are in might be one of the best oh, divisions be to ever be played in the it's NFL. If you go look. Like every team in theory is a playoff team and some of them are yeah. could win the whole thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that will be an amazing division. I yes. mean, you know, the fact that like the Raiders got Devontae Adams and have Derek Carr and then obviously the Chiefs are still the Chiefs with Mahomes. Um, and then now the Chargers are kind of coming up. Austin Eckler is like really exciting, both running and passing, uh, running back. And um, just uh, Herbert's looking super good as well. Like it's a, it's a, oh yeah. And the Chargers got Khalil Mack. Like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like that, that division is going to be nuts. Oh, it's mental. Yeah. It'd be really fun. I, um, I just want to see what my, my boy BB Bill Belichick pulls off with the evil empire and Mac Jones. Cause what I love about Mac Jones is this essentially, this is why I love Bill Belichick. He really has just gone out and cynically been like, bring me another field general who will do my orders. <laughs> That's right, Mac. I will, I will put my power into you. Cause with that game, he won last season where they threw the ball like three times. was like, God's here. Shit, man. Like, That's like your <laughs> yeah. dream. That's your dream. NFL game. Isn't it? Like, I know it's, been, it's, it's just too like, good. You know, it's just like snowing and he wins the game. Just running, exactly. only running the ball. It was hilarious. Wasn't it? I know. <laughs> it was really good. I mean, the so NFL... I just want to see what he can do. Cause the, the premise NFL... there is if you ever wanted, if you were Bill Belichick to even up that narrative that all the plebs are going to go, Tom Brady must be the one who was the better one. He won with the books. Well, then how about I just been without someone who's even vaguely an MVP candidate? That'll be a way to show you won't it. So I just want to see if that can work or not. It's a fascinating experiment. 
I mean, honestly, the the NFL is like really good right now. Just a, as a whole, there are so many cool storylines. Obviously, like Tom Brady is still I- coming back with the Bucks, and there's just there's so many good storylines and so many like compelling teams and players. Like the the field of quarterbacks is like super good right now. Like Lamar Jackson's really entertaining. They have very different styles a lot of the time. These teams, so the matchups are are fascinating. It's just a, a great time to be an NFL fan. Great time. Uh. Using the so we have to pick guests on our shows who would be the following: Jerry Seinfeld, Elaine, George, and Kramer. I mean, oh, just the Loco, Loco Doco is clearly Kramer. Oh, it's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Even bizarrely has a similar thing to the character of Kramer, which is that when he gets really excited, if you notice, he loses control of his body. Like, I know a lot of people don't know that. You know when Loco moves around, he isn't doing that on purpose. By the way, like I, I yeah, once asked him, "Listen, Loco." Yeah, I once said to him, "You know, it's really hard for me to frame it up like that." And he's like, "Oh, I just move like that." I'm like, "I don't think about." You know, it's just the way I am. So he would be Kramer, yeah. Here's the thing. Who, the real hard one's going to be like George because George is like the like slightly lovable but like fucked up loser. So who would that even be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, not one. That's really that hard. I feel like a lot of these are not super one-to-one. I don't know if we can do the rest of these. Like, I don't know. Yeah, those, that, those are harder than you think. Those aren't as good as you think. Let me think. Who else could we even do for that? Because the funny thing is, if you think of like all-time guests who've been on a lot, it is people like Crumbs and fucking Amazing and these sorts of names, isn't it? This is the sort of wheel. Oh, I, I tell you what, I know who it is. Listen, a little bit of it's real life. A little bit of it's just <laughs> things to do with the game. I'll make George Costanza can be Peter Dunn. Because <laughs> he is lovable. He's always scheming away. You know it's never going to really work out, is it? He's going to try his hardest, but it's not going to work really. You know, he'll work so far, but not at the end of the, the punchline. Yeah, is it? Well. There you go. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, Elaine, who could that be? I mean, obviously, the obvious joke would be Frost Gorin because even though some people still want her on the show, I always thought that was the most annoying character. So, whatever. <laughs> I, I think some of these are going to be a stretch. I don't know if there really is a Jerry either. There's not a Jerry. Yeah. No one can uh, be the character. Say Chovy wins this summer. Is his rivalry with Faker more akin to Russell versus Wilt, meaning the one championship for the stat monster is going to remain an outlier, or do we expect it to go more like Jordan versus Magic, a true passing of the torch, with Chovy starting his own mini era? I don't know. Like, I mean, Chovy, Chovy looks like he's actually ascended this split. Whether that form is going to be maintained is the question. I think the problem is like LCK is probably still behind LPL as a region. And the question is whether Gen G can like be the one team in LCK that is going to beat everybody like Dom one did a couple years ago. The problem Chovy's going to have is this, even though in terms of regular splits, he has an incredible body of work. Like every year he basically gets better and is just even more amazing and sick and lean and all the problem he has is a, it's not just that he's lost in the playoffs. He himself has clearly had like underperformances and like performance mismatch in the finals and stuff. And, and there's clearly been a bunch of times he could have carried that he didn't. So already that's going to fucking kill you against Faker, one of the most clutch players of all time and one of the greatest winners of all time. And then the other angle as well is the actual like now I actually completely reject the basketball one, even though I know you were just setting it up to give this example, because one of the things that's whack as fuck about that example is not only do they make it sound like Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain were playing one on one. But two, they always try to make it sound like Bill Russell shot Wilt Chamberlain down. If people don't know, Wilt Chamberlain once had 50 rebounds in a game against Bill Russell. 
Right, you're not shutting anyone down when they get 50 rebounds, by the way. <laughs> Secondly, this is the angle they don't know. Wilt Chamberlain had to do it all, mate. He was just like the god. He was like Uzi Eye, and the team was built like Uzi Eye. Give him the ball all the time. Bill Russell has won championships where he was like the fifth highest scorer on the team. But you're making it sound like because he won, he was like the carry in like 1v9 the game. Like So that all, that's whack anyway. But the, basically, to go back to the Chovy fake one, the problem he that Chovy has is... Unless Faker retires tomorrow and then Chovy wins a lot, fans will never give him his comparison. That's why I say, to me, the real comparison is Rookie and Faker, because then yeah. you're just going off the body of work and how good they were as middling, you can have interesting discussion. The Chovy one, like I say, he's got too many sort of career markers that would go against the narrative, I think. I don't think it even matters if he wins. How much can the effects of the Korean exodus still be felt? This is in 2015. Not a lot, actually, because very few of those players are currently playing. Like, Deft is still playing and Rookie is still playing, but not a lot of them. Uh, Rookie is definitely still the best player still playing. Um, and many of the players who left came back to Korea and are coaching now. So, like, Dandy is coaching in the LCK. Uh, Acorn is coaching in the LCK. So I, I would say it, it didn't have that big of an effect. Also, Korea's T1 still won Worlds in 2015. And then also the Korean dominance like continued as new players came up. So, you know, it really wasn't until 2018, which was, you know, far and away from the Korean exodus that we started to see like LPL becoming more dominant. Uh, favorite slash most thought-provoking viewer question you've ever had? I don't know. You guys, you guys generally ask pretty good questions. Oh, I know what I'm going to do here. Like, I don't know what the actual question would be because obviously the problem is the good ones. You don't remember the questions. But, but I will say, I'm going to very briefly address now, Monty, what happened on the last episode and what's happened a few times. There is one character, and by the way, we can see it on the on the Discord. We can just go and look at your name. There's one guy who keeps submitting those questions, but he's making them either, he's either making them intentionally annoying and ruining the show floor, or he doesn't understand social dynamics. Either way, the solution's simple. Don't keep doing those questions. Ask a short question, a sentence or two long. Leave a lot of the space for us to answer the question and don't set it up in a way where like it's too complicated. To, like essentially, if Monty has to paste it to me, you've failed the question already. Like if I can't even hold the beginning in my mind because you're making it such a... Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem with that was it seemed like that guy either, like I say, it's just some really weird guy and he's really misaligned to what we're asking for. Or he's trying to be intentionally annoying. And if you try to intentionally annoy me, look, it might be funny that I blow up every now and then, but I will absolutely just shit can you. Do you have you ever seen me on Twitter? Like, I'll block you forever, mate. You'll never get unblocked. So just careful right. or you get blocked from the questions. There, and by the way, even though you're, but I paid for that. Yeah. yeah, you'll also find out I'm very happy to give refunds and you'll never be out <laughs> in the service. So just keep it, keep it nice and fun and we can all have a great time at the end of the show. Um, all right, I, I'm going to pick one last question. So I'm sorry, guys. There are a bunch more questions. If you do want to ask them, just ask them again next week, please. Uh, it's just this show is already like almost four and a half hours long. So I have other things to do that I need to get done. Um, so this is a good question. Who are some of the smartest pro players you think outside of league, like life academics, not just league, let's say any pro player, um, that, you know, by region past or present, I mean, Faker is you know very, what's funny about that. Faker is very like, intelligent. I don't know if you would agree, but I actually find that a lot of the really smart players in the game aren't that smart outside and vice versa. Like yeah. I was saying this to someone the other day, basically one of the reasons I actually think some of the really smart and real life people struggle in the game is they overthink and they second guess themselves and they get caught up in the, oh shit, what crap. Meanwhile, there's a lot of people who look like geniuses in the game because they're so decisive. And the joke is they're actually very simple minded and they, they, their brain just goes do that and they just do it and they succeed. Yeah. So I, it would probably actually surprise you. Like, for example, just from talking to him, I'm going to go ahead and guess Cadrill's a very intelligent person. Seems like it, if you think about the way his mind works and the way he co holds a conversation and can remember things, seems like a super smart guy. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, Faker is actually like legitimately very intelligent and has had a lot of academic success. I know from talking to him, him and his family previously, um, a player from Starcraft that was very smart is Stefano. Like Stefano was honestly like some savant. Like that guy didn't even really practice Starcraft. And he he later went to medical school. He he was just naturally extremely smart. <laughs> um, who else? I agree with you, Thorin, though. Like, uh, talking to pro players is honestly underwhelming most of the time because they do not have life experience and they do not have interest outside of the games and they aren't even, like, good at thinking about things, generally speaking. So the list of pro players that I enjoy talking to outside of of uh, outside of esports topics is is not long. <laughs> it's, not, it's not long. Not a long list. Um, Yeah, I'm fair. Who else would even be on this list? I, I've got the, to say, I don't. And this might sound harsh, but I can't think of anyone from LCS. I don't, <laughs> a, I don't know if there's anyone from LCS gets on this. Oh, no, you no, know no. what? Actually, no. I tell you what. Here's an example of where of exactly what I was talking about is a perfect example. Because I'll tell you what. I actually did think if you ever talked to him in interviews, Link is actually a really smart guy. I just thought in the game he was a fucking train wreck of a fucking player. Wasn't he? Like, <laughs> I mean, here's an example. I like talking to Bjergsen because I, Bjergsen has a lot of interests that we that I talk to him about outside of esports. And when I talk to Bjergsen, I, I honestly rarely. Talk talk to him about esports it's more about books or his other interests and i you know he really does try to you know have a broad set of interests beyond the game and like he's very disciplined um, oh i know the one here's one for you because it's actually going to trigger people so we'll end the show this it's going to be crumbs the guy you guys all call oh, yeah, yeah, in, sure. in league he never knows anything he's the fucking moron repeating stuff in real life crumbs unironically is the guy where if i said to him now like oh i've just read like book one of dune crumbs in two weeks he would be like right i've read all six dune books do you have any other books you recommend like, i didn't even recommend the other five but the fuck yeah 22 <laughs> weeks ago like he is he's that guy in real life so like he, he's yeah, mega yeah. smart in my opinion I just, yeah. I just like keep lending crumbs like giant stacks of graphic novels and he comes back two weeks later he's like here you go and you know he also has a lot of outside interests in terms of like outdoor stuff camping like he leads a very interesting life of travel um yeah I, he's a great guy so yeah um that's it uh, sorry, we didn't get to all the questions. There were like 1 billion questions this week. But please, if they are important to you, ask them again. And hopefully we'll get there on a little bit shorter show. We had to do all of like this. It was two super weeks this week and also previewing playoffs. So there was a there was a lot to discuss uh, next week. No LEC. So we'll be talking mostly about a few matches that happened in LCS, LCK and LPL. So it shouldn't be quite so packed. Uh, anyway, we'll see you next week.